talking about it. Um, doesn't run the greatest on Series X either, at least uh, on my end. I don't know. Like, it's not – I do notice a lot of frame drops, even with VRR enabled, um, which is odd because normally I don't. So it definitely does have a lot of uh, tech issues. I don't know, man. I never noticed any of that stuff until Dudes for Foundry did their analysis. I really didn't. And yeah, I got a new TV with VRR, which probably probably helped me not notice. And I just never noticed, because I was just playing it and having fun, and I wasn't counting frames. And I also wasn't doing the review, which I guess also contributed me to me not noticing. But it's only after the Dudes of Foundry that I really noticed that there, you know, there was some sort of frame rate issues here and there, but... Nothing that I would call unplayable. Like, like, yeah, in the rain, maybe there's some issues here and there, but I don't know. Yeah, that good old rain. Uh, Dylan Dodds in the Super Chat says, Avowed, is it third person at all or only first person? Uh, well, the footage I saw that you shared with me was only first person. I didn't see any third person stuff, but uh, Jazz, can you speak more on that? Um, as far as I'm aware, it's just first person, like the Outer Worlds. Um, I think it uses a lot of the engine code from the Outer Worlds. That's the impression I got from it anyway. So, personally, I'm not expecting it to be third person. I think it'll be locked to first person, but I could be wrong about that. There could be a third person mode, but I don't think the engine they've got is designed for that. But we'll have to wait and see. I could be wrong about that. I don't have any hard proof either way. Yeah. Uh, Flame has been a member for nine months. Thank you. He says, good afternoon, guys. Thank God, Randy. Okay, Jez was scared last week and putting up mister, missing posters all over Twitter. Have a great show, guys. Yeah, I I, uh, I woke up and was not feeling good and just went back to bed. I probably should have DM Jez, but I just I just was just like, I my head is killing me. I'm going back to bed. So when I woke up, I, I just, Jez was like, where are you at? <laughs> like, sorry, man. Um... John G has been a member for 12 months, says it's been a dope year with you guys. Yeah, 12 months is absolutely insane. Thank you for the uh, for the support. Uh, it's great to see everybody in chat. Uh, we got Michael Monkey Punch. We got Supernova, Firestarto, Firestarter, 66, uh, OCD Gamer. Uh, thank you to all the mods and all the members for being here. We appreciate each and every one of you. Doing a show on Saturday, which you know, I normally don't necessarily want to do, but we couldn't do it yesterday, and we couldn't skip two weeks in a row. That would be that'd be absolutely horrible. So, um, achievement. Who's been a member for six months? Says, hey guys, I was diagnosed with autoimmune disease this week, and aside from Elden Ring on my PS5, this podcast is the highlight of my week. Well, that's horrible to hear about uh, being diagnosed with autoimmune disease. That's 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 awful. Um, yeah, but at least you got Elden Ring, right? <laughs> As I was telling, telling Jez beforehand, like, all the stuff that's going crazy in the world right now, but, hey, you got to play Elden Ring first, though, before anything goes really bad, right? Indeed. Indeed. And um, <clears throat> Supernova says, if the news of Fallout New Vegas 2 is true, does Obsidian know how to deal with the Creation Engine 2, or is it Unreal Engine 5? Hashtag damn that intro. Yeah, um, that's... Really interesting. You want to talk about that really quickly, Jez? New Xbox yeah, game sure. leaks from the one and yeah, only sure. Grubby Grub, Jeff Jeffrey. Yeah, Grubby Grub. You know, Grubby since Grub. it's it's always interesting to me when you two 
kind of go back and forth in your leak game, right? One week it'll be Jazz leaking, you know, some project or whatever. You know, he'll tweet out, Bueno Suerte on Twitter. And then suddenly the next day, uh, Jeff Grubb's like, Hey, uh, Project Suerte is a Monster Hunter game that is being made by Certain Affinity, right? Or any of the sort of things you guys go back and forth. Like, I don't know, you leak Project Midnight and he leaks Project, you know, whatever. There's so many of them at this point in time, I can't. I can't keep track of them at all. But the thing that you don't have, Jez, and you really do need to get, is you need to get some sources in Bethesda, bro. We need to know <laughs> what's going on there, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I don't have any Bethesda sources, I'm afraid, but um, I've been working on Blizzard sources lately. That's more interesting to me. <laughs> no, you know what's more interesting? Bethesda's more interesting. Uh, to you, maybe, but, man, some of the stuff I know about Blizzard coming up, like, soon is just really, really exciting. Man, nobody cares about Blizzard, Jez. Of course you do, man. They're Xbox first party studio soon. But yeah, really? Yeah. Are they? I thought everything's going to be multi-plat. That's what mm. people tell me. Hmm. Guess we'll have to wait. Anyways, so, in the latest episode of Grub Snacks, uh, Jeff basically said that there are internal discussions going on at Microsoft and Obsidian and Bethesda about the idea of Obsidian working on Fallout New Vegas 2, which seems like, yeah, why wouldn't you do that, right? Because they're working on Avowed, which is going to be coming out next year. Cross our fingers, right? We'll see it again this year, gameplay with a date in 2023. Then they got Josh Sawyer's game potentially coming out this year. If not this year, then next year. Grounded supposed to hit the 1-0 release. Uh, they're also working out of Worlds 2, which is, I think, a set for uh, 2024, right, Jez? Like, around that time yeah. frame? Something like that, yeah. And then the question is, like, what do they do after that? Well, now that you own Bethesda and you own the Fallout IP, people have – people people love Fallout New Vegas. And people have wanted a sequel for quite some time. And we know, looking at Bethesda Game Softworks kind of cadence, that you got Starfield – Crossing our fingers this year, November, November 11th, 2022. Um, but then probably at least four years, if not more, for Elder Scrolls Six. We know that's the game they're working on after that. So you're looking at like 2026 for the next Elder Scrolls. And then, okay, well, Fallout 5, probably another four years. So you're looking at 2030, which is quite some time away, assuming there isn't any more pandemics or things happening in the world to delay game development, right? Yeah. So why not have Obsidian make a Fallout game to kind of bridge that gap? You know, after maybe they finish Avowed, maybe if the team wanted to, be like, you know what, let's let's do a Fallout New Vegas 2, so at least there's a Fallout game before an actual, you know, Fallout 5. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I'd be totally down for that. As long as this is something Obsidian wants to do, uh... I would totally be down for that. What about you? Yeah, I um, Obsidian made a better Fallout game than um, Bethesda did, to be honest. I think Fallout, personally, I don't know if you agree with this, Ryan, but I think Fallout New Vegas is the best one. Do you agree with that? Um, Hello? Uh, Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Um... 
I oh, the only Fallout game I've ever played is three. I didn't play four, and I haven't played New Vegas. God, I told you I'm not. Me, I told you I'm not. I'm not the biggest me. fan of Fallout, man. I always you tell people that. Me, I'm an Elder Scrolls guy. That. I'm an Elder Scrolls guy. But they're kind of similar, no? Uh, not really. I don't know. I just don't really care for the post-apocalyptic stuff. It's not my bag. Okay, well that's fair. But um, I don't know. I, as an RPG. I think Fallout New Vegas was the best one. Like, you could kill every single NPC in the game without breaking the game. Like, you could you could ally with any faction, even the evil ones. You could, you could do anything in that game. It was closer to, like, Oblivion with how, how detailed uh, the stuff you could do in the game was. Like, ev- there were so many different outcomes of different quests, different NPC interactions, and just tons and tons of RPG goodness, which just wasn't present in Fallout 4. Fallout 4 went, like... I don't, I, I don't want to describe it as Far Cry-esque, because that would be really harsh. But um, it, it sort of it went double down on the shooter stuff and it improved the shooting mechanics a lot, but the questing in it was really bad. I thought the questing in Fallout 4 was really poor and unmemorable, and none of your decisions mattered, and they sort of went for this dialogue tree system where it was like almost Mass effect where you had four options. Two of them would be yes sometimes, and two of them would be no and they'd all lead to the same outcome. It, it was like, it was just poor. It was poorly done, I think. Um, they sort of lost their roots a bit on what made a good RPG, and that sort of, even though Fallout New Vegas was panned at launch, and a lot of people forget this, but Fallout New Vegas was buggy as hell as launch, and I'm not just talking about, like, primary stuttering here and there. Like, you'd walk into a house, and the, the, there'd not be a floor, and you'd just fall through and die. You know, there's loads of bugs in that game. Uh, just crashes. I don't think I've ever crashed in a game as much as I crashed in that one. Just constantly crashing left, right, and center. But in the subsequent months after its launch, they patched it up and fixed it up. And, and now it's like held up as this example of um, how good those games can be in a world where, you know, the, they focus on the RPG mechanics and stuff. And... um so a lot of people rem- like this idea of Obsidian tackling Fallout again. And I think it's good for two reasons. A, Obsidian, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I think Obsidian does humor better than Bethesda does. Bethesda's really good at the sort of more serious RPGs, like Elder Scrolls and stuff. But Obsidian, like, they're really good at that sort of sarcastic kind of humor that I think Fallout needs. And I don't know if Bethesda really sort of still has it in them to do that kind of stuff. I could be wrong about that, but I don't know. I think Obsidian does that better. And um, also, uh, Obsidian really knows how to make a branching narrative. Like, they're really good at that stuff. Like, even though they had a pretty small budget for the Outworlds, they did a great job. And I think the Outworlds had a better RPG stuff in it than Fallout 4 did, even with, like, a fraction of the budget. That being said... um, Oh, yeah, and the other reason I wanted to bring up was, uh, who the hell is making Fallout 5? There's, like, basically nobody to make it. So, like, why don't you just have, why not just have Obsidian do it at this point? And they, instead of just doing Fallout New Vegas 2 or something, or, or like, their take on a creation engine RPG, why not just let them make Fallout 5 altogether? Because who else, who at Bethesda's making Fallout 5? 
you got half of the Bethes- one big Bethesda team on um, Starfield and probably Starfield DLC, and then you'll have another team working on the Elder Scrolls for the next million years. And I think we discussed this on the podcast before. Are we going to be waiting like 10 years for Fallout 5 if we wait for Bethesda to do it? So maybe after Revowed, maybe after Our Worlds 2, we get all of Obsidian working on Fallout 5. I would totally be down for that. And um, But ultimately, it depends if Obsidian want to do that at the end of the day, because it's their studio. And I think I think it makes more sense for them to do Fallout New Vegas 2. And then, like, New Vegas, or or do you mean, like, I don't know. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for Obsidian to do Fallout 5. Why not? Because people wanted a sequel to New Vegas for I don't know how long, and if you could actually give it to them, I think it's what people want. I think, and I think people would be well, happy with. They want to go, but is it that they want to go back to Vegas specifically, or do they just want the Obsidian to do Fallout? Because I don't, they haven't, they haven't done that before, where they go back to the same place that they've already been to. They've not done that before, so I don't know. That's kind of weird to me. So you're, you you want you you think it'd be better for them to actually do Fallout Five? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Because like we've we've already seen we've already seen for we've already seen New Ve- uh, Vegas and um we've already seen Nevada. Like take take Fallout to a new place now. Like that's usually how it goes. Like every game is in a new city or a new a new a new region or whatever. Like that could do I don't know. Fallout Not Chicago. Fallout Chicago, yeah, there you go. Well, it doesn't um, necessarily have to be New Vegas, Vegas too. What, what if, yeah, I mean, they could go somewhere else. So, but then it would be Fallout 5, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be a spin-off. I don't know. Well, we're also assuming this this is happening. I mean, it sounds like this is years and years away, so even if they do start working on it after Avowed and after Outer Worlds 2, you're probably even still looking at, like, just as long for Fallout 5 from Bethesda. I mean, if if you figure the Avowed team starts working on it after 2023, say they start working on it in 2024, probably takes three years. You're probably still looking at 2027, 2028. So you're you're just it's the, the <laughs> it's just a long time, right? And then what happens if Starfield becomes big? Like if Starfield becomes the next huge IP, do you do you do Elder Elder Scrolls Six? And then do Starfield two afterwards, and just can't, and just kind of sit Fallout like, you know, what if Starfield becomes that big and people want to sequel to that? Are they gonna are you gonna keep them waiting forever? Because uh, they they have to figure that stuff out. But the other thing I think Jeff speculated about was um, the remaster situation. Uh, you know, we talked previously about Gears essentially getting a remaster potentially maybe next year. Um, maybe yeah. in 2024. Yeah, like Gears Collection. But didn't it's already been remastered, hasn't it? Am I well, like the it? Phoenix, the Phoenix, uh, the Phoenix, you know, like remastering Gears One, Two, and Three. But they already remastered one. No, one, or, one is, but not two or three, and not Judgment. Remember, this was this was a rumor. This was a rumor that uh, our buddy Special Nick over at Xbox Air brought up. Uh, I think Jeff talked about it a little bit more, even though he was speculating on it. And he said, you know, it sounds like, you know, might be happening. But then he also mentioned, like, Fallout remasters hmm. as well, which is, I think, something me and you said should probably happen, considering there's not going to be a Fallout game for some time. You might as well remaster 
Fallout 1, 2, 3, and 4 and put them out in a big collection. Because why not? I mean, you, you own the IP. You might as well do it. Might as well get some something out of it so people who love Fallout have something to play for the next eight years. <laughs> next eight years. God, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy when you put it that way. And you, it is literally going to be eight years. But, um, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I just, I just wonder, like, how they're going to go about it. Like, how do you, re- how do you remaster, like, some of this stuff? Um, because the create, the creation engine is weird. Like, are they, are they literally just going to port it, port the game to, or just rebuild it on the new creation engine or something? Because one of the things about the creation engine is that it's sort of designed for these, like, rapid deployments of handcrafted open-world RPGs, basically. So one of the reasons the games are so big is that the engine's supposedly easy to iterate on when it comes to adding content, which is like, like you know, Fallout 76, love it or hate it, they built that world pretty damn quickly, and it's, it is a huge, huge map, like Fallout 76, even if you're not into the game. Um, so, I don't know. I just think, I just want more Fallout, man. I don't care how I get it, when I get it, stuff like that. Just make it. Just no. get, give me more Fallout. You do Fallout. care about when you would get it. Well, probably, considering, you know, it could be think years. Think about it, you'll be, years. You'll, be, you'll be 50 by the time, you uh, know, you get a new Fallout game. Yeah, it's exa- yeah. Maybe I'll be just too damn old to actually play these kind of games anymore. Yeah, but I'm I'm okay though. I'm okay for games at the moment. Do you know why, Rand? Why? I got into Souls likes now. Yes, you and have. And I've got I got millions of them to play, and because they're so hard to play, it's going to take me months to actually get through any of them. <laughs> you know, there's that. Yeah. There is that. Uh, DB Cooper says so. Gabe New apparently has said he would like to see Game Pass on Steam. Thoughts. Yeah, yeah he I did. Said, um, yeah, he said. He said. Uh, wasn't he talking specifically about Steam Deck, or am I wrong about that? No, he, he was talking about Steam because he was asked if, like, yeah. if the Steam was interested in ever making their own subscription service. He said no, but then he said he would. He he has no qualms about like helping Microsoft get Game Pass on Steam, which is something I've been saying Microsoft needs to do since yesterday, because. Uh, I hate to say it, but nobody wants to use your Windows Store, Microsoft. <laughs> nobody. Like, is then the Microsoft Store is bad, right? I, I don't. I, here's the thing: I don't even use it, and all I hear about from my friends who do is how horrible it is, which is odd considering Microsoft's a software company, and they've had years and years and years to make their Xbox app on PC actually usable, and they've struggled with it. And to the point where, like, nobody wants to use the Windows Store for Xbox games, even though they're free through Game Pass. And if I was Xbox, I'd be like, you know what? I'd be I'd be dying at the chance of putting Game Pass on Steam. Dying at the chance. Yeah. I don't know yeah, what, like, sort of concessions um, you'd have to give Steam, if it would have to be a strictly first-party Game Pass where it's just, like, first-party games and no third-party stuff or whatever, but, like, you want to talk about growth? You want to talk about new subscribers? The PC market is Steam, which, you know, I know people will be like, with the Monopoly or whatever, but, like, more Monopoly simply because that's it grew to be that, right? 
even though there are other launchers out there and other storefronts, but like mainly people use Steam. I would be jumping at the chance to get Game Pass on Steam, personally. Yeah, I think I think they definitely should put it on Steam. Like, um, it's hard to deny that Steam has got the software maturity. Like, I'm not a big fan of Steam's interface either. I think I think it's really bloated and inconsistent. Like, there's a lot of weird shit in the Steam. There's a lot of inconsistent design languages in Steam because it is old and it's got overlapping stuff. So, like, it's not the prettiest software in the universe, but unlike the Microsoft app, it actually worked, at least. So, you know, that is pretty important. And I do think, I do like the point you made, Rand, where it's like, even though, despite how good the value of PC Game Pass is, people still don't want to use it just because of how horrible the app situation is for that platform. Like, the PC Game Pass app is terrible. It's horrible. It's slow. It's clunky. It's ugly. It doesn't work properly. And they are sort of slowly updating it, but it's still a million years away from being anywhere near to what I would, I would call acceptable software for a PC platform. And it's hard, man. It is hard to keep up with, like, what Steam's done. Because they've, they've got, basically got to catch up to 15 years' worth of refinement from Steam. Like, Steam, of, Steam the launch version of Steam was nowhere near as good as it is now. But I don't know why, I don't know why they don't just, I don't know, take it a bit more seriously. But I've, I've heard that, like, one of the issues the PC Game Pass app has is that there's a, there's a sort of organizational rift, like, a, there's almost a political, corporate political problem, because the, the Windows Store team, they're responsible for part of it, and the Xbox team's responsible for another part of it. And they have to sort of wait for each other. And then you've got, like, middle managers who are, like, protective of their turf or whatever. And ultimately, it leads to a worse product for the um, for the end user. Because, let's face it, there are, there are a few services that, you know, have as big ambition as there is versus how good the quality of the service is than the PC Game Pass app. So, and there's another there's another aspect to this. That is probably worth mentioning. But Bethesda announced that they're shutting down their app and putting all their stuff on Steam as well. Yeah, their and, launcher, right? Yeah. So you have to you have to sort of assume Microsoft was involved in that decision, right? So is there is there a future where Microsoft just goes all in on Steam and just like you know what, screw the Windows Store, it's terrible. Let's just start put. Let's just get the games off the Microsoft Store. Leave that to be productivity apps or whatever. And just, you know, focus on supporting Steam. I think there is, like, a, there's probably a dream somewhere in Microsoft to one day own Steam as a company. I imagine that's something Microsoft will want to do one day. Because, you know, it's a pretty significant part of the value of Windows, is Steam, these days. And uh, then, then we can really start talking about Monopoly. Yeah, you want to talk about people worried about Activision Blizzard being a monopoly and all this stuff. Imagine if they bought Valve. I think people would be losing their minds, uh, and somehow I, I think in this current climate, I don't know if that would pass. Yeah, it'd be it'd be many years down the line before we got to that got to that point. But um, you know, I'm talking like I'm talking decades in the future. You know, 
But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I, increasingly, I think like it's a good thing for Microsoft to invest in Steam because Steam and Windows they're like symbiotic, right? I know Steam has its uh, you know Steam, its Linux stuff and its Proton and you know the Steam OS, but I think like it helps ultimately helps Microsoft if they have a good relationship with Steam because you know Steam could just go all in at Linux and like maybe the Steam Deck really takes off. Because like you know, you know, reviewers are raving about it. Miles Miles has one on Windows Central, um, and he was like saying how good it is and stuff. And I saw one. I think it was Jeff Grubb actually who said it was the best gaming PC ever made, the best pre-made gaming PC ever. Which is you know, it's, it's a pretty that's a pretty that's pretty high praise, right? You're talking you're talking about companies like Alienware and stuff that have been doing it for decades, and Razer investing millions and millions of dollars and then Steam just comes in and like, yeah, we we own PC gate we own P, pre built PCs now. Because it's not just a handheld, you can dock that thing. You can plug it into your T V. You know? If you're if you're someone who's like I wanna play PC games but I don't want to spend a crap load of money but I also wanna, you know, play games on my T V, you can dock the Steam Deck, like a Nintendo Switch. It's a really, really great piece of hardware, you know? And um I think, obviously, Microsoft would want to get PC Game Pass on there, but, like, will they? Will they do it? Or will Microsoft make its own handheld? Because that's another, you know, aspect of this. Because I've heard, like we said on this show before, I've heard that Microsoft has been experimenting with handheld devices. Um, will that actually take off and do anything? I have no idea. But, you know. It'd be interesting if they believe. tried. It'd be interesting if they yeah. actually tried to make a handheld. Like an actual proper handheld. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, do you need a proper handheld if you could get Game Pass on Steam? And people can use the Steam Deck as a Game Pass uh, sort of thing, you know? Because mm. if Game Pass was there, well, like that would be a perfect way to get a lot of people to access it. And that would be your, your mobile device. I don't know. I, I think they should try to do whatever they can to get that service on Steam, because I don't re- maybe I'm a little bit uh, pessimistic on Xboxes and Microsoft's chances to kind of break into the PC market with their own app. Yeah, it's going to take great games, and Starfield's going to be big on PC, but I think even with you offering it on Game Pass Day 1, I think most people, most PC gamers are going to look at Windows 10 Store and be like, no, no thanks, I'd rather actually spend $60 and play it on Steam. And, you know, if that's, <laughs> if if you're looking at the PC market as like, well, this is a growth vector for Game Pass, but unfortunately the consumers on PC don't want to use our store, we might have to like do something about that. I don't know, I'd be putting, I'd be putting, if Gabe, if Gabe said no, he'd be like, ah, oh, whatever, but like Gabe's like, yeah, I help out. I'd be, I'd be like moving, trying to move heaven and earth to get that on, you know, to get Game Pass on Steam before Elden or before uh, Starfield came out at the end of the year, because then yeah. you could have you could have like you know like I think Fallout Four was one was one of the top um, most played games like current like you know concurrent users uh, I think it was like in the top ten or top fifteen like if you had Starfield and it reviewed well and people could buy it and they could subscribe to play it like you're you're talking starfield could be you know 
million concurrent users, something like that, and you could see the power of Game Pass on PC. Uh, and then it only sells itself, so I think that's something they need to do. Uh, Widia says, have you guys played Grid Legends yet? Um, no, I haven't. And I don't think Jess has either. I don't think Jess is very interested in uh, Grid Legends. That? It's a racing game from Codemasters. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm not racing, dude. Yeah. 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 Uh, Jabar says, hello, Jez and Rand. Question, request for Jez. Why does the Xbox YouTube why is the Xbox YouTube channel so bad? Videos always upload late, still waiting for Soul Hackers 2 to be uploaded. Why? Videos always have hidden and low views. It's uh you know what? I've actually noticed that myself. Like sometimes I look at the I look at the official Xbox YouTube and it's like, man, these some of these videos only have like, you know, not four-figure views. You know, it's it's weird. Like, I don't, I don't know why. Maybe they're just not investing in it that much anymore. I, I honestly don't know. I couldn't say. Well, I don't um, think they can put up anything they want. I think they got to be sent the content. So, like, a video for Soul Hackers Two would have to be sent to them by Atlas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't just put up whatever they want. And yeah, I don't know. I mean. It, it, the videos on PlayStation's YouTube channel will all, will have more because PlayStation has more subscribers on their YouTube channel. Then you get into the subscriber game, right? Uh, who has more subscribers usually have, like, more views. Um, and sometimes uh, Xbox fans just aren't interested in certain type of content. So if you're not interested in watching uh, a trailer for a JRPG on the Xbox YouTube channel, you're not going to watch it, you know? So it's going to have low views. It's kind of how it is. Uh, Dave Lopez says, do you think Starfield will be 60 FPS on the Series S, Jez? Uh, yeah. I'm just going to throw a prediction out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, but it depends on what you, how you define the 60 FPS. It's like, you know, technically Elden Ring can do 60 FPS, but right now I'm riding through Limgrave and there's a storm whipping up. All the trees are dancing around and it, it does look like it's dipping to like 50 maybe. Um, but you know, I I'm not someone who obsesses over you know fixed frame rates and stuff. If if like if like um, I'd rather have the trees dancing around and the the you know the the emotion of the scene be preserved over getting an extra ten frames per second. But that's just me. Um, but yeah, I think they they will aim for sixty frames. They have to, right? Are you sure? Hmm. I mean, because. I, you know, I think we talked about it before, but are we absolutely sure that they're even aiming for 60 frames with Starfield on the Series X? What, what if they just do your filmic 4K30 and they don't even have a performance mode? I cannot for the life of me see that being possible. Maybe they'll do like 1080, like 1440p or 1080p 60. There will definitely be a 60 frames a second mode. Like There better be. People will riot, like... You're right, right, Rand? You're right. I will not... I am over 30 frames per second at this point. So, yeah, I would be incredibly disappointed if Starfield came out and was like, you know, we wanted to cram as much visuals into the game as possible, so we're going to, you know, maintain 30 frames. I would be very disappointed in God Howard. God Howard. So, yeah, I mean... 
But th- does it have it for the Series S? You know, Series S is kind of missing 60 frames mode uh, for Dying Light 2, I believe it was, right? Um, well, does, they did say they're gonna they're working with Microsoft to see if they can get that off. Yeah. Does Elden Ring have a 60 frames mode on Series S? Uh, ooh, good question. I actually don't know. I actually have no idea. It's actually really annoying, right? Because, like, Windows Central doesn't... We don't have an office. So, like, we don't have, like, a testing lab like Digital Foundry or anything like that. So, like, most of it, we, we work out of our offices and our, and our own personal setups. And a lot of us don't have, you know, the room to have two consoles or the money even. So, we just, we just never test the Series S version, which really sucks. But um, I need to find someone who can do that for us, maybe. Oh, Rand is... Uh, Randall. Yes. <laughs> Rand addressing addressing someone. In yeah, the I was muted. Who's that? No, you weren't muted. Well, I was I oh, was well. muted to them. You were from the stream. I was muted oh. for them, but not to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now they know. <laughs> I was just talking about it. But, uh, oh yeah. Well, anyway. uh, where was I? I don't know. Talking. Well, I was lamenting the fact that I can't test the Xbox Series S versions of games because. Uh, there's a lot of people who use the Xbox Series S as their main console, and I have just honestly very little idea of how it's handling a lot of these modern games. I did have it for a while, and um, I had it was my only console in Germany for a while, but then Chivalry 2 was 30 frames on Series S, and I was like, I've got to get a Series X now. I've absolutely got to get a Series X somehow. Luckily, someone was kind enough on Twitter to sell me those, but I don't know. Um... Break Tundra has been a member for nine months. Says without question, New Vegas is the best Fallout game, and dare I say, top three RPGs of all time. So he, he speaks very highly of of the game. Break Tundra also says. Also, I think when people say New Vegas two, I think what they want is just a continuation of Obsidian's New Vegas, which was closer to the original Fallout one and two, and you get like yeah. Fallout California, et cetera, et cetera. So, not necessarily not you know New Vegas, but like. An Obsidian made Fallout game. Um, okay. And we got two new members of the channel. We got Jordy, Xbox Era. Thank you for uh, hitting that join button supporting the show. And uh, Edward Salazar for becoming the newest member. Thank you guys both uh, so much. We really appreciate you. And, um, you know, let's, let's talk about the. Um, let's talk about. <laughs> George says you, you guys better buy Soul Hackers 2 from Atlas. Uh yeah no not I'm definitely not gonna buy uh, Soul Hackers too definitely not I a will. game I but that's the thing like people will be like uh you need to buy this to show support you know we need to get at, like I don't care I don't buy games just to show support like I'm only wow. I only buy games if I'm interested in playing them I I don't I don't care about wow because like if I yeah, really wanted yeah. to. If I really wanted it, I'd just play Persona on PlayStation. I have the means to play Persona. Uh, I'm not buying. I'm not buying a game simply to uh, further the agenda of getting, uh, you know, Atlas games on Xbox because I just don't care, and that's not something I I want to spend my money on. Just, just admit that you're a hair, Rod. You're a hair. I'm sorry. I, I, why would yeah, I? Why would I buy a game if I'm not gonna play it? Maximum hair. Maximum hair. Why wouldn't you play this? Why would I? 
Because it's, it's cool. It's about hackers. and Actually, I have no idea what the game is, to be honest. It's a turn-based RPG, I guess. But don't, don't you think it's so random that Atlas supports Xbox with this game? Like, the game, like, very few pe- a franchise very few people have heard of. Why, why, like, why this game? It's so random, like... It is very you know, random, isn't it? Why not Shin... Well, they, they don't support Xbox with SMT or Persona. They support Xbox with this tiny franchise that not many people know about? That's, that's strange, man. Why is that strategy? It's really strange. But could this be a sign, Rand, of, of change? Could no. this be a sign that... that uh, No? No. I mean, is it a sign that Persona 6 is coming to Xbox? No. Oh, man. I think Persona 6 will be a PlayStation exclusive, just like the other Persona games. You are out here crushing people's dreams, Randolph 419, the man with a million. Yeah, I I do wonder, because the Soul Hacker game's not even even on the Switch, which is odd. And it's on Xbox? It's not? No, it's not. I don't think so. When I saw... So that's, that's that's weird, no? Yes, it's quite weird. That is weird. I mean, it's possible we see older Persona games come to Xbox, like four Persona Four Golden, and then maybe Persona Five at some point. But mm-hmm. a new Persona, I think, will be strictly you know a PlayStation exclusive whenever that does come out. Um, and I, I know I do. I do really like um, what everyone's everyone everyone's idle go to us in the chat. Atlas has no strategy; they're all on acid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is so weird that it's it's not on Switch because that looks like an ideal Switch kind of game. But whatever, it's just weird. And then Ed, Ed says, Stratis Microsoft dropped off a bag of dollars. I mean, do you think Microsoft paid for this? Do you, do you think Microsoft paid for Soul Hacker 2? Do you think this is like, literally like, content acquisition, a content acquisition deal? I don't so. know. I don't know, because I, I struggle to also think why the game's not on Switch. Did Nintendo not pay then? Yeah, maybe. It's weird, dude. I, I don't even, I don't even know. It's weird, bruh. It is It is definitely weird. Uh, Chiefman says, Fallout 3 versus New Vegas. Do a poll to settle this. Settle, like, settle what? Is there a big debate Fallout about three. Fallout, Fallout 3, 3 versus New Vegas? Yeah, do, do that in the chat. Put, do Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, and Fallout 4 in the chat. And Fallout 76. Why not? So like, as, what? As a poll. Which is the best? Which is the best Fallout game? 3... I mean, we won't we won't count two and one because they're very very different and you know turn but ter- well not turn based actually they are turn based aren't they I don't know they well they they're, they're not active battle they're, they're tactical strategy game RPG whatever but do do Fallout three New Vegas and Fallout four at least and see mm-hmm. see what people think is the best I suppose we can we can skip seventy six as well maybe no I mean I'll I'll put Fallout seventy six in there okay. Fallout 76. I'll uh, I'll also put that poll up on uh, on the Spotify as well when uh, we go. So for those who are listening after the fact, th- this poll will also be up on Spotify if you want to participate. Um, I'm gonna vote. I'm gonna vote in there myself. Wow. Anyways, uh, let's talk about your game of the year, Jazz. 
How do you know it's my game of the year? Because I, I know it's your game of the year. I don't, I don't even, I don't even need to go through the rest of the year to know what your game of the year is. It's, it's, it's Elden Ring. So, tell the people how you were so frustrated when you first started playing it and how you hated the game. I didn't, I didn't hate the game. No, you see, he's lying, people. He's lying to every single one of you because he was That's telling me about the game when he was playing it early for review and how much he didn't like it because he couldn't cheese it like he could other other Elden, uh, <laughs> Dark Souls games because he couldn't use his sorcerer to one-hit enemies and he couldn't use the oh, guide to find oh. out where stuff was. He was in my DMs complaining every single day <laughs> About how bad the game was, and how he wasn't having any fun, and how it was such bullshit, and how Miles down and PA you never said was five. Yes, you did. Yeah. I have the TMs to prove it. What are you talking about? You said it was bad. You said it was I'll, one of the I'll most frustrating games you've. And then you had to start That's over strange. because you didn't know what you were doing. Tell the people how you feel. I actually didn't start over. I stuck with my character. But what happened was, um. Basically, I fucked up my build really badly, and I know that now after the fact. But this is the thing: it's the first, it's the first Souls game I've played that has no sort of information out there about it. So I had to kind of figure it out myself. And what I did was I made a sorcerer, and I dumped a ton of points in intellect because I was thinking like intellect equals more damage, right? But it really doesn't in Elden Ring. Elden Ring kind of gates you by what weapons you have access to. And um, obviously, you can't get to the next area until you've killed a certain boss. Like, the game the game sort of... And Sekiro does this right round, where uh-huh. you can't, like... You have, to, you have to kill the boss to get to the next set of powers and skills and stuff like that, right? So, um, Elden Ring's the same way. It's like, you can put, like, a million points in strength, but... Ultimately, what makes you stronger is the weapon you're using. Or in Sorcerer's case, it's the, it's the spells you're using. And the spells you start with as a Sorcerer are absolutely terrible. They're really, really bad. They move slow. They don't, they're not very accurate either. They've got really poor turn, turning circle. They're really frustrating to use. So I was kind of like, it was a massive struggle to figure out without any help online, how to play a sorcerer. And, um, but, I cracked it. I bloody well cracked it. I just went off into the world, explored, found a load of new spells hidden around, killed different bosses, found a load of cool stuff. Um, eventually I did find an upgrade staff, but what was crucial above all else was finding the bloody spells. So there were spells that were so much more powerful than what you start with. And then I became a machine gun. And like running around just blasting people with giant comets and all kinds of crazy stuff now. There are so many tools in the game to play. And if you ever if you ever if you ever think I've realized in Elden Ring, if you ever think something is bullshit, generally there is something in the game that will help you overcome the bullshit. Like, there'll be a consumable you can use that might, that a monster is weak to, or there'll be a, a spell that's specific for dealing with specific situations. Like, one of the issues I had was enemies using shields, because none of my spells could penetrate their shields. But later on, 
you get a spell that appears behind the enemy and shoots them in the back, which is clearly designed to be, to deal with, uh, you know, dudes with a shield. So, so yeah, when I first started Elden Ring, my God, I was frustrated as hell. I died more times on the first boss of Elden Ring than all of the bosses I fought in Dark Souls 1 and 2 combined. And I was just like, what the hell is this game? Like, it's absolutely brutal. But I cracked it, and now I love it. I've got 80 hours in the game in a week. I have never, I have not played a game this hardcore in years. Um, you know, just constantly playing it. And it's not even like grinding. There's just so much to do. The open world is so damn dense. Every, like, few meters, there's like a cave or a quest or something to do. And um, I love it. I love it now. But you haven't played it that much yet. Like, what are your super early impressions? Because, um, you know, you've only played it for a few hours, right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've only played it for a few, but I'm going to get a couple of uh, these super chats in here. Uh, Eduardo says, Hey, Rand, fellow Chicago in here. First time making you making your live, but listen religiously. Twitter is at Eduardo Salas is 07. Jez blocked me. Can't make it live, but try to support through engagement. I DM'd you sorry. Says you're blocking everybody. What's up with that? Oh, man. The block button's been getting a workout this week. Um, I don't know. I'll look into it. I'll look into it. Yeah. You know how many people come to me and be like, hey, Jez blocked me. Can you do something about it? And I normally do. But like, yeah, no problem. I'll, and I'll be like, hey, you blocked this person. And then you'll be like, okay, but you do have a lot of block. You do block a lot of people, Jez. It's because I just I get so much crap thrown my way. I just have like a really low tolerance threshold. Like if I if I didn't block everyone, I think I'd go mad. So like, at the first sign of trouble, I'm just like, I can't deal with this. And just mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll and, and I'll think like, I'll look, I'll examine it later, and I'll this, I'll, you know, I'll come back to this later or whatever, but. I don't know. Uh, Felipe says, Fallout 76 is underrated, especially with FPS boost. Um, Eduardo says, I promised I wasn't bad or toxic. I can prove I always engage and post what you guys have to say. You two have introduced me to community. Sorry, Jez. And Supernova says, what does John Johannes do? Five years passed since the release of Evil Within 2 at this conference. Do we know what John is developing? Uh, you have any idea? Evil Within 3, Jez, perhaps? Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I, w- I would love it to be able to do three, but I honestly don't know. Yeah. Don't know. I'm and uh, as for the poll, uh, what is the best Fallout game? Fallout New Vegas is currently winning with 250 votes. 52% say Fallout New Vegas is the best. 25% say Fallout 3. 18% say Fallout 4, and 6% say Fallout 76. So, <clears throat> Elden Ring. Um, Elden Ring. Elden Ring, Elden Ring, Elden Ring. Uh, so, my... Uh, so, Xbox sent me a code for Elden Ring. And I was like, okay, yeah. They asked if I wanted one, and I said, sure. So, thank you to Xbox for... Sending me a code over to, to try out the game. So I was like, all right, well, you know, I got the game. I might as well play it. And 
it's going to be a surprise, Jez, because I love Sekiro. I think I've told you before, and I've said on the show, I adore Sekiro. It was my game of the year 2019, and it did win game of the year at the Keeleys. I love that game. And I have played Bloodborne, and I do like Bloodborne quite a bit. However, I remember when I first played Dark Souls, back when it originally came out, I wasn't a fan because I'm not the biggest fan of the slow, uh, methodical pace that the game has, right? Um, it's never really jived with me, right? Um, and this is going to be weird to say because as of right now, I am loving Elden Ring, it's oh. odd. <laughs> it, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, you know, everybody has their 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 rituals, right? Everybody has what, you know, like when I, my day pretty much is like I'll get up, I'll look around on the Internet, I'll search for things that maybe I can make a video about, and I make a video, I talk to some of my friends, I get online to play Xbox, and after a few hours on Xbox, you know, I'll I'll jump on Netflix or I'll, you know, like watch a show, right? And then usually mm. once that's over, you know, I go to bed and rinse and repeat. And, you know, recently I've been reading a lot of books, so sometimes that takes place of the video games. But for the most part, that's how usually uh, <laughs> my, my day goes, is usually I watch some TV before I go to bed. But so last night I watched... I think like the third and fourth episode of the new season of Ozark on Netflix. And for the first time, and I don't know how long, this is like 3 o'clock in the morning, I loaded up Xbox and got back on Elden Ring. Wow. It was just, I don't know, it was like in my head. Like I was just like, I want to go explore more. And so even though I'm not the biggest fan of Dark Souls, and even though that this is basically open world Dark Souls 4, there's just something about it that is more refreshing than the previous Star Souls games. Maybe it's the idea of, like, I don't have to do this if I don't want to, where in the previous games you were sort of maybe forced through a path. Uh, yeah. You couldn't, like, go anywhere else, and it was like, okay. And I know there is going to be the path you have to go to, but, like, I've played for, like, six hours, and I'm just like, hey, I'm going to go all the way out 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 to the west, and I'm just going to explore, and I found a cave, and I, I fought a boss, and, you know, got a, a cool uh, piece of, like, shield, and I'm just, I think I'm, like, level 23, and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of what the game offers. It's incredibly odd um, for me to feel like this. I did feel like it with Sekiro, so this isn't the first time that I've felt that way with the From Software game, but... Is this something that's going to last forever? I don't know. But right now I am incredibly impressed with what the game, how the game's structured and how it presents itself. How it's basically like the opposite of a Ubisoft open world game. You know, there isn't like, you don't open up the map and are just inundated with like things, all icons all over the map where it's like, okay, I can do this, 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 oh. this. Like you know what um Je what Jeff Jeff Grobe on Chatterdays on Xbox Chatterdays he described uh, Far Cry and stuff as a map game and I thought that was 
That is an incredibly great way of summarizing what Ubisoft games have become. They're just loads of icons that you have to check off, like an arbitrary checklist, and it it feels more like work than fun. I don't know. No, and maybe like back in 2012 when Far Cry 3 did it for the first time, it wasn't that big of a deal because it hadn't been done so many times yet. It was like, oh, this is cool because it's new and it's refreshing and it's exciting, right? Yeah. But then, like, when every game copies the Ubisoft open world formula and every open world game that you play since then does it, you're like, man, I'm tired of checklists. And then you get from software and they do an open world game and it's just like, here's a map that you have to find and, well, I don't know, there might be something over in the corner over there and you go you, you go down in the water and a freaking dragon lands there and starts killing everybody, right? That wasn't, like, you could you could completely miss that. Right, and then you get in the party with my friends, and they were talking about like our experiences and how everybody's experience was completely different. Like my one of my my buddy Maka, I think had played for eight hours and hadn't gotten the uh, the the ashes tutorial yet, or whatever, <laughs> because he didn't find it. And like my buddy Magic completely, my buddy Magic played for like three or four hours and didn't even get the steed, and couldn't oh even upgrade God. or whatever. So it's like the idea is is that, like, we're all in a party and we're all talking about this game and everybody has a different experience. Like, I'm, like, there. what happened to you? I'm like, well, I went down this water thing and I got teleported in a chest and all of a sudden I'm in this crystal cave with these millipede, centipede-looking, you know, dudes and I'm just getting wrecked. I'm like, what is going on? And then I finally escape and I come out of this cave and, like, the sky is just completely red. It's like... The apocalypse has happened. I'm like, this doesn't happen in any other games or look like this. It is, I don't know, man. It is, it is refreshing. I guess is the word I'll, I'd use for it. Um, yes. Combat is still very much Dark Soulsian. Uh, it can be a little clunky at sometimes. Uh, but for right now, I don't know. I just, it just. Like, Sekiro's combat was, like, so much more engaging and so much better. But it had to be because that's what the game was. It was an action game. Like, I don't know. Like, the combat in this, the combat in the, I've always felt this combat in Dark Souls games were just kind of, just clunky. Was it uh, more, more fine-tuned? I don't know. I think, I think as you play it more, you'll change your opinion on that because they are incredibly, these games are incredibly precise and deliberate in how they sort of, they work. So, like, what you think is clunky is actually you doing something wrong. I guarantee it. Like, you might not like me telling you that, but I'm telling you right now, there is nothing clunky about the combat in this game. Like, everything in it is deliberate. So, if you're, like, if you're, if you're, like, doing something in, in, in the game and thinking, oh, man, this is, this is, there's something wrong with this, you're probably doing something wrong. I promise you. What you really have to approach you really have to approach this more like a hobby. You have to approach it like you're playing a musical instrument. Like every weapon is like, it's like Monster Hunter really. Like every weapon has a unique set of animations, a unique range, a unique amount of poise damage they do. And what you think of as clunky is actually just something that requires practice and requires knowledge. Like, I'm playing the game right now, and I just got killed by some dogs, 
in the corner of the room because they keep, they're so bloody small and my claymore just goes over their head when I'm trying to hit them. So, like, is that clunky or could I equip a different weapon to deal with these smaller enemies? I don't know. Yeah, but you're playing, playing a sorcerer. Totally you're playing a sorcerer, though. That's, like, easy mode for Dark Souls. No, I no no no. I'm, I've I've got two characters, and right now I'm playing I'm playing um. Right now I'm playing a dude who's doesn't even use a shield. I'm using a claymore. I'm using the two anti claymore, and um, that's all I'm using. And uh, I'm trying to make like a dragon. I'm trying to make um. Dovahkiin from uh, uh, Elder Scrolls, basically. I killed the dragon. I got the dragon's heart. And then I found the I found the, the Church of Holy Dragon Communion or whatever, and I've unlocked the ability to turn my face into a dragon, and I can breathe fire and everything. Um, if you go on my Twitter, you'll see a clip, a crazy clip of this spell, which is just ridiculously powerful. It deals absurd amount of damage. It covers the whole room in fire. It's amazing. They they give you like I don't want to spoil it too much, but like. In Dark Souls 1, you, there was like this whole sort of system where, you know, you kill a boss, you get the boss soul, and then you can take that to a blacksmith, and you can get like the bosses, you can get weapons inspired by the boss. But in this, you don't just get the weapons, you get some of their abilities as well. And it's just crazy, some of the stuff that they let your character do. And you have to build up your character like like it's a musical instrument. It's, I, re, I really can't think of a better comparison. Like, because I'm a guitarist, right? I'm a bad, I'm a terrible guitarist. But every time, every time, like, I fight a new enemy, it's like it's almost like learning a new song. You have to like learn how best to approach this song with your particular playstyle of the guitar and all that kind of stuff. And um, I don't know. I really, I really usually, usually I'm like, yeah, I'll give people their opinion on stuff, but I can't. I can't let the opinion that the combat's clunky go because it is deliberately designed to be a certain way. And if you practice and learn all the different moves and the back steps and the and all that kind of stuff, you won't think it's clunky anymore. I promise. I mm. promise you. You just got to trial and error, it, man. I like I practice this bloody claymore thing over and over again, just spawning on a bonfire and, like, trying to figure out how the different moves work, because ultimately, if you can learn learn your weapon inside out, you're going to have a much better time in combat. Like, I know, I know, for example, like, if I, if I swing at the, one of these enemies and they hit me, they're not going to stagger me. But then these heavier, these heavier enemies with two-handers, if I, if I swing at them and they hit me, I'm going to get stunned. So, like, I have to approach the, the combat with them a little differently. I don't know. It's really hard to describe in a sort of succinct kind of way. But, but yeah, it's it's not a game you can just... It's not a game you can just sit there and play for fun. Which sounds like a weird way to describe a video game, because video games are meant to be fun, right? But, increasingly, I see this as more... These Souls-likes as more of a hobby. And I think it's completely fine... If someone's like, well, I don't want my game to be a hobby. I just want I just want to sit there and have fun. And I think that's completely valid. Like, it's the reason why a lot of people don't get into MMOs is because they think it's gonna, this is going to be a job for me, you know. But I really do think 
unless you're a god, and some people are just insane, like they're super pro, and they don't find these kind of games hard because they've got like crazy reaction speeds. I think, I think um, they probably will be able to play it like it's just a normal game. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not pro, man. I'm really not pro. I find these games really hard, and I have to really think about what I'm doing, and I have to practice a lot. But when you do practice and when you do nail the combat, it feels so damn good. And that's why I don't want them to be changed, because you know. I have no, I have no issue with them adding like an accessibility mode, um, to help people with disabilities experience the game. But I don't think they need an easy mode because they're designed to be practiced. It's like we don't, there's no such thing as an easy mode guitar, you know, or an easy mode piano or an easy mode violin. You just have to learn how to do it. And that's the fun of it, is learning how to do it. I don't know. But that's how I'm kind of seeing it at the moment. Yeah, everyone's idol Goro says, Jez talks about From's games the way a hipster talks about art. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and but my... I, I think of it that way because I'm not pro. Like, I can't just... I can't just... I can't treat them like any regular game. Like, I can pick up a shit an FPS and play it straight away. Because it's it's all in my muscle memory, and all shooters basically play the same. You point your gun and shoot, right? But this is different. It's like Monster Hunter on steroids. Like in Monster Hunter, you have to learn every weapon. You have to learn every every boss's movements and stuff like that. But in this, there's just so many more bosses, and so many more enemies, and so many more different types of weapons. Like there's hundreds of weapons in this, whereas Monster Hunter has like, you know, basically 14 weapon types or something. Ah, so like a fighting game almost. I don't know. Yeah, Nightwolf says, Jez, I remember having to learn Monster Hunter's combat by each weapon style and learn the monsters. Would you say it's similar for Elden Ring? Yeah, it is. It is. Like, I think Monster Hunter, people who play Monster Hunter, they, they will get Elden Ring far quicker than people who are not really into those kind of games. And I think, like, that, that also is something that really helped me get into uh, Souls likes is the fact that I ended up getting addicted to Monster Hunter at one point because it is similar to Monster Hunter, you know. And I think like even From Software has said that Monster Hunter is an inspiration of theirs, you know, because obviously Monster Hunter precedes a lot of these games. But um, I don't know. They're not for everyone, right? It's like World of Warcraft isn't for everyone. Um, you're not into World of Warcraft, right, Rand? No. Um, I'm not. And, you know, I, I'm sure some people are probably like, wait a minute, you said you don't like Dark Souls, but you like Elden Ring, and you just said Elden Ring is Dark Souls. Yeah. I mean, Elden I started playing Elden Ring, and I thought to myself, this is Dark Souls 4. But there's this something about the open world and how it's presented that makes it much more exciting, to me at least, than previous Dark Souls games. Well, and, but then again, I also really enjoy Bloodborne, so... Maybe it has to do with, I don't know, the setting. I didn't care for Dark Souls 1, but I never played 2 or 3. There's this, it's, I even even though I die, I'll die. And I think even in this in the video that I recorded, like I died a couple times at a, at a boss fight or whatever. Like, I never got, I never get frustrated by that. I got a lot of patience. So it's like, okay, I die. Okay, let me figure out the guy's moves and 
ways ways to beat them. So uh, I don't know. Like I didn't. I wasn't sure I was gonna feel like this because I was talking to Miles, and even Miles was like, "Yeah, you're not gonna like this because you like." you don't like Dark Souls. And I'm like, okay. And then everybody's just like, yeah, you're not going to like this. You, you like Sekiro. And I'm like, maybe my expectations were so low for it because I went into the, with the mindset of, I'm not going to enjoy this game. And then when I actually started playing it and just like roaming around and doing different dungeons and, and progressing and, and I started to enjoy myself, maybe it's because I set my expectations so low because I thought, myself I wasn't going to like it you know like I think I've got a theory why you like it more than Dark Souls as someone who's just recently finished the second run of Dark Souls 1 I think like some of the things that are pointlessly punishing in Dark Souls are removed in this like one one of the things that I really appreciate them removing in this is having to rush back to a boss after you die to get your souls. Because most bosses in this, yeah, they're probably more complicated by Miles than Dark Souls 1. But you don't have to really invest a lot of stress into getting back to them because they are, uh, they almost always have a checkpoint right outside or a bonfire or whatever. Mm. What are they called in? Sites of Graves. Yeah, Sites of Graves, which there are a ton of in the game. Yeah, exactly. There's, like, way more bonfires. I'm just going to call them bonfires. I don't care that they're called Sides of Grace. They're still bonfires to me. But there's just way more of them. There's way more bonfires. Every boss, every little mini dungeon, um, every every single one has, like, a bonfire outside of it. And it, it's no, it's never a big effort or a big load of stress getting back to your souls. And I think in Dark Souls, um, especially Dark Souls 1, there were there were a few corpse runs that were absolutely brutal, like especially at the start of the game. Like if you died, and the, the bonfire would be like a mile away, and like yeah, it's it's not too hard to run back if you know what you're doing, but it's pretty easy to mess up and then get killed, and then it's like, wow, I just lost all that progression, and it sort of puts a unnecessary amount of stress on the player. So while yeah, you do drop your stuff in this too. It's it's more like, I don't know, it's not as stressful as Dark Souls. And um, maybe stress is the wrong word. It just, it, just, it just doesn't feel like it's such, I don't know, unnecessary bullshit, basically. I kind of feel like if, I, if I've managed to fight my way to the boss once, like, I don't really think it's, um, you know necessary for me to have to prove that I can do it again. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. We'll we'll see. i got to play more of it. We'll, I mean, by this time next week, I might be like, yeah, I'm done with the game. I, I'm, I'm bored of it or whatever. But after six <laughs> hours, I am very happy I started it. But I will. I do have to say that the other game I've been, I played, Jez, which I absolutely ended up adoring, is Sifu. And I think it's going to be... Like. I think it's going to be my 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 top five for the year. Like, you know, I'm not much for getting platinums on PlayStation because, you know, I don't really play a lot of games there outside of the exclusive. So, like, getting all the trophies for a game doesn't really it doesn't really strike me. Like, I don't really do that. Like, it has to be a game that I 
really enjoy. So I did it for like God of War 2018 because I love that game. It's a masterpiece. I really enjoyed Ghost of Tsushima, so I did it for that game. I also enjoyed uh, Astrobot, uh, the game that came with the PS5. I thought that game was a lot of fun. And I think I did it for the Pathless because I really enjoyed that indie game. So normally when I play a game on PlayStation, I do the bare minimum for trophies. Unless this is something that really speaks to me. Um, and it was Sifu, bro. Like, it is such an amazing game. And it's maybe the closest thing to uh, an experience like Sekiro that I've had, which may be why I like it so much. Because even though this is a martial arts game, what it has in common with 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 Sekiro is the idea of like breaking your opponent's structure and basically beating them, killing them without having to like get rid of all their health. And that's one of the things I really liked about Sekiro was the idea of like you don't really have to attack to beat somebody. You could essentially parry somebody to the point where they lose their stamina and then you can beat them. And some of that's also present in um Elden Ring, but my God, like Sifu is this is essentially a rogue a, a roguelike jazz, right? There's five levels, and when you play through the game, you have until like age 75 to beat it. And the game isn't long. Like right now, I've played it so much that I can beat the game without dying in 40 minutes, right? But clearly, you know, like 40 minute game. Well, that's not a lot to it, but like obviously the first time. I beat the game. It took me way longer than 40 minutes. It probably took me like six or seven hours. So the game is brutal in the beginning. Like, when you go into the game, you probably think, like, oh, this is going to be like Batman, where, like, I just counter these enemies as they attack me, and I can get through it. But it's not. The game is set up in this way where enemies are ultra-aggressive. They're constantly attacking you in uh, teams, and... The most important thing you'll, you'll, you'll learn about Sifu is the idea of, of dodging and avoiding. It's not necessarily so much about parrying. You know how parry where it's like, oh, you hit left bumper right when the attack's about to hit, right? But because all these things, you're getting attacked so much, the idea is to, like, weave all the attacks. So you hold left bumper and you you press, like, down on the joystick to dodge down or left and right. And you basically avoid all the attacks, and then you counterattack with your attacks. Hmm. So at first, when I played through the game, I got to the second level, and I couldn't get past it. I was getting my ass handed to me because I was playing it. I was playing the game like how I would play Batman, where, like, you know, you play Batman Arkham City, you attack enemies, and then they come to attack you, and then you parry them, or you counter them, and then you attack but that's not how this game works. It's a little bit different. And once I understood, like, the proper way to play the game, uh, the difficulty of the game was greatly lessened. But where I think a lot of people have an issue with the game and why they think it's so hard is because every time you die, so every time you die, so you start off at age 20, right? And you will get your ass kicked, and you will lose your health, and you'll die, and you'll come back to life, and you'll be 21, right? So you lose one one year of your life. But if you don't reset your death counter, right, so you died, your death counter is one. If you don't reset that, 
either by beating a really tough enemy or a group of enemies or resetting it at a shrine, which is kind of like your passive bonuses for this run in this in this version of the game, like like mm-hmm. kind of like a Hades or whatever. The next time you die, your death counter will be two. But instead of going from age 21 to 22, you're now going from age 21 to 23. And if you die again, which it's really common, especially the first time to when you fight these bosses, to die six or seven times. So if you die again and your death counter goes from two to three, well, now you go from age 23 to 26. You see what's going on here? So if you die a fourth time, now it's 26 to, to 30. And every time you hit one of those milestones, like age 30, age 40, age 50, you you do more damage when you attack, but you have less health. So what peop- what happens to a lot of people I've noticed is that they don't they don't equip they don't actually know how to properly defend, and then they let their death counter get up so high that they continuously die, and their death counter is at seven. So if your death counter is at seven and you're 52, the next time you die you're going to be age 60, and they run out of lives before they can get very far. And I don't know, like once I sort of felt comfortable enough with how to properly dodge and I unlock some moves, because the way the game is set up, it's like you're an XP as you beat enemies. And by the way, it's so much fun to play, Jazz. Like the, the martial arts, the animations, when you take out enemies, how the game looks, and I even thought the story was pretty interesting. It's just a fun, like I just, I never felt overwhelmed by it because I was having so much fun learning the game and taking down enemies um, and unlocking new moves, which you do by... It, it has this weird system where you unlock moves. Okay, so, like, you want to buy... I think maybe one of the most important moves in the game is, like, a strong sweep uh, that you... You have to spend 500 XP to unlock it, and then to permanently unlock it, you have to spend 500 XP five more times. So, in that run, if you don't permanently unlock it, you essentially, um, so no, how it works is, because now I'm, I'm thinking, it's like, if you per, if you unlock it and then say you buy two of the five uh, unlocks for it, the next time you go through, the two of the five will be done. But then you need to unlock it again and then buy the other three. But once you've permanently unlocked the move, you permanently unlocked it for, like, forever, essentially. Um, and because a run doesn't take that long, like I could beat level level one in like five minutes, you're going through it, and the more you play, the better you get. Like it just provided me with that feeling I've been missing since Sekiro, where I was replaying something to constantly get better at it, unlocking more moves, and I could see myself getting better to the point where I struggled. It took me a long time to beat level two, and then. I got to level three, and I couldn't beat it. But then the second time, I did beat it. And then I finally got to the final boss, and I beat the final boss. You know, I fought the final boss eight times, finally beat the game. And it's like, okay, there's a trophy for beat, for beating the game with less than five deaths. And I actually did that. Because I actually, every time I went to replay a level, I saw myself getting better. Like, I beat level one without getting hit. And I could beat the first boss without dying, and then et cetera. It's, and it's it was such a a satisfying experience uh, that I cannot recommend that game. And I I love Sifu, 
and I spent a lot of time playing it because even going for like the the sparing all the boss, it was just something I, I wanted to do everything the game had to offer. That's how much into that game I was. So, yeah, I think I think this is why you'll enjoy Elden Ring more because like <clears throat> I think you're probably more skilled than me at these kind of games. Like I I'm like. I'm not super skillful. These games do not come naturally to me. I have to practice a load. But that's fine for me, because I have, like, World of Warcraft blood, and, you know, I'm the kind of guy who, you know, spent weeks wiping on the Farium back in the day, while the whole 40 members of the raid had to learn the fight into muscle memory. So, like, I can approach Elden Ring and Dark Souls in a sort of hobby way and, like, accept that it's going to take a load of practice to get through it. But, like, if you're more skillful, because they've made a load of quality of life changes, like those bonfires, and being able to... You can teleport out of dungeons now, just from the map, which is really, really handy. I think, like, the the sense that Dark Souls is slow, I don't think that'll affect you as much as it, in Elden Ring because of those quality of life changes. So you can just spend more time playing the game, really than just, you know, walking around. And there's just so much to see. I don't know. But, yeah. <clears throat> see, like, I, I know I know, Elder Rings are going to be your game of the year, but, like, as of right now, Sifu's mine. And we'll see how, how Elden Ring gets up there, but I was just shocked by how much I, I loved El, uh, Sifu. And it was also fun because my buddy Magic and my buddy Gopher were playing at the same time. And we were all discovering it. Everybody's going for beating the game in under uh, five deaths. You know, you had to beat the game by age 25. And it was fun and exciting listening to them go through it and overcome it. Like, oh, I can't beat the level three boss. And then a couple times later, like, yeah, I fucking beat that bitch. She's dead. You know, like, I I didn't even die this time, right? And you always start out the next level at your, you know, the lowest age. So, like... You beat the club at, at age 20. You start the next level at age 20, and you know, like, okay, well, I can only die, like, one time before I get to the final boss. It was just – maybe it was the group thing because we were all supporting each other and listening to each other, uh, like, go through it and helping uh, everybody, like, kind of figure out mechanics. Um, like, we were having trouble with certain characters, and my buddy's like, you know, if you take this knife and if you stab him in the eye – you can hold Y with the knife and it'll instantly kill these tougher, like, mini-bosses. And we were like, what? And that made a lot of stuff easier. And then it was kind of each each one of us push, pushing each other to do it. It was like, okay, well, Magic beat the game, you know, dying only three times. It's like, well, now I have to do it, right? Like, because if he did it, then I, I, I can do it. So now I'm going to push myself even harder to do it because he can't be the only one to do it. You know what I mean? I get that. Yeah. But, yeah, I totally recommend Sifu. I think it's $40 on PlayStation and PC. Um, I think it's coming to Xbox at some point. They did say uh, it's a timed exclusive, but I don't know how long it's timed exclusive for. It could be a year. could be six months. I will say, though, if it does come to Xbox, I will replay that game again. Probably <laughs> it would be, be interesting to see if I started over fresh six months from now how fast I could beat that game. But um, That's that's the funny thing, too, about Elden Ring. Like, when I was bitching to you on, on DMs about how tough it was and how much issues I was having with it, like, Margit, the first major boss, 
when I did it as my sorcerer, when I didn't know what I was doing, it took me 20 attempts to kill him. But now, I just went, I ran there at level 1, took off all my armor, and killed him in two goes, naked, at level 1. So, you know, there's like, there's that sense too of, the pro- there's progression in the sense that you get better gear and all that stuff. But the practice, the practice is such a huge factor in overcoming some of these challenges. But you can push it even further because in this you can co-op. And like if you do get stuck on a dragon or a, you know, some random boss, I can just summon you into my game and you can help me out. No, you can't because well, I, I can't access online, bro. Yeah, okay, the online's broken right now. But you have to presume that hopefully by the end of next week it's fixed, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to presume that it'll be fixed. I put up a poll, Jazz. Is Soulsborne combat clunky? 57% says yeah. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. Yeah. Um, Eduardo, uh, he says, as a big Gears fan, I always feel Microsoft doesn't brand or praise Gears as they do Halo, especially in the documentary. Why is that? Phoenix equals Chief. Uh, because Gears is nowhere near on the level that Halo is. It's plain as simple as that. It's higher, right? No, Gears is... Gears is probably not even the top five franchises of Xbox anymore. Wow. Like, Minecraft, Elder Scrolls, Halo, Forza Horizon. Yeah, maybe maybe Gears is the bottom rung in the top five. You know, if Starfield hits, Gears probably knocked out of that. You know? I mean, you got a Fallout mm-hmm. TV show coming. You got a Halo TV show coming. Where, where's the Gears TV show? I don't know. And Batista even wanted to do it, but... What if it's... It might be in development, you never know. Maybe. Um, Just because... Because as much as Jez talks about Gears being big, it's really not. (laughs) It's really not. I know. It's a very small franchise. I know it's not super big. And, you know, I I, I played it for laughs a little bit. I know it's not as big as Halo. It doesn't have as much lore as Halo. It doesn't have as much... Probably as much potential as Halo. Like, how could you make a Gears Battle Royale like on Unreal Engine? I don't think you could do it. You know, there's there's a, there's a lot of barriers to Gears becoming a bigger franchise than it is, and um, you know, there's you know, a lot of reasons we could get into as to why that is fair or not. But I like it at the same time, and I do like think it has the potential to be that kind of you know a pillar franchise for Xbox in the sort of vein of God of War as a cinematic action game. I really do think if they, you know, enhanced Gears combat and just stopped relying on the same formula forever in perpetuity, like, the game the game gives you chainsaws, but you can only do one ability with the chainsaw. Like, why, why can't, why isn't there, like, more attacks with the chainsaw, for God's sake? You know, just stuff like that, just simple stuff. Um... But will they, can they build it out, or should it just be shelved? I don't know. But after playing, like, after playing Elden Ring and seeing what some of these other studios are doing to push out the variety of the, their, what you experience in their sandbox, increasingly I look at some of these other games and these other studios and just think, like, you know, there's just a huge amount of wasted potential out there. I don't know. Maybe that's fair, maybe it isn't. Um, 
That's think, how I feel about it. Do you think it's fair that Elden Ring has a 97 with some of the issues that are going on right now? But <coughs> I guess maybe a better question is, and since you're a reviewer, this goes to you, um, should you review a game that you haven't finished? Because that came up quite a bit in the Elden Ring reviews. That, you know, the the review segment or the review portion, uh, the review window for this game wasn't very long, right? Uh, it was pretty long. Well, I saw a lot of people complaining that they didn't have a lot of, they didn't have access to the to the code for quite, uh, for, you know, they didn't, they only had like less than a week to play the I mean, game. And considering how big it is, then on some level, I guess, but at the same time, it's like, this is not a story-driven cinematic game. There's not going to be a plot twist in the end of the game that really changes your opinion. You know, it's... You can ride around and see the whole world. You can get an impression of how the game's going to play throughout the rest of it. So, personally, I don't think so. Like, our reviewer, Miles, he put 80 hours into the game. I think 80 hours is enough to tell people whether or not it's worth buying, personally. So, I disagree. You know. Well, some people would disagree with you in saying that you you shouldn't no, be can. able to score a, a game unless you finished it, regardless of I mean, how much time you put into it. Well, they can, they can disagree, but they're wrong. You know, That's just life, isn't it? Sometimes people are wrong about things. I do, I do feel there is a difference in this regard, like... Someone playing the game for five hours and reviewing it is a different scenario than someone playing the game for 70 hours and reviewing it, even if both people didn't finish the game, right? Because, like, five hours, like, say in that scenario, like, the guy who plays for five hours of a 20 to 24 hour game, it's like, yeah, I played it for five hours, I can review it. But it's like, can you really? Five hours? I mean, I've basically played Elden Ring for five hours. Could I review Elden Ring right now? I don't think I could. Five I haven't hours seen enough, enough right? The I haven't done enough. But, like, I feel if I played a game, like, if I played something for 80 hours and I needed to go another 10 to finish it, I'd be like, I think I've seen experienced as, you know, enough of the game where it's like, okay, my, like, I can score this game, even if I haven't seen the end credits roll, right? Because it's like, what's really... Yeah, yeah, sure, maybe the ending isn't satisfying, but, like, at that point, you're talking about journey and destination, right? Uh, if my 80 hours in the game were tip-top 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10 experience, but the ending is a little underwhelming, does that... Does, does the overall experience somehow lessen because of that? I would say no. Just in a similar situation of, like... <clears throat> If a game you're playing is a 6 out of 10 the whole time, right, and you're not really enjoying yourself, it's just kind of a mediocre game, an average game, you're like, yeah, whatever, and then suddenly the last five hours is like 10 out of 10, does that suddenly change what you feel about that game? Maybe a little bit. Maybe you bump your score from like a 6 to a 7 or something, but I, I feel like, I feel for some people it's about the destination, and for others, it's about the journey. So, you know, because that was the huge and talking point. <clears throat> this game's definitely about the journey. You know? Well, I think most games are about the journey. But some people, some people really are sticklers for the destination. Like, 
you can't review this unless you saw the end credits roll. But it's like, I played it for 70 hours. Like, I feel like I've seen everything the game has to offer outside of the end credits. Like, no, nothing that I, like, nothing's going to change my opinion. So, I don't know, because you see people talking about it on Twitter, like, you can't review games, and if you don't finish it and stuff, and I, I think there's, I think there's layers to that, right? Someone putting 80 hours into the game, I think, can review it, where someone playing for five hours really can't, because five hours is nothing. <laughs> like, I've played Elden Ring for five yeah. hours, and I don't, I feel like I haven't experienced, as, like, I've I, just the, the tip of the iceberg, you know? Because it's obvious, right? I, I would have thought that wasn't the argument, because it's obvious. If, if we're talking about a game like Elden Ring or probably Starfield, you can't review it on the back of five hours or whatever. But I think if you've experienced most of the game, then yeah, you can review it. You can tell people it's going to be, you know, worth something. You know, because there's not, there's not going to be something at the end of the game that ruins the last 80 hours. For me, anyway. But, yeah. <coughs> whatever. Uh, Nightwolf says, Brad, thanks for your input. I'm literally on the verge of breaking down and getting it. I, too, was not a Souls fan. Thank, you think I should give it a try? Um, I would wait for a sale personally. If you're if you're not a Souls fan, I don't think you should get in. You, I don't think you should basically give in to the hype because there's a lot of hype around it. Don't get me wrong. There, there's definitely peer pressure. Uh, people saying you have to do this. This is the game of the year. It's a 97 Metacritic. And I know some people personally who who bought and played the game simply because of how how highly rated it is. They're like, "Whoa, it's a 97! Like, I have to play this." But then it's like, "You don't like Dark Souls, bro?" He's like, "Yeah, but you know, I got to experience it." So it's 60 bucks. I'm hesitant to say that you should pick it up simply because you say also that you're not a Souls fan. But then I'm not a Souls fan. Well, you see, I think that's a little bit misnomer, Jez. I like Bloodborne, and I love Sekiro, so I have gelled with some of From Software's games in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I am a, a slight fan of what they do. Um, I, I, just, I just don't feel comfortable recommending Elden Ring based on the amount of time I've played. Yeah, and to someone who's not a Souls fan, like I, I'm not comfortable being like, you should spend your sixty bucks on this. No, Ask me next week when I'm forty hours in. You know what I'm saying? I, as someone who is, you know, seventy hours in, I would definitely say don't buy this based on the, the Metacritic score alone. You have to actually read the reviews. You know, a lot of the people who reviewed these games are fans of FromSoft games. And they, you know, they appreciate them for what they are and what they know what to expect, right? So I do think just buying the game on the Metascore is a bad idea. And I've wrote an article. As someone who only got into From Software games a couple of months ago, I have written an article that's basically like, here's how I got into FromSoft games at such a late stage in the game, you know. And maybe if you can get into Dark Souls 1, maybe you can get into this too, like I have. And quite honestly, I wish I'd played through to Dark Souls 3 because apparently this is more like Dark Souls 3 than Dark Souls 1. Like, coming from Dark Souls 1 almost wasn't enough. Like, I was super frustrated at the start of the game and I was thinking like, oh my god, they've really, the, the way the sorcerer is designed is really bad. But I didn't realize that 
it just wanted me to go and explore and find some new spells, right? And I didn't have the capacity to look that up at the time. Because there's no guides online yet. Uh, I've got to write it myself. So, I don't know. It's, uh, I think if you're not a fan of Souls games, don't just go and buy this based on the hype. I agree 100% with Rand. Um, because it is a very different kind of game. No. Uh, Georgie wants to know chances of Xbox partners for Killer Instinct 2, Scarlet Nexus 2, and Immortals 2. Um, I think they are partnering with uh, somebody with Killer Instinct 2. Um, but I don't know about the other two. Um, so what else has happened uh, this week? Uh, Twitch streaming is back on Xbox Jazz. Yes, it is. Uh, supposedly better than like ever. Um, I wonder if they're ever going to get YouTube streaming on there. I know PlayStation does that, but um, that seems to be more of a Google thing. Uh, yeah, I asked, someone, <clears throat> I asked someone at Microsoft about that. It is Google has to commit to it. Like, they have to actually write code, and Google kind of sucks at supporting anything. So do we actually think they will support it? It's hard to say. Like, I don't think I don't think you can expect Google to want to support Xbox without some kind of concession, potentially. And historically, YouTube and Google have done the bare minimum to support Microsoft platforms. So they'll put their HTML app on there, fine. Are they going to commit code? It's hard to say. And also, beyond that, are they going to actually... Um, you know, do they actually care about YouTube gaming enough to push push it in that direction? Because, like, I've started streaming on YouTube gaming on my T Plus Violence channel, and the features of YouTube gaming, when you compare it to to Twitch, it's just night and day. Twitch has way more features. Twitch has way more APIs, way more bots, just everything. It doesn't feel to be honest, like Google is completely serious about their own platform to, to, in my in my view. I mean, it's a kind of shitty thing to say, but um, I can't really see it any other way. It's just like it's just how, how I see it as someone who's been using the platform. It just doesn't feel as good as Twitch. Um, but I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, Andrew says, it's like if only people who play racing games with the steering wheel set up, set up, review racing games, of course they'll love it. Yeah, but what if that racing gamer went and played a different type of game? Would you... I think there is some value in a review from somebody who isn't interested in something. Like, if someone is a racing gamer and they don't, they haven't played a Souls game, or, you know, a, a Tomb Raider game or an Uncharted game, I think there is some value in a review from someone who hasn't experienced that franchise. Yeah, even if they even if they don't like it, there's still value there. Be like, well, this is what I'm accustomed to, uh, but this is what I like or I dislike about something brand new I played. I, I do think there's there's some value in that. Um But if they're always accustomed to racing racing games, would is there a lot of value in their review if they already love every racing game? Mm. I don't know. I think th- I, I always think yeah. there's there's worth in <clears throat> most everything. 
the, um, this, the, the important thing to remember is game reviews are not scientific. They're just someone's opinion. And, like, if you try and, if you try and, like, hold a game reviewer to some kind of impossible standard and then get disappointed that it's not matching your opinion, then it's like, that's a you problem, frankly. You know, you, game reviewers are only human, and a lot of them are just gamers. You can't go to university to study to be a game reviewer. You know, we just sort of playing a game and then putting our opinion on paper to try and help you make an informed decision about whether or not it's purchasable. At least on Windows Central, when we approach game reviews, we approach them more from a tech, tech side perspective, which is like, is this value for money? Which is why, like, when I reviewed Far Cry 6 recently, I hated it. I hated Far Cry 6, because it's just a map game. You arbitrarily go between icons on the map in a very boring open world. But I, I, was, I was very much important emphasizing the fact that, like, if you like these kind of games, it's a pretty good version of it, you know, even if it's creatively redundant, you know. But, and you know, if I had to, if I had to review a racing game, even though I don't like racing games myself, I would try to review it for someone who actually likes racing games, you know. So that's why when we review Elden Ring and Dark Souls type games, we review them for people who like these kind of games, you know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say Elden Ring's a bad game because you don't like from software games, you know. It's, 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 there's, what makes a game bad is ultimately dependent on what your tastes are personally, you know. I yeah. don't know. Um, let's talk about uh, Street Fighter Six, shall we, Jez? Because it was revealed, finally. Uh, yeah. Finding out more information in the summer. Uh, it also They also stole the logo from Adobe, <laughs> which is kind of funny when you... Yeah. I don't know that, that, that actually, it's not necessarily they stole it, but it does seem that you can purchase it. It's stock. It's yeah. stock. It looks, oh, it looks very similar. Um, but then you went on Twitter and say, hey, Xbox fans, uh, don't expect this game to come to your system. Uh, what made you say that? A cynicism. Cynicism? So you, cynicism. You, think, you, think, you think Capcom is... Fully accepting that that deposit from PlayStation in their bank account to make Street Fighter Six exclusive, like Street Fighter Five was. Yeah, I I ultimately have no idea personally if the game's exclusive. Um, but like people I've spoke to about it have said that, that they expect it to be. They expect it, there's a, there's a general expectation amongst the industry that that game's going exclusive. Could they all be wrong? Yeah, they could be wrong. Um, was wrong? But, they were wrong before, Buck. I remember uh, when Devil May Cry 5 was revealed, people were shocked it was at Xbox's stage because the industry rumor was Devil May Cry 5 was going to be a PlayStation exclusive. And it wasn't. Mm. And there was a leak, quote-unquote, uh, last year about some of the Capcom games, and Street Fighter 6 was listed as a PC, Xbox, PlayStation game. But Ono has left the company. Um, and people say that he was the one fighting for multi-platform and that potentially Sony may have stood in there with a nice little check, you know, and be like, hey, how about if we have this game exclusive, maybe not full exclusivity like like it was with the last one, you know, and Sony does own um, Evo now, you know, so... Yeah, I don't know how to feel. I don't know about this one, Jez. I honestly don't. I'm 50-50 on it. 
I guess it could I guess it could go either way. You know, them saying find out more information this summer could easily be we see the game again at a Sony show. And it's like here's Street Fighter Six on PlayStation uh and we don't hear anything about an Xbox version. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, everyone's uh Idol Gore is the same thing. Final Fantasy Origin. I remember when everybody thought that was gonna be a PlayStation exclusive and then it ended up, you know, wasn't. Uh Street Fighter maybe Street Fighter Six Maybe Xbox goes to them, throws some money at it, and says, hey, here's a whole bunch of money to become on Game Pass. We know you missed the last version. Uh wasn't on our system. Uh, we're, we're willing to spend a lot of money to make sure the game comes to Xbox and is in Game Pass. They won to make up for it. I don't know how that's going to really uh, – I don't know. I, I don't know how it's really going to play out. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't – I've been told that, like – more recently, um, more recently in sort of the industry, a lot of there's been there's been a bigger expectation in more recent years about having to pay for content, you know. And I don't I don't know if this was always the case, but it seems like these days a lot of big publishers have realised that you know Microsoft and Sony will pay money for exclusivity. So basically, both companies compete and bid and, you know, try to outbid each other for exclusivity and they're just like, well, you know, if if neither of you want to go this far, then maybe you can just, like, you know, share it for this much money or whatever, you know. And there's sort of sort of those kind of, I don't know what you call them, discussions going on about the money aspect in such a way that I don't think really happened to the same degree that it does now. But, again, I could be wrong. It could be something that's always happened but it certainly seems like it's something that Microsoft, at least, is going to have to deal with a lot over the years um, as they remain the second platform, ultimately, or, well, third platform, if you count Nintendo Switch. But at least, you know, can you imagine if the Nintendo Switch was as powerful as an Xbox? Like, it would complicate things even more for them, I think. But, I don't know. That's a that's a completely different discussion. But I will say right now, I'm of I'm going in with the mindset that Street Fighter Six is not coming to Xbox. That's, yeah, that's my mean, initial mindset. One of my one of the reasons I said that was if you have that mindset, then you can't be disappointed. Because <laughs> if you like, if you expect it and it doesn't come, then you're going to be disappointed, right? Is that unreasonable? Yeah, uh, but I also feel that that's something. Uh, that's something film them has to change. Like, Street Fighter is a big franchise. Yeah, it is. And it's one thing, and, and it, I don't know. And the fact that you don't even have a your own fighter to sort of be like, well, yeah, we we don't we have Street Fighter, but we got Killer Instinct too, which supposedly they are working on, but it's going to take some time. Like, I I sort mm-hmm. of feel that like sets a bad precedent because if you're not going to have Street Fighter. You don't have Final Fantasy. What other games can Sony essentially steal from you? Like, are you not fighting hard enough for some of these games? Mm. Um, Because people will be pissed. People will be pissed again. Because basically, if Street Fighter VI is exclusive, there goes the whole fighting genre on Xbox again. Nobody really cares about fighters is going to get an Xbox for uh, for that because Street Fighter's not on it. So it's like, what's the point? Um, well, this is this is another this is another aspect to this argument, Rand. Is that does it really matter? Because apparently, Street Fighter Six. Someone told me like it didn't even crack ten million sales. 
Like, five. are these games even big? Uh, what? Street Fighter Five didn't sell ten million. Yeah, sorry. Like, it didn't sell. It didn't sell. It didn't even sell ten million. Like, unless like I never, I never checked that actually. But if that's true, then that's not as it's not as many people as you'd think. Like, it's a bad look for Microsoft because you know Street Fighter is a brand name. But like, are these games even that important anymore? Have we as as you know as as your Fortnites and your Call of Duties and stuff? I mean, I don't, I don't think know. I don't think Final Fantasy VII remake has sold ten million. Well, that, that's another thing. It's like a JRPG is even big enough to really matter in the big scheme of things. You know, I don't know. It's inter- It's an interesting question to pose. Do, does does something like that matter? But then it's like at that point, like let's say none of that matters, and Resident Evil then becomes exclusive, and Street Fighter and Final Fantasy. It's like. I wouldn't that kind of create a snowball effect? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's ultimate. It's I need to, I need to talk to someone at Xbox about this because I've actually like people at Xbox have told me things like that, like you know, but like everyone everyone complains about JRPGs, for example, but like they don't sell they don't sell anything, and it's like well, okay, they don't sell anything, but like you know, you've got this chilling effect where people. People, you know, wonder what game, what other game isn't going to come to the platform, you know. Like, um, another thing was, uh, you know, supposedly Mortal Kombat sells more than... No, Mortal Kombat sells way more. It's way bigger. Yeah, which is which is surprising, the way, like, the way Mortal Kombat and... Like, if you look at the esports figures for these games, like, it always seems like... It always seems a bit like, um, I don't know... Uh, Street Fighter is way bigger, but I suppose like the benefit of that, the on the flip side of that is that Mortal Kombat actually has a story mode that people can play. That's actually really good, whereas Street Fighter maybe not so much. I don't know. I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting discussion to have, I guess. Yeah. Um. What about uh, supposedly Call of Duty 2023 being delayed? Surprise! Yeah. Right when Activision gets acquired, they're delaying Call of Duty. What do you know? Yeah, I think like that's a really interesting, a really interesting scenario because <clears throat> the what I what I tweeted out the other day was, would this actually be happening if it wasn't for the deal? Because like Activision probably no longer feels totally beholden to their shareholders about some of this stuff. And they're probably thinking, like, we don't need to suck up to them anymore because, you know, we got Microsoft coming soon, and now we can focus on actually just making a good game. Um, that could be completely naive of me, you know, but this is the first time this has happened since Call of Duty 2, I believe, which is crazy to think about, right? Yeah, the first time in two decades. I mean, this is so this is from Jason Schreer and Bloomberg. Although it was funny to see Tom Henderson and, and Jason Shear fight about it on Twitter, because uh, they went at one each other, and I thought that was kind of funny. Jason doesn't like it when someone scoops, when someone leaks his articles. I wonder. He just. It, yeah, it, I thought it was just a little. It's like, oh, you know, I'm sure a lot of developers don't like it when Jason leaks their game, and here's basically Tom Henderson leaking Jason's article, and Jason didn't appreciate it. The irony of that situation, but. There is, there is an irony there, isn't it? 
Yeah, um, the idea of them suddenly delaying Call of Duty. Now, I think they said Microsoft had no involvement in this. Of course, they, they can't because they don't own the company. But you're right, I do think it's interesting that now we've reached the point where, okay, Activision is going to get acquired and suddenly they're going to delay Call of Duty because Vanguard apparently missed all of its marks and mm. was not good to the point where now they're thinking, damn, we have to we have to delay this to get everything back on track. But if they were to do it, like let's imagine a situation where they weren't going to delay Call of Duty, and then information came out, Activision's stock price would tank because it's mm. their only game. It's the one that makes them billions and billions of dollars every single year. And if you're not going to have that new product, well, your outlook for that your revenue for that year is going to be drastically changed. And their stock price would have hit rock bottom, kind of like how it did after all these um, allegations of everything that was going on at the company. But this is also a year where they're not going to have to answer to shareholders anymore. So maybe it is the perfect time to finally say, you know what, Treyarch, take an extra year, we can't have Call of Duty kind of go into a, a, a nosedive like Battlefield's gone into. Like Battlefield, I hate to say this, but you make an argument that Battlefield as a franchise is almost dead at this point. And it, it wasn't that long ago where Battlefield, whether it was like 3 or 4 or Bad Company 1 and 2 or Bat, Bat, Battlefield 1 where it was like on the rise to compete with Call of Duty. And then it basically just, with Battlefield 5 and Battlefield 2042, it just kind of like just went on this downward spiral. And now you make the argument that maybe Battlefield's dead as a franchise, and we know it's not, but we never thought Battlefield would be here. And Call of Duty sort of remained the same, uh, at least quality-wise, until the pandemic started, and then they had a lot of issues, like Treyarch had to jump in and do something because Sledgehammer wasn't ready. And then Sledgehammer's new game came out, and, and it was clearly not very good. So finally, the declining quality of Call of Duty has caught up with itself, and the burnout of these developers making these games has caught up with consumers, and consumers, they don't like it anymore. They don't want to spend their money on it, and now it's affecting Activision's bottom bottom line. So it's like, we have to fix this, because if we don't fix it, then Call of Duty doesn't become, it doesn't remain the juggernaut doesn't make the billions anymore, and, you know, you're left with a terrible product. But that's also one of the reasons Jeff Grubb said they were selling, because they thought it was going to be harder and harder and harder to make Call of Duty every single year going forward, and it was like, the best time to sell is now. So, but it also goes to show you that even with all this, uh, how much Call of Duty sells over everything else, because even a bad Call of Duty sells more than everything else. Right. This is why, like, this is one, this is one, like, aspect of the industry I don't get. Like, I, I realize that in capitalism, companies have to, you know, to prove to shareholders that can grow indefinitely forever. But it's, it's becoming increasingly unrealistic to expect games like Call of Duty to grow in a world where there's so much competition for our time and our, you know, personal investment in just general stuff, you know. 
I don't know what they can realistically expect. Like, what do they expect? Do they expect these games to grow non-stop every year with the same format and same formula? Like, there's only so much attention any human individual can give to a game before they start thinking, like, maybe I should just skip Call of Duty this year. Like, I started feeling that way. I bought Black Ops 1, the first Black Ops on the 360, and then I skipped, like, the next four or five Call of Duties. They're just like, they're not really doing anything to advance the formula here. I played, like, Modern Warfare 2, and then, no, 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 it was World at War, and then Modern Warfare 2, wasn't it? And then it was Black Ops. And I was just like, that was it, I was done. You know, three three games that were basically the same, essentially. And, uh, like, what's the point? What's the point of keep going on with this format? But they've been doing that for how long now? Like, ten years or something, or more? I don't know. Yeah, but it only kind of reared, reared its head during the pandemic, though. That's when it kind of really became an issue. But and this is kind of what I wanted from Xbox acquisition from uh, of of Activision, anyways. Was I wanted them to take Call of Duty and weren't and I didn't want them to be felt they were pressured into releasing yearly. And if yeah. there are Activision's already taking the steps to be like, yeah, we're gonna fix that. But I think that's good because you don't need all these teams on Call of Duty and, you know, Raven could go make something else or, or whatever. That's what I want to see from it. I want to see a Call of Duty that doesn't need to come out every year and some of these other studios can make something really cool. But I think it was only a matter of time before this happened. And I think it's just yeah. fortunate that they don't have to answer to shareholders, and they they don't have to have watch their tank, stock price tank because they're getting bought at ninety five dollars a share. Although, did you see one of the shareholders is suing Activision for the deal mm-hmm. with Microsoft? Yeah, I did see that. I don't yeah. think that's good. Well, well, there's seventy billion dollars in play. Someone's always going to sue somebody, right? Yeah, that I sweet, would. sweet cash. Sweet, sweet. But speaking cash. of, because uh, we mentioned Battlefield earlier, and how. And how the decline of that franchise, uh, they held, this was a couple weeks ago, we, we would have ta- talked about it last week, but uh, they said one of the reasons Battlefield 2042 failed was because of Halo. Straight up. Yeah. How do you feel about Halo killing Battlefield, Jez? I, I actually remember, do you remember, I think we actually had this discussion, like at the time, we were thinking like, man, it is kind of weird that Microsoft dropped, it was the beta, right? The open beta. It was, like, yeah. it was rumored. And, like, we were thinking, I remember thinking, like, it is weird they did this, because it reminded me of Overwatch screwing over Battleborn. Do you remember? Mm, I do remember, yep. So, like, back in the day, Battleborn was this sort of hero shooter, which, um... Hero shooter mobile from Gearbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, superficially similar to Overwatch in some ways, uh, quirky characters and all that kind of stuff. And... You know, there was this, there was like almost like a rivalry. Like on, even on social media, the, the, the companies were going back and forth with each other about it and stuff like that. And it was all a big meme, big funny, blah 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 blah. blah. But then Blizzard went like thermonuclear, and they dropped, they dropped the, um, they went and dropped the beta for Overwatch on the launch day of Battleboard, which was, I don't know, I don't know what you call it, a bit. Hostile? <laughs> Maybe? <laughs> Ruthless? Ruthless, yeah. I don't know. But, like, um, people weren't expecting that. 
to some degree. I don't know. But. Well, it took, it took a lot of the, a lot of wind out of the sails of Battleborn, and that game never recovered. It basically died. Yeah, it but do you number one? Do you feel that Halo is a reason why Battlefield died? Because it almost seems no. like that's an excuse. Like our game mm-hmm. died because Halo was out, rather than like our game just needed our game wasn't ready to come out and had a whole bunch of glitches and bugs, and people weren't happy with it. So we can just easily blame another game, right? Yeah, I think that is absolutely ridiculous. I think I think the truth there is, I think EA was trying to save some face with its staff because this information comes from an internal, supposed internal discussion. At, yeah, at EA, a town hall yeah. meeting or whatever. Yeah, a town hall meeting at EA and um, where they had this discussion. So it wasn't like, it wasn't necessarily something they intended to be public consumption. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it, it got leaked. And um, so um, the, I think they were trying to save face to some degree with their staff and just trying to be like, yeah, you know, it's all Microsoft's fault. There's nothing wrong with the game or nothing wrong with the work he did or whatever. So, but I think that's utterly ridiculous because the game was just not good. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that it was bad because it was broken. It was, there was systemic issues with the way it was designed. Nobody wanted heroes for for Battlefield. They never, ever wanted that. But they went and added them in anyway because um, it's more lucrative. They can sell heroes, whereas they can't, really sell, they can't sell skin packs to the same degree and stuff like that. And, um, you know, fair or not, I think, like, they made a big mistake with some of the systems they put in that game. Under pressure from EA, probably, most likely. I don't think anyone at DICE was saying, like, oh, you know what would make our game really awesome? These heroes we can sell. That would make the game so much better and so much more fun. Um, I don't think anyone at DICE was saying that. I think that's all EA corporate, you know, coming up with that bullshit. Um, um, but, you know, so that's an entire other discussion. But the, the game was just not good. Forget forget all the, all the, the Halo competing with Halo stuff. That's just a distraction from the fact the game was just not good. It, the, the maps were bad, badly designed. They were flat and empty, which is the antithesis of Battlefield. The environmental destruction was worse than ever. Um, there were no epic moments, but it was like, it was such a step backwards from some of the other games. Like Battlefield 1 was just incredible, an incredible game. Huge Zeppelin crashing out of the sky, bridges being destroyed and all that kind of stuff. And you play like Battlefield... 2042, and it just feels like this really flat, bland kind of, I don't know, it almost feels like an imitation Battlefield game, which is a Mm -hmm. weird way to describe it. It feels like, I don't know, almost like a spin-off, you know, it's it's weird, it's uncanny, and it's a shame, because I'm a Battlefield guy, Rand, I'm like, I'm not the kind of guy who usually plays Call of Duty, but this year, I've Call of Duty ended up being my go-to shooter, which is really not what I expected to be saying. I, I first, I first started playing Battlefield, and I was getting into it. And I was like, "Oh yeah, this is cool. I got my, I got my cool ass, you know, my cool weapons." And oh wow, I just blew up a helicopter. That's cool. You could do that in the Battlefield too, obviously. And um, but like, the more I played it, the more I realized, damn, this isn't Battlefield. This is something weird and strange, and I don't like it. 
I don't want it, you know? So, I don't know. I want to believe they can fix it and get back on their feet for the fans more than anything, really. Um, but at the same time, like, DICE has lost a lot of its key personnel in recent years. Yeah, they and have. I don't, yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if they can, but, you know, they've put, um, what's his name, Vince, in charge, and maybe Vince can pull it all back and perform a miracle. The guy seems to be a miracle worker, but... This we'll just have to wait and see. Like, I just, my expectations for all of EA's franchises right now is very, very low, very minimal. And um, they released a blog post for Dragon Age 4 recently. And as you know, and those who know me, Dragon Age is a big game that I love. I love Dragon Age. But unfortunately, the, the handling of that franchise has been absolutely awful, like, since, you know, Inquisition. Inquisition was not a bad game by any means. It was a pretty good game, actually. But and it had some really great DLC. But since then, like we haven't seen another Dragon Age, and they put the team on Anthem, which is an unmitigated disaster. And also, obviously, we got the disaster that was um, Mass Effect Andromeda. So, like, how can you how can you even like start to have any serious expectations of what that studio can do anymore? Like, it's it's hard, you know, it's hard to have any expectations for what EA can put out. But maybe I'm just. You know, being over the top cynical with it, I don't know. All right, let me let me let me ask you this. Let me take this conversation in a different direction. Let's imagine that, like EA and Dice feel that feel what they're saying that Halo is the reason for it failing. Let's say they truly believe that, and they're not using you as an excuse. Does that mm-hmm. really affect EA's relationship with Microsoft? Would they look at it and be like, you purposefully sabotaged our game? Like, how does that change their relationship, or does it change their relationship at all? I don't think it does, because I don't think even EA believes it. I think they just said that internally to placate people. I don't think EA believes that, because it's just just a lie. Like, how how could they possibly believe that? It just does not compute for for my money. So... Personally, I don't think it affects their relationship because I don't think EA even believes it. Um, that's like hilariously embarrassing. If if like you know if they really truly do want to blame Halo because Halo had a mountain of problems too, and it still does. Like anemic amount of content, still no co-op systems, servers were broken, big team battle was broken for ages. So let's not pretend, EA, that Halo's launch was smooth either. You know, huge amount of issues with Halo Infinite. Um, Especially when you consider how much they spent on it, how much was spent on it, how many years it was in development, and to ship in the state that it did ship in. I mean, thank God they actually got a product out that was actually pretty decent, but you have to sort of put things into perspective, EA. (laughs) Halo didn't have a particularly great launch either. So if you're saying Halo is the reason your game failed, you've got, like, a big, big problem to solve. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Halo did have a pretty good launch. Uh, I think it did well well enough. I mean, it seems to be a little dead on PC at this point, which I expect it to be with no Battle Royale and no new content until still another three more months, apparently, before there's any new content. Um and almost, to me, the, the whole thing with Halo Infinite, and I did see it won the DICE Awards for, like, best online game and best, like, action game, which is great. 
um, you know, the thing where, where Phil was at yesterday where he got the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, the worst, the worst thing I say about Halo is that they nailed everything about the game except for the live service aspect of the game. Um, and maybe they can make a return to form with that stuff because, whew, the only time I see people talking about Halo nowadays is like, is basically complaining that there isn't anything new and there hasn't been for months. So it's like, yeah, the gameplay's great. Maps are good, but where's all the new content? I thought this was supposed to be live service for 10, 10 years and there's nothing, uh, you yeah. know, there's, there's like nothing there. Sean says, Rand didn't like Souls because of how hard it was to get achievements. Um, that's not true whatsoever. That's not true at all. Because I could, I could just play it in co-op and get all the achievements like I did for Dark Souls 1. So it had nothing to do with how hard it was to get achievements. I didn't. I never let achievements dictate whether or not I wanted to play a game. If it was a game guy, I really wanted to play, I played I, it regardless. The other guy played Bobby Sauce Adventure achievements. Sure, I did play that, and I would admit that was strictly for achievements. But I never, ever, didn't play a game because of the achievements. I may have played games for the achievements, but I never not played a game because of the achievements. If that makes sense. Uh, Solid Kleenex wants to know if we're excited as he is about the Sega Atlas announced Soul Hackers 2 on Xbox. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I hope for all you Atlas fans on Xbox, I hope that means bigger and better things like maybe Persona on Xbox, but no, I'm not interested uh, in Soul Hackers 2, but I'm glad you're getting the game. I'm glad all my my Atlas RPG dudes out there are getting uh, what they want and they don't have to play it on a different platform. Um, I just I just hope my Halo my Halo uh, my my Halo friends like one bad mother in the chat. Hopefully he gets uh, <laughs> um, he gets what he wants from Halo uh, and people talking about it in good again instead of talking about how bad it all is again. So um, so there's also been some PlayStation news. Um, that uh, Shadow Warrior 3 is coming day one on PlayStation Now, Jez, which is interesting because I'm not sure that I've PlayStation Now has ever done uh, a day one title like this. So that is interesting. does that speak to Sony uh, trying to compete more with Game Pass on day one titles of the third-party variety kind? Uh, moving I, um, forward, especially with Spartacus coming in, in the future, I imagine that they're probably experimenting right now and seeing the looking at data and seeing what it can do for them and stuff. So obviously, Microsoft talks about how Game Pass affects games engagement and stuff like that. But you know, have, actually having the data there on hand is going to be obviously more compelling for Sony. So maybe this is a start of experimentation. But we do have like we pretty much have the leaks about how Spartacus is going to be. And I've corroborated some of these with my own sources, that it's, it's not going to have any day-in-day day games. And I think that was pretty much the expectation anyway, right? There won't be any day-in-day day PlayStation games. Like, you won't see, like, you know, Horizon 3 or whatever drop straight in there. Um, and you won't see God of War, the next God of War, if they do one. They won't drop in there straight away. At least not to begin with. But I do think eventually they probably will adopt that model. But 
Yeah, it is interesting because uh, PlayStation Now hasn't been the most impressive service, generally speaking. But a lot of the big players in the space, I mean, it is a small space, but, you know, there's a lot of people who believe in it. Amazon, um, uh, Luna have started sending me emails about games that they're getting in their service. I think, like, they got some absolute AAA bangers in there, like Sonic Colors recently. So. Mm. Um, at, le- at least they're trying, bless them. But Amazon had a pretty big game uh, last week as well, which uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about. Which was what? Lost Ark. Ah, yeah, well, Lost Ark was... Uh, it's funny because that, that, that game was by Smilegate, who also published the Xbox exclusive Crossfire X, and they didn't bother marketing that game at all, and uh, it seems like mm. they put all their marketing muscle behind Lost Ark for good reason. Yeah, well, this is, the key takeaway for me for Lost Ark was, yeah, Lost Ark is a great game, no doubt about it, but the true uh, the true story for me, especially in an Xbox-Microsoft context, was how Amazon can wield Twitch as a marketing powerhouse. Like, Amazon is just like, they went to all their key influencers and were like, yeah, we'll pay you money to play Lost Ark for, for these two streams or whatever. And you pretty much had every single one of Twitch's major influences do it, major influencers doing spon- sponsored streams for Lost Ark, just like they did for New World. But the problem with New World is the game sucks, and uh, it's dead now because it sucks. However, Lost Ark doesn't suck, and um, the the sheer volume of people that were exposed to this game in the West for the first time pushed the game to like, was it the highest or second most highest? concurrent players on Steam ever behind PUBG. It was pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Like I um I haven't really played um I haven't really played it too much myself because, you know, I the fact that it's free to play just automatically makes me assume there's gotta be some kind of wall I hit eventually that makes me have to pay money. But I just I just can't be bothered to figure out whether or not that's a fact or not and I've also got too much stuff I want to play anyway. But the the people who are playing it seem to really, really like it. Um, but that's another game that Amazon, you know, had a lot of success with. Like, New World was okay-ish, I guess. But it dropped off pretty hard because making an MMO is not easy. But Lost Ark was already an established property in South Korea, I believe. So, I don't know. It's interesting watching some of this stuff unfold, but... If if Sony does start taking its cloud gaming stuff more seriously, um, it stands to it stands to sort of you know uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do there with regards to uh, ramping up the the quality of that service because it's not great compared to some of the others out there. Yeah, so Jeff Grubb kind of wrote an article detailing what the three tiers of Spartacus are being, and it was like PS. Essential, which is basically $10 a month, which is the current price per month. And it was basically like your current PS Plus. And then it was, second tier was PS Essentials, which was, you get the free games, but then you also get the game catalog, which is essentially probably what PlayStation Now would be. Because PlayStation Now has like 800 games or whatever. So like, PlayStation Plus gets you the multiplayer access and cloud saves and you know, free games every month. 
And then the second tier essentials would essentially get you like 300 games or whatever it would be. And then the premium tier, which you get all the previous stuff, but then you'd also get game trials and you get access to classic titles, the PS1, PS2, PS3, PS Vita games. Um, interesting that, you know, they're going to be essentially, I wouldn't say locking backwards compatibility behind the highest tier, but uh, kind of is the way it looks like. I, I do think, from my, what I heard, they will be selling some of those PS classics uh, individually, so mm. that you'd be able to buy them or whatever. But, like, I'm of the opinion that people don't, people don't want, like, old games. Um, people want new games. And I'm not sure people would want to subscribe to the highest tier to play PS1, PS2, and PS3 games. I mean, I certainly wouldn't. Like, if Xbox had, like, another tier above Ultimate, and it was, like, Xbox Ultimate Plus, right? And the only thing you get in in Ultimate Plus is, like, back-compact games, like 360, Xbox One, Xbox Mm. games. I wouldn't subscribe to that because I wouldn't use it. And we saw people complain when Game Pass first came out about the idea of having 360 games on there. And they don't do, they don't put 360 games on there anymore because I don't really think people are interested in subscribing to a service to play old games. They want, they want new games. And the reason why Xbox Game Pass has more subscribers than PlayStation Now, even though PlayStation Now has like 800 games available, to play and Xbox Game Pass only has 200 to 300 is because Xbox Game Pass has new games. They got new games from their first party and they get new games from indies and third parties. People want to play new hotness. And that's something that PlayStation now has lacked until this Shadow Warrior 3 day one thing. So I wonder if Sony's going to be more aggressively pursuing deals like that uh, because for a long time Xbox has kind of stood alone and they probably had the choice of deals because nobody was really competing with them on that front. But if you have Sony trying to add value to their services and actually trying trying to get, you know, bigger games day one for their stuff, that's only going to raise the cost of, of what it costs for Microsoft to get, you know, day one titles for Game Pass. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how this whole Spartacus stuff um how it's presented and how it competes with Game Pass and if people adopt it. Um, because I, I'm of the opinion people like, maybe PlayStation fans would be different. Maybe there is a group of hardcore people out there that will pay the supposedly $16 a month to play, uh, you know, PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games. Although I did think the idea of game trials was interesting. Kind of like EA Play where you get 10 hours to play something. Yeah. Um. But for that to be really significant, it would have to be a lot of games. Like, it couldn't just be like, oh, you get to choose from, like, these five games or something. Like, it would have to be like, there's 60 games in the store you can try for the first 10 hours. Like, you want to try Horizon Forbidden West? You can play it as part of game trials for 16 bucks a month. Or, you know, like, something like that for it to be significant. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Do you know anything more about the, the service, Jez? Nope, not a damn thing. But I am digging. Always digging. You, you, know, are, right. you are digging. Um, digging. So, Jez, we, you mentioned <clears throat> before about Bethesda closing its PC launcher and everything, right? Yes. 
how do you feel when it comes to Battle.net? Do you think that when they fully take control of Activision, do you think they do the same? Do they think they put be like shut down Battle.net and put everything on Steam? Like, how do you think that's no. going to go? I think the opposite could happen. I think if Microsoft has any sense, it will kill um, the Xbox app and start using Battle.net as its Game Pass vehicle for PC. Because Battle.net for PC, the launcher, is probably the best launcher that isn't Steam. As launchers go, most of them suck, you know, and it would be it would be great if everything could be on Steam. But I do think, like, Microsoft would want to have at least one vector where people could buy games directly from them without having to pay Steam's cut. As such, Battle.net is a lot better than the Bethesda launcher, and it's a lot better than um, the Xbox launcher. So I think Battle.net should replace the Xbox Game Pass app, no doubt about it. It works really well. It has a chat system that's way faster than Xbox Live. In fact, screw it. Get rid of Xbox Live and put the whole damn thing on Battle.net. There's Xbox Live right now, Rand, powered by Skype. You know what Skype is? It sucks. Skype is garbage. Battle.net is great. But if it it was me, I would just put the whole damn thing, put the whole damn thing on Battle.net. Put all of Xbox Live on Battle.net. Put the Xbox chat system and voice chat on Battle.net. Put everything on Battle.net. That's what I would do. I would double down on Battle.net. That's how I would do it. Battle.net. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, BC says, Jazz, current GOAT power rankings as it stands. FIFA, Halo Infinite, Elden Ring. Thoughts on Gabe open to putting Game Pass on Steam? Uh, We talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, I think me and Jazz both said that we'd be completely forward, and I think Microsoft should do whatever it needs to do to get Game Pass on Steam ASAP. Even if if it's like a limited first-party-only thing. Um... Because that's where the PC market is, and you want you want to get a lot of subscribers. I think you'd get a ton if you put Game Pass on on Steam. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And um, this also happened last week, and I want to get Jez's Jez's opinion on this because I, I kind of know what he's going to say. But hey, Ubisoft's open to being acquired, Jez, if the price was right. They would do their due diligence to kind of look into it. Of course um, that would be, but... Yeah, but which, no which is interesting from, like, five years ago when they were about to get taken over by Vivendi and they were fighting tooth and nail to stop it. But now, you know, they'd be, yeah, you know, you, you want to throw some billions at us? We we consider it. How do you feel about Ubisoft uh, being open to acquired and who should... Look into acquiring them. You think Xbox should uh, no. look into acquiring Ubisoft, PlayStation, no. Amazon? No. Like, what, what, no what's one. going on there? I know, I know you have a love affair with Ubisoft, <laughs> so I don't think Microsoft should touch Ubisoft with a barge pole. I think, like, I mean, no, don't do that. Ubisoft games are just. I want them. Games. I want them to simply because then you'd have to cover Far Cry games again and all the Ubisoft open world games. I wouldn't. Even if they bought them, I wouldn't touch them. But you know, I think I don't think Ubisoft. I think Ubisoft wants to be acquired because they know they've got no future. They've run out of creativity. Their games are all bland and boring, and I don't know. I don't blame them for wanting to be acquired. 
because uh, yeah, they've sort of run out of steam as a company. But I don't think Microsoft should acquire them. Put it that way. But if um, I don't know, someone wants to acquire them and sort of figure out where to make them creatively interesting again, then that'd be great. Because the people who are running the show right now don't have a bloody clue, in my view. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Cali46 says, hey guys, great show. Thank you. He says, can we expect a March stream showcase from Microsoft? Or do we need to wait until June for the big one? Uh, yeah, we kind of talked about this in our last show because there was such a really positively received, positively received uh, Nintendo Direct that people were like, Xbox needs to have more shows. And me and Jez both agreed uh, that I think in the future, doing one show a year isn't going to cut it for all the type, for all the games that are going to be coming out from Xbox. So they definitely need multiple shows. Um, I don't know. Like, we're already almost at March. And I can't imagine what Microsoft would be showing at a March show considering the only games they have for the fall or this year are Redfall, Forza, and Starfield. So it seems to me that this year is this going to be – they're going to have one big show for June. And if we do see any movement on multiple shows, it would be next year when they actually have a whole bunch of stuff planned to release. Um, I think, Jez, you said you, said you felt the same, right? Yeah, it's um I do think like we spoke about it last the the last show but I do think that the era of waiting for June is just annoying but I do think like they don't have the content right now but I think Microsoft really does need to sort of do I don't know what Nintendo does but the, clearly Nintendo has a formula where they're just like to de- to their devs make us slices that we can showcase on this date and their devs do it but for whatever reason Microsoft doesn't do that and Maybe it's because they're, you know, they 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 can't because they don't have the the manpower or something, or they don't want to mandate that kind of development resources for for stuff. I don't know, but clearly, like as a, as an Xbox fan, it kind of I don't know what's what what the word would be irritating that we have to wait so long all the time to get any sort of hype out of things. I mean, we hear more news about acquisitions than we do about the games, which is irritating. So, I don't know. But yeah, show me the games, please. Yes, just want, just <laughs> wants to see the stuff. So, um, without me having to, you know, find it through yeah. Atari's me. And uh, if you guys have any more questions, make sure you put them in chat because I think that's uh, going to be the part where we. You know, I ran through all the topics I wanted to talk about. So if you guys have any questions, make sure you put them in chat. And if you guys enjoyed the show, make sure you hit the like button. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in on Saturday. Sorry about the podcast being on Saturday. I apologize to Gaz because I'm sure he's probably upset as well. Um, we'll we should be back on Friday, and maybe I'll finish Elden Ring and I'll give more thoughts on it, and hopefully. Hopefully March will begin pretty well. Um, I think I think I'm going to return to the movie theaters next week, Jess, because Batman is coming out. I, have, I haven't oh been. God, I haven't been March to. Already? Yeah, next March. week is March, bro. Tuesday, March first. <laughs> that is that's kind of almost scary. What the hell? Sam says there's a two trillion dollar company. How do they not have the resources or manpower for multiple shows? It's not that they don't have the resources or manpower. I just don't think they have the games. 
for to have multiple shows, you need to have a bunch of games to show. And I don't think they really do. So that would be that would be my reasoning yeah. as to why they wouldn't do it. Now, if we go in the next year and you have a whole bunch of uh, all these games supposedly coming and uh, you still don't actually do it, then I don't know what uh, I don't know what to uh, to do then. I don't know what what I'll say. If it's like, yeah, we're just doing the one show in June, guys. Even though E3 is dead and never coming back, we're still gonna, we're still just gonna do this one show in June. Everybody, even though everybody else is doing their own shows throughout the rest of the year and actually creating hype and creating news, we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep it to this, to this. I don't know. I think, that, I think that's like just like E3. Old I think it's school. all old school <laughs> at this point. You need to change with the times. But I will say, I don't want to see hosts. I don't want to see devs interviews. Uh, just show me the games. If you want to have a dev talk over the game for two minutes or whatever, that'd be great. Uh, but we don't need any hosts, and we don't need cringy dialogue. We don't need a writer's room writing stuff. You don't need that stuff. All people care about are the games. So if you want to do a show and just 30 minutes of games, that's what people want. They don't want to see anybody on their on their screens, but... I have a feeling if Xbox does it, they'll they'll do it the wrong way because they feel they have to be different than everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sherman Jacobs says, any news on the rumors of Forza Horizon 5 DLC? I did see that uh, Woodstock DLC 1 was being tested. Jez? Yeah, indeed. Um, so uh, the I, I can never pronounce their account properly. But they've got Lumia in their account. It's an Italian, it's an old school Italian Microsoft leakster who used to leak Windows Phone stuff back in the day. Bless them. Um, they they are very active on what Microsoft's doing with the store. They have they have some kind of access to it, um, and they know when Microsoft's doing different things on the store with regards to betas and stuff like that. So, so yeah, they do tend to discover when Microsoft is doing cool stuff with their DLC and their inside the program and stuff like that. So I think like this I think this is beyond a rumor. I think this is this is definitely true. It's definitely happening. They're definitely testing DLC. Woodstock is the code name for the for the horizon. So um yeah, it certainly does seem to me like uh, we're gonna get some DLC for the game this year, but I have no idea Well we usually do. Yep. We we always usually get two DLCs. There's usually one yeah. a few months after the game, and then like one at the end of the year, uh, for when the game launches, uh, after the game launches or whatever. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing what the Forza Horizon 5 DLC is. Uh, Faith, as well as Widia wants to know if I'm playing Horizon Time, that it would be Techland. What do you think about that? I mean, I personally don't have any information on this. So, um, you know, anything I say is just pure speculation. But um, it would certainly be interesting if Microsoft acquired Techland. It's also sort of, um, I don't know, it would be, for me, a little bit unexpected because, you know, Techland, on the one hand, haven't put out many games. But on the other hand... Uh, Dying Light 1 has proven itself to be incredibly resilient as an ongoing experience with, like, you know, DLC drops and a lot of people... You know, it has pretty consistent monthly active users considering 
it wasn't necessarily designed to be a service type game by any means. But um a lot of people play it like ongoing. And one of the things we don't really know about Dying Light Two is how how it how it functions as an ongoing experience, you know, like uh I don't it's not like a full blown service type game, but like an ongoing sort of, you know, game. I suppose like in the same similar vein as Borderlands and stuff like that. Um and yeah, the people like saying in chat, Dying Light One's still being supported. I actually got a email that Dying Light One is getting like new DLC pretty soon recently. I'm not sure if that's under embargo or not actually but <laughs> I, mean, I shouldn't have said that. But I don't know if that's public or not, but um Dying Light One still getting content is the point. And uh so I'm uh I think it do, it does fit with what Microsoft's looking for in a studio. And um Dying Light Two I've I've seen Dying Light Two in a couple of previews at uh, Gamescom and uh I I can't remember if I saw it at Gamescom at or E three. It's been so long run since we had like actual shows, you know, like in person pre pandemic shows. Do you remember those? Uh, remember those, right? I do remember those. I, I actually really did. After we went through the Summer Games Fest, or Summer Games Mess, as uh, Jeff Grubb called it, where each week or maybe there was each company had a different uh, event, uh, I really missed E3. Not necessarily because I miss, you know, like I was going to E3 or going to PAX and, and being with a bunch of people, because for the most part, like I'm not very, I'm not a very big social person. Um, you know, I don't really like big crowds too much. Uh, but I miss C3 because I was just like, all the news that you'd want within a couple days instead of all this kind of lame individual announcements. Um, but I mean, you've been to all these events. You've been to PAX and you, well, not, no, I've never been to PAX. Never been to PAX, but you've been to, um, Gamescom and E3, you know? So, do you miss the events? Yes and no. Like, the the amount of work involved is just, it's so exhausting, but it's also, like, it's really energizing meeting all the, you know, the devs and the creative people who actually make this industry what it is, you know, it's, and also the community, you know, like, it's like one time of the year that the community from all over the world can get together, but, you know, I digress, uh, I saw Dying Light 2 at Gamescom or E3, and it, even, even, like, Man, that would have been 2019, maybe even earlier. Maybe it was 2018 when I saw it. But even then, it just looked so amazing. Like, such a huge step up from Dying Light 1, which was also a really excellent game. Like, really great combat, really tactile feeling. I hate using the word visceral combat, but such a cliche to call combat visceral. But it really is. Like, <laughs> the definition of that cliche. Where, like, you could just mash zombies with all sorts of weapons and stuff like that. And I'd like that, some of those really cool sort of, you know, PvP sort of features where, like, players could invade your game as a zombie and stuff like that. I never really experienced that myself, but, um, it was, they were, they were among the first games to, like, really try that on that sort of scale. Um, and then Dying Light 2 looked like it had, like, a lot of, advancements going for it like the zombies it was less almost less about the zombies and more about human factions and stuff although there were still like pockets of zombies 
hiding out in dark areas in the game, and then the zombies come out at night with the day and night cycle, and and then during the day you have to deal with human factions, and that is like a really interesting dynamic. And um, they also have like a bigger emphasis on story and then player choice. Like it just sounded like way more ambitious than the first game. So um, if Dying Light Two, but you know, Dying Light Two got delayed indefinitely. Last year, I think they they announced someone. Yeah, and then last year they tweeted that they're going to delay the game past its planned launch date with no announced time frame, which you know sometimes is spooky when devs do that. And then also they Chris Avalon who was contributing to the story, he, um, I don't know if I pronounced his name wrong, but um, there were some allegations against him, and that prompted Techland to remove all of his content from Dying Light 2, so they had to, like, wreck all new Randall muted now. Randall muted. At least at least I'm no longer Randall chopped liver. Did you see uh, last podcast? <laughs> it seems that we have some, some dedicated... Uh, some very dedicated websites that follow the podcast and will listen to it, and any sort of rumblings uh, that we say, they'll write up articles on. Because we were written up in multiple articles about what we said about Killer Instinct 2. Right, Jez? Yeah, that's for that. Uh, essentially, uh, that uh, my, it's, it's just weird. It's like, because this is just banter between us, even though both of us had heard the same thing from different people. Uh, it was just, it was just funny that it was just like we say it and we're just having a conversation. It's like, oh, it's, it's 100% true. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how these um, things go though. Hey, maybe like websites, uh, yeah, those web, you know, their websites, it's, it's rough out there, man. You know, it's February, not a lot of news. I know how, I know clicks are tough. I mean, this kind of will even eventually get into, the whole Halo's going to PS5 and Switch, Jed. Did you see? 343 said it was going to a new way and a new place to play. This 100% means the PS5. Lock it in. Breaking news. Breaking report. Microsoft is going third party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That, that whole thing was fun. Yeah. But uh, before we get to all the topics, uh, we got a whole bunch here. Uh, make sure you guys hit the like and subscribe button, especially that like button uh, if you're enjoying the show already. Um, but we want to talk about the games we've been playing, uh, and I'll let you go first, Jez. What, what have you been? What have you been spending your time with outside of World of Warcraft and outside of freaking Pokemon that you're trying to get me to play again? <laughs> and it will never happen. It's not happening. I don't care. I don't care how much money you oh, raise no. for charity. I don't care. You can be like, oh, do it for the kids. I don't care. I don't care about the kids. Okay? I'm not playing Pokemon <laughs> Snap. I'm not playing World of Warcraft. I'm not playing Final Fantasy 14. You and PMS Jordan can stop conspiring in the DMs to get me to play <laughs> any of this stuff. It's not happening. Anyways, go ahead. Well, I, I haven't been playing too much this week. I've just been super busy with work. I played a little Nightmares 2. Um, I think I talked about that last week in, before the embargo had lifted, but um, I presume you, you might talk about that a bit more. But... <clears throat> I love Little Nightmares too. I, I think it's awesome. Like the the last the last couple of chapters are just kind of like, what the hell, man? I, I'm I'm questioning my life now after after this stuff. So uh, yeah, that game is 
really wild in a sort of inside kind of way. Um, so if you liked Inside or Little Nightmares 1, my god, play Little Nightmares 2, it is just, it is just crazy. Some of the stuff, some of the, some of the stuff in that game makes me question the sanity of the, the people making it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was like, how the hell do you come up with some of this stuff, man? Like, the hospital level? What the, the hell? hospital level, ugh. Oh, that's the thing though, it's like, there's no like jump scares in the game whatsoever, it's just so, like, creepy, like, sort of gets really under your skin, that, that Little Nightmares 2, it's, it's such a tremendous game, um, I absolutely loved it, I loved every minute of it, and it, it's like every, every, every segment there's something new and something fresh, and never, it never feels repetitive, like every, every moment feels like a set piece almost, I just love that game so much. I really love that franchise. I want to see, like, I, I'm already looking forward to Little Nightmares 3. Like, I really hope they I mean, clearly they're going to do Little Nightmares 3 after, after. I mean, clearly. You know, I mean, no hopefully, hopefully, you know. Yeah. Man, ugh, creepy game. Um, <clears throat> maybe there needs to be a new, a new genre that's, like, less horror and just more creep, creepness. Um, cause that game is just the, the epitome of creepiness, but, um, so yeah, I played Little Nightmares 2. Really, really great game. Um, people in chat are saying the medium of Little Nightmares 2, the geeky nerd. Little Nightmares 2 all the way for me. Like, which, which game is better? I don't know. I mean, was, is that what you're saying? Like what chat was saying? Like what game is better? The geeky nerd said the medium or Little Nightmares 2. Oh, Little Nightmares um, 2, 100%, all day and every day. Yeah, I would say the same. Just, just, it's, I don't know. Ta- like Tarsia is like, Got something really special on their hands with that game. Really special. Um, other than Little Nightmares 2, I've also been playing Oculus Quest 2 VR. So, um, I wrote some thoughts about Oculus Quest 2 and what the state of VR and whether Xbox should get into VR and stuff like that on Windows Central this week. Just a little editorial if, um, you know, anyone's interested. Um, have you ever used VR Rant? Yes, uh, I had I had PSVR and I played Moss, which I found incredible. Like my experience with VR was like this isn't a gimmick. Well, it kind of is, but it isn't. Uh, I was a believer yeah. in VR after I tried it. After I played Moss, after I uh, got motion sickness trying one one of the other games, like I would just get like I could play it for a bit, but then I get like this headache, and then I, I just would feel wouldn't feel good. Um, I actually threw up. Uh, I was, I think I was playing like Until Dawn, Rush of Blood or something, where it was, you're on like a roller coaster. And I remember like doing it and I was just like, as I was going down the roller coaster, like, I know I'm sitting still in my chair, but mm-hmm. like this, this roller coaster is literally making me feel like I'm on a roller coaster and like, uh, the, the knowledge that I'm sitting in a chair, but yet my, I feel like it's tricking me to feel like I'm moving. It, it didn't sit well with me. Like I just, I just got up and went and threw up in the bathroom. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's it. That's it for VR." Just, I don't know. Maybe it's the the glasses or too too tight on my head or or something. Like I, I don't know. I didn't like the, I didn't like the PSVR because of how obtrusive it was. You put it on your head. You, it's like all pressing on your head. You got all these wires coming off of you. Like I, I don't know. Like it wasn't. I, I could see why people love it. Because I love Moss, and I tried out even the Astros, 
Astrobot. Like I played a little bit of that, but like I just could not get over the headaches and uh, being like motion sickness. So if they can fix that stuff and get rid of all the wires and make it a you know like uh, maybe like a, a, a pair of glasses or something like that, then then yeah. But as of right now, like it's I don't know, like it's not something I, I physically like want to do, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my feelings about even the Quest 2. Like, the Oculus Quest 2 is wireless, completely wireless, which is like the holy grail of VR, supposedly. Um, and it's it's really lightweight. It's super comfortable to wear. It feels balanced, and, like, I'm really impressed with the tech. Like, also, the audio stuff's really impressive. Like, you don't have to stick anything in your ears, and you can hear it, but the people around you can't hear it so loud. Like, they, I don't know how they do that. It's like some dark magic or something. Um, so, like, the Quest 2 is by far and away the best VR experience I've ever had. But even still, it's still sort of that whole, man, I feel ill. Like, the, the disconnect between what you're doing in the game and what you're doing in real life just induces motion sickness. Like, some games, like Beat Saber, right, um, are completely fine because, you know, the lightsaber goes right through the object and your hand movements match up with what you're doing in the game and you stand still the whole time. So when it's a game where what you're doing, it completely matches up with what you're experiencing, there's no motion sickness and it feels very comfortable. But the problem is that doesn't make for, like, very interesting experiences sometimes. So, like, Beat Saber's, like, cool, and it's, like, a good workout game, but it's, it didn't really, like, would I pay $300 for this? No. And, um, so I tried, like, some more complicated games, like, uh, Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners, which is kind of, like, full-blown survival game, uh, in a zombie apocalypse. But, like, it's, it's, it's just motion sickness inducing, because, like when you stick when you stick a knife in a zombie's head, your arm gets stuck in the zombie's head, right? But you don't feel you don't feel the zombie's head, obviously, because there's not a head there. So there's no force feedback on that. So because of that, it makes you just feel fatigued, and your brain's trying to your brain's trying to figure out why there's a disconnect between what you do. It almost feels like being drunk when you're playing a VR game that is more sort of complicated. So I end up just feeling like I can't I can't endorse this. It's so uncomfortable. And I just end up feeling like, man, I just rather just play my T V. And then I keep thinking like maybe like little kids who grow up with this tech might, you know, be more used to it. And everyone always says to me, Oh, you just have to get used to it, you just have to practice, blah 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 but I'm like I'm thirty five this year. And I've had motion sickness my whole life. Like, no matter how many times I try and use my phone in the car, I still always end up feeling sick. So I don't know if you can train yourself out of feeling motion sickness. So I don't know. I'm not... I just... I don't know if it can go further than just being a gimmick. I really don't. Um, But who knows, man? Who knows what can happen? I hope... I I like the idea of it. And some games are kind of cool. Like, super hot VR, it's really awesome. But it's just fatiguing, and I ended up just, like, you know, trying it a couple of times and just not, I'm just being over it, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm just not interested, but 
That's um that's pretty much all I've played this week. He's just off VR and Little Nightmares Two for review and uh and a bit of Pokemon, man. Right. You know, gotta play gotta play that Pokemon. <laughs> so before I so before I get into what I've been playing, uh Face he super chatted and says, Is Final Fantasy VII Remake coming to Xbox this April? Will be a year the game has been out, not a peep about the game coming to Xbox. I see this whole talk has once again reared its head. And I actually had this as a topic. Uh, because we, last podcast, we talked about Final Fantasy XIV. Remember, Jez? And you said, because there was a Final Fantasy XIV event about to take place, because they weren't going to unveil the new expansion. And there was, you know, you said... Maybe because, you know, the Xbox account, like, liked something that it was, might be possible they would have finally announced the Xbox version, but they didn't. So we will definitely be talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake and if it's coming to Xbox or what we think about it. Because uh, Square Enix and uh, Game Pass had a back and forth today, and that's got people convinced Final Fantasy VII Remake's about to get announced. Um, but we will be talking about that in a little bit. Thank you, Face, for the uh, support, buddy. I always appreciate it. Uh, Juniper says, hey, guys, happy Lunar New Year. Now, good fortune be with you both. Now that we got Yakuza, Yakuza Dragon Quest, and Kingdom Hearts, Phil, get us Persona now. Yeah, that does seem like Persona is like the last um, of the Japanese uh, PlayStation exclusives not to come over. Would, would you Would you agree with that, Jez? Mm, yeah, I guess it's... Um... It's it's almost anomalous at this point that it hasn't arrived yet, but yeah. Um, well, I, I know I know like uh, Neo is still only on PlayStation um, as well. So, uh, but for most people, it was Yakuza. Like all the Yakuza games, they're not all all now on Xbox. Even the Yakuza spinoff, Judgment, is coming. Dragon Quest is finally on Xbox. Kingdom Hearts, you know, three was on Xbox, and then. I think like a year later they released one and two and like all of the Kingdom Hearts games, which just also were announced finally coming to PC via the Epic Game Store for sixty dollars a piece. <laughs> uh, sixty dollars for like Kingdom Hearts like one point eight and sixty dollars for like Kingdom Hearts two point eight and sixty dollars for Kingdom Hearts three, but I think you can literally get them for like. Combined for like twenty bucks on PlayStation Four or something. Um, yeah, that is wild. Yeah, That's, man. <laughs> Square Enix is such a strange company. They are. They're very strange. They're very strange. Um, I think. I think there was a time where I was like, "Nah, these games won't come to, to Xbox." And honestly, I think they wouldn't have if it wasn't for Game Pass. Clearly. Uh, Game Pass was one of the reasons why Yakuza came over, because they put them right into it. So Sega got a nice little check. And I think that probably has a lot of Japanese developers a little bit more interested in potentially putting them games on Xbox if they can get, like, money up front. Because, you know, the the, the stereotype is that Xbox gamers don't really buy Japanese content, Um, which we've talked about on the show before, which is like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Uh, yeah. Publishers don't think Xbox gamers don't release their games on Xbox, or they, they don't buy them, so they don't put their games on Xbox. And if they do put their games on Xbox, it's years later when people already played it on PlayStation and or PC. So when they put it on Xbox, nobody buys it, and it's just like kind of uh, perpetuates that stereotype that nobody buys Japanese content on Xbox. So 
I think I think there's Chicken and egg. Yeah, I think I think there's a chance Persona makes its way to Xbox, and I wouldn't be surprised if and maybe maybe not necessarily Persona Five right away, but maybe Persona Four like Golden. Didn't that just come to PC? It's a little bit older Persona game. I wouldn't be surprised if like Persona Four Golden comes to Game Pass, Microsoft cuts check, and you start getting the Persona games on the platform. I think that's probably a possibility. Uh, Humdrum mm-hmm. Dog says, "Do I do you think or I think Supergiant Games will come back? Uh, Supergiant Games, the makers of Hades and Bastion." Transistor and Pyre. Now, they started off with Bastion, which was an Xbox Live Arcade game, and it did really well. And then they left Xbox. Uh, their yeah. next games were exclusive to PlayStation 4, Transistor and Pyre. And then they left PlayStation, uh, and they did Hades on Nintendo Switch and PC, and Hades was nominated for all these Game, game of the Year awards. So do I think Supergiant games will come back? Yes. I think Hades will be on Xbox by the end of the year, and it probably will debut in Game Pass. Um, because there's been kind of a shift towards indie games. Like, in the beginning, if you recall, Jez, there was that uh, platform parody that Xbox had, where if you shipped a game on PlayStation or Switch first and came to Xbox later... You had to do something else different with the game, add more content before Xbox would allow uh, your game to be on the platform. And a lot of indie, indie devs hated that. A lot of indie devs had a lot of problems with some of the practices that Microsoft did. Um, and that's where a lot of er, some of the early resentment from, like, there wasn't a lot of indie titles on Xbox at, at the beginning. Uh, and then that, that restriction lifted. And with Game Pass, indies have kind of seen a, a resurgence. Where on PlayStation, you see a lot of developers talking about how it's almost impossible to get traction on the PlayStation Store if you don't have some sort of deal with Sony themselves. And, you know, with the rise of Nintendo Switch, pretty much all the indies went over there, and they sell incredibly well. So, yeah, I do think Supergiant Games will make its return to Xbox, and Hades will be on the platform uh, by the end of the year and on Game Pass. That's that's my prediction. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, thank you guys, by the way, for all the support and being here. Uh, mean Jez, it, it, it really uh, means a lot to both of us. Uh, Mr. Squeen says, who does Xbox owe more to? Samus Blackley, Peter Moore, Don Matrick, Phil Spencer, or Squeens? Jez, who do you think Xbox mm-hmm. owns more? Like, father, Samus Blackley? Peter Moore, the man who kind of shepherded it through, you know, the 360. Uh, Don Matrick, the one who kind of took the baton from Peter Moore, made the 360 into a juggernaut before essentially uh, shitting the bed and almost destroying Xbox. Or Phil Spencer, um, actually investing in studios. Uh, trying to turn Xbox into, uh, you know, a, a, a giant gaming company, getting getting Microsoft as a company to look at gaming in a different way than they than they used to. I think I think like, you know, the cliche choice. But honestly, the fact that Phil Spencer managed to get Xbox elevated above Windows to the senior leadership table, like that cannot be understated as an achievement. Like yeah, he's building on he's building on the success of the 360 era and stuff like that, but that's but Phil was the missing piece of the puzzle in convincing the Microsoft CEO 
that gaming can be more than just a sort of side project for Xbox. That it's more than just a way to get people to use Windows. In a world where Windows is sort of can't grow anymore because it's already got a monopoly or whatever, like Xbox has outgrown Windows almost. So like for Phil to really explain that to Satya Nadella and stuff and um make the business case for gaming as as a platform on Azure and stuff like that. Um I think um without Phil, you know, Xbox's days have been numbered. I really do think that. Yeah, so, I do uh, think that too. But uh you know, I, I, I did like what Peter Moore did with the you know, his time at Xbox. Yeah, well. I mean you can't Xbox like like we'd never got to that point if it wasn't for people like Seamus and and Peter Moore and, and stuff like that. So it's it's obviously a team effort and you can't attribute you can't attribute it to like any single person, right? But um it's uh you know it's a it's a hard question to answer really. Because it Phil, Phil himself would say like it's um it's a it's a team thing. It's not any any single person. Like without without like the network architects there's no Xbox and without the game devs there's no Xbox. Without the people running it there's no Xbox and stuff like that, so yeah. Yeah, I would say uh I would say Peter Moore and then uh Phil with what he's done, uh and I would say if Don Matrick is your king, then uh you best just get out of here. You know what I'm you know what I mean? Like I know there's some people out there who, who think Donnie D, you know, like yeah, they like Don Matrick because that was when the Xbox was on top of the world uh, and when Microsoft was throwing around its weight and getting a bunch of third-party deals, even though it was all predicated on the fact that Sony basically almost killed themselves. It was really nothing Xbox was doing at the time. It was just PlayStation launched too expensive and didn't have games for a while. Uh, and Don Matrick was throwing around the, around the, some money, getting some, you know, third-party exclusives. Like, I even think back at the time with the Xbox 360, like, they didn't even really have first, like, they didn't, they had, like, what, four or five first-party studios making games, and it was roughly just, like, Halo and Fable, uh, and, Ge- yeah. you know, Gears was being made by, by Epic, and they, I mean, and they signed a lot of great games. That's where, like, I, I, I credit Peter Moore and Jay Allard, because they signed those early deals, and you had your Mass Effects, you know, you had your, the Bioshocks exclusive and the Saints Rows and the Elder Scrolls and all that stuff. Like all those deals were put in place then and then Matrix comes in and kind of takes what they built and then, you know, essentially they they see this momentum of, of the Switch, or not Switch, the Wii, do the stupid camera and then think, but then the big their biggest mistake is thinking essentially that, uh, you know, gaming isn't important and that's not what people actually want and it's just, like, other thing. It's an entertainment center, you know, Xbox One, and we just, we all see how that played out. So all I'm trying to say is uh, screw Don Matrick. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Long way of saying that. Um, Chris McGee says, whatever happened to the Microsoft and Facebook partnership? Do you think it's possible that Microsoft will partner with Facebook for the VR experience? Wasn't that specifically for, like, Mixer Jazz or something? I mean, one thing you have to remember is Microsoft is like a minority shareholder in Facebook. Um, so sometimes they collaborate on, on weird random things sometimes. I guess um, Mixer is one of them. 
Like if if uh, if Microsoft was going to partner with anyone for for uh, what happened with Mixer, the obvious choice was going to be um, the obvious choice was going to be Facebook because they're they're the company that Microsoft's least in direct competition with, I guess. So, I mean, they'll work together when, you know, needs must. But the thing is about Oculus, it's sort of like, it's a closed platform. I think if Oculus was a bit more open, like Steam, I think Microsoft would be more willing to work with them. But um, Windows Mixed Reality, obviously, is been more closely aligned with Steam and for the Windows platform. Like, Facebook wants to build its own separate platform completely, uh, you know, separate from Windows. So, I don't know if Microsoft wants to go all in with Oculus. But, who knows? You know, we don't know. Uh, Microsoft's current thinking about VR is that it's not going to be a thing. (laughs) And uh, part of me thinks they're probably right. You know, um, but they Microsoft does every now and then um, release information about the work they've been doing in VR. Like I got an email from them this week about new services for Hololens, new services for Windows Mixed Reality. But it's always in a business context. It's never never in a gaming context. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what their plans are. Do you remember that Conquer game for Hololens? <laughs> I remember that comp- Conquer game, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um shout out to KY Bot for becoming the newest member of the channel. Thank you for the support, brother. Enjoy those uh lovely emotes. Uh we appreciate it. And I think we have one more before we get on to basically some of the topics we want to talk about. Uh <laughs> this name here. I I'll, I'll just say your name is Gaggins. Uh Xbox is also important for building brand trust for Microsoft for most young kids playing on Xbox. This is their first introduction to Microsoft and that's true. So, um, with that said, I want to talk uh, briefly about Little Nightmares 2 because I agree with pretty much everything that Jeff said. And, uh, you know, I recorded a clip. It's playing on screen right now. But it doesn't really do it justice because you don't have uh, the sound. You don't have uh, just some of the eerie things that you hear as you're just going along through the level that really add to the tension and the atmosphere that this game is building. Because... One of the things this game does really well, Jez, is atmosphere. Creating just like unsettling feeling for you, the player. That anything can happen at any point in time. And like, then you see those disgusting figures. You know, the teacher, the hunter, the doctor. And like, of how disgusting it is. And it just kind of puts you as a player on edge. Especially when you have the chase sequences. Like, I love that. Like, this game... I'm not saying this game is perfect. It has its flaws. Some of the mechanics uh, are a little bit, uh, don't work properly all the time. And what I mean by that is, like, when you jump and you try to, like, hang on to a ledge or, or pull yourself up, you have to hit right trigger every single time you do that. And sometimes it just won't register that right trigger press. So sometimes during a chase sequence, uh, considering it's like an insta-kill if somebody catches you, essentially... Like, when you press the right trigger, you won't grab onto something, and then you'll die. Fortunately, the respawns are pretty much instantaneous, you know? So, like, you never... And, and since the checkpoints are fairly frequent, you, like, you never really ha- have long to go to get back to where you were. It's, like, you usually spawn right there, um, and then once you figure out whether 
the combat which they added in this game. Like they first game didn't have any combat, they added some combat in this one where you pick up a weapon. And it's not just as easy as like, oh, I'm going to go to this character and kill somebody. Uh, it's it's also kind of a puzzle in the ways you, you, you do kill them. But I beat it over the course of two nights. First night, I played the first two chapters. Second night, I played the last three chapters. Uh, definitely way longer than the first game. I would put it about on par with it. Um, it was just really nice to get back into that world. Uh, learn more about it, see different things than just the mod, you know, the ship that you're on in the first game. Have the companion with them so you could do little kind of co-op uh, things, even though it's not like a second player, like, can't play with you. Um, and some of those levels are just so eerie and disgusting, and, and the sequences with the teacher and the doctor. Uh, there was a couple moments where I jumped because I wasn't expecting what was going on. So uh, I, I, I love this. I, I love the Little Nightmares franchise. Uh, this game is, is fantastic. Uh, I'd probably give it like eight and a half or nine, depending on how I feel about it. Um, if you lo- if you like the first game, you need to play this one. If you're kind of on the fence about this game, you should try the first one. It's probably a bit cheaper because this one is $30. But for anybody who enjoys these kind of inside-like games, what, what do they call these, like? Third person, like uh, like side scrolling puzzle puzzle platformers. You'll 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 really enjoy Little Nightmares too. Um, the game's great, although it is not optimized for Series X. Unfortunately, uh, there is a next gen version coming end of the year ish. And for those of you that you know want to wait, you you can. I mean, the current version runs at 30 frames, so maybe the next gen version runs 60. The load times are pretty fast already. I mean, death respawn is like instantaneous, and maybe they bump up the resolution as well. Cause I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, you know, it's not 60 frames. I'm not playing it." And I understand that to a certain degree. Like almost every game I played on this system so far, and these next-gen systems have been 60 frames, and you start to get used to it. So when you go and play a game like Medium or a game like this, you definitely notice that it's 30 frames. Um. But, like, I'm not really sure Little Nightmares needs 30 frames. It just kind of, it, it just needed a little bit less jankiness when it comes to some of the, uh, some of the mechanics. Like, the, like I, there's no achievement this time for beating the game without dying, which I did in the first game. And I was thinking, like, could I beat Little Nightmares 2 again without dying in one go? And it would be difficult just because of some of the mechanics of the game don't always register. And you need pinpoint, like, accuracy at times, and sometimes it just will fail. And uh, that's a little bit disappointing. But I wholeheartedly recommend Little Nightmares 2. I love the game. And, uh, you know, if you do play it, let me know what you think about it on Twitter. Tag me. Be like, play Little Nightmares 2. Because a lot of people, when I when I talked about how awesome Katana Zero was, Jazz, a lot of people checked that game out because tons of people, you know, DM'd me on Twitter or messaged me on it or, you know, tweeted me. Uh, talking about how amazing that game was and how they never would have played it if if it wasn't because of me and you talking about it on the show, you know? I yeah, mean, how you I weren't even going to play it until I talked you, talked you into it, right? Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. Um, KY Bob, he says, Sorry, guys, I could have sworn I was already a channel member. I don't know how that got past me. I'll fix now. Much respect. Thank you, KY Bob, for the support, brother. So, yeah, that's... uh Oh, and I also finished, finally, Hitman 3. Um... Spent 62 hours in, in, in Hitman. Played through all of Hitman 1, all of Hitman 2. 
and all of Hitman 3, and I loved every single second of it. Uh, Hitman, hit, like, Hitman 3 is going to be in my top five for game of the year, for, like, without a shadow of a doubt. Whatever comes out this year, I, I, I can't imagine there being four games better than Hitman 3. Like, Hitman 3 was absolutely incredible. I know some people don't like the Hitman franchise. I don't really care. Uh, my buddy Dealer Gaming was, uh, when it was announced, was like, make something else. No, you make Hitman games because you're really good at it. And I know they're making, you know, they're making the James Bond game uh, in in a couple years or whatever. But it was just it was just so cool just playing all three Hitman games just one after the other in one single launcher and everything, uh, you know, 60 frames and oh my god, how gorgeous those levels were on the Series X and. Uh, I can't recommend Hitman enough. If you like stealth, you definitely have to play Hitman. I know, Jez, because I was kind of walking you through it, because you were going to play Hitman, but you were like, how do I get to Hitman, Hitman 1 maps and Hitman and Hitman 3? And it was a little bit co- complicated, right? Yeah, it's, it's confusing. Like, the you have to download a... You have to download a specific uh, license to access the older games within... The the launcher, like it's so cool the way they did that though. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. Um, um I'm gonna go through them myself at some point uh, when I when I actually get time to sit down and play something. But yeah. uh, I've never I've never really given Hitman enough enough time. I really need to. You do can that. you can basically make Hitman into whatever uh, whatever you want, like. I know some people don't like the mission stories, which basically give you waypoints to complete stuff, but, like, you can turn off the mission stories. You can make it give you limited hints. You can turn it off completely. You can turn off instinct, which is basically, you know, Batman's detective vision where you can see people through walls. You can turn that off. You can turn the HUD off. You can basically play Hitman however you want, which is much help or as little help as you want. And then just have fun exploring the level and figuring out all the different and creative ways you uh, you can kill people. It's 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 uh, it's awesome. It's so good. Love it. I love Hitman. I love Hitman Three. So, you think that'll be a Hitman Four? If they do go back to Hitman Four, I mean, the ending of the game does leave room for there to be more Hitman games in the future, for sure. They obviously didn't close that off, but with them going to Bond. And then who knows whatever they do after that. I could see I could see them like ten years from now potentially doing maybe bringing Hitman back if they have some more ideas, right? If they if they feel creatively like they can add something to Hitman, but I don't know. It does kind of just feel the way the way it ended and and how it ended. It does kind of feel like this is the last one. Uh, and I won't spoil how it ended or whatever, but like, it definitely kind of feels like this is Hitman's swan song. And, uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's the, the IP's in a weird place too, because it seems like, it seems like, um, they have exclusive rights to develop Hitman games, but Square Enix have exclusive rights to publish the game. So, I don't know, like, it's and they're they're both separate companies, so it's like this weird sort of place where I guess they want to make games that they actually own fully in the future. Because 
you don't want to be making it. You don't want to. You don't want your studio to be defined by an IP that you don't necessarily own. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Gamerholic says, "Hey guys, great show as always. Would gold conversion still work if I previously had ultimate at full price? I never did any conversion. So how does that work, Jazz? The whole conversion thing, because." We've talked about this before, and Microsoft has talked about it, but if you've, if you've had Ultimate, I don't think you convert again, right? It only works if you've never had, had Game Pass before, right? Or Game Pass Ultimate before? Uh, yeah, I think so. You, it's for new users only. Yeah, it, it's for, uh, it's for, it's for new years only. I mean, if you've never had Game Pass, what I did is, uh, you can convert from Xbox Live Gold into Game Pass Ultimate, and everything's one-to-one, like one month, whatever you have, like, banked. If you have six months of Xbox Live Gold, that would give you six months of Ultimate, and you can bank up to three years. So what I did a couple, you know, years ago when they first introduced Ultimate was I bought up to three years of Xbox Live Gold, so when I converted to Game Pass Ultimate, I had three years of Game Pass Ultimate. But I believe it only works if you haven't converted. If you're already converted, I don't think it does. Um, yeah, it was like an introductory sort of offer thing. I yeah, one of those one of those first time things. So, anyways, uh, that's what we've been playing. Um, if you guys are enjoying the show, make sure you hit the like button, all that good stuff. And we're gonna get into the topic. We're gonna we're gonna go back to the Final Fantasy thing because I feel like, you know, since Space gave us a super chat, to talk about it. We'll talk about it right now. Now. Um, Final Fantasy XIV had a event where they announced a new expansion, and it's not coming to Xbox, Jazz. It's coming to uh, PlayStation 4, PC, and they announced the PlayStation 5 version, which is having a open beta uh, on, in April, right? Yeah. Um, even though Phil Spencer himself had talked about getting Final Fantasy XIV to come to Xbox all the way back in, what, November of 2019? And it's still not there yet. Now, does that have anything to do with, uh, you know, Xbox game or Xbox still, as of right now, uh, you need Xbox Live Gold to play the free-to-play games? Because I believe, I believe Final Fantasy XIV is free-to-play up to level 30, right? And then after that, yeah, you have to pay like for that. it. So yeah. maybe the announcement comes a little bit later, or maybe they maybe something's going on between Square Enix and Xbox, because uh, as as we, we talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake, the exclusivity ends in about three weeks for that game. Ex- exclusivity for Final Fantasy VII Remake ends on March 3rd. And there's a is that, is that something is that something that's known or rumored? That's literally on the box of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Literally yeah. says it on the box uh, okay. when it came out last year. It's, you know, right? And uh, there is a Final Fantasy VII concert that is happening, I believe, next week or maybe in two weeks or something where there might be some announcements regarding Final Fantasy VII Remake. So a lot of Xbox fans are expecting Final Fantasy VII Remake to come to Xbox, because why not? Like, even though nobody's said anything, whether Xbox or Final Fantasy, people just assumed a year's up, uh, Final Fantasy VII is going to come to the system. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> waiting for Final Fantasy VII Remake to come to Xbox. 
I have this feeling that during this event, they're going to announce the PS5 and PC version. And the PS5 will probably, you'll have to pay for again. I don't think it'll be a free upgrade. And it'll have, like, you know, new DualSense features and all that stuff and 60 frames and, you know, pretty much be the, the PC version. And I know that's when a lot of Xbox fans are probably hoping they, they're going to announce it, but I don't think they will. Now, I would love to be wrong. Like, if next week or the week after it comes out and, hey, we're announcing Final Fantasy VII Remake for Xbox and it's coming with the PS5 and, you know, the PC version, I would be like, hell yeah, that's great, because I didn't finish it on a PlayStation 4 because I got really into Warzone, and I was like, you know what? I'll just play it on my Xbox Series X when it comes out, presumably in April, right? But we're two months away from April. The exclusivity is up in a couple weeks. And it's like, well, if it doesn't get announced for the Xbox Series X, I guess I'll just buy the PS5 version and finish the game. Um, But the reason why also this came up again was because Square Enix and the Xbox Game Pass account were tweeting back and forth with each other. So a lot of people are like, well... Why would they tweet each other back and forth? And why are they talking about Cosmo Canyon in Final Fantasy VII? You know, because, well, you played Final Fantasy VII. You know what Cosmo, Cosmo Canyon is, right? Yeah. It's uh, Red Thirteen's home. Red Thirteen's home. It's like, why, why are they tweeting about this? What could it mean? Does it mean Final Fantasy, you know, does it mean the announcement's coming soon? And there is some back and forth between them. Uh, even though Final Fantasy VII is already on Xbox Game Pass. Uh, the original, and they just added Final Fantasy XII. A lot of people are hoping that this uh, interaction on Twitter means that Final Fantasy VII Remake is coming. So I so give them... weird about Final Fantasy XII on Xbox Game Pass. What's weird about it? It hit Game Pass globally yesterday, um, or whenever it did. I, I don't know the specific day. I don't even know what day of the week it is. But a day later, um, Final Fantasy XII was removed from Xbox Game Pass in Japan. Hmm. Why is that? I don't know. Shenanigans, I guess. Hmm. Just, just, just. But basically, the whole the whole relationship between Xbox and Square Enix is so strange. Like the 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 way that like Xbox liked that tweet about Final Fantasy fourteen showcase got everyone's hopes up that finally Final Fantasy fourteen will come to Xbox. But again, we are disappointed. I asked PR about this and. They they just don't comment about Final Fantasy fourteen on Xbox. It's like it's it's just it's just a thing that just just doesn't seem to be happening. Like it's so strange. The whole the whole thing around Square Enix and Xbox is so strange. Like you just can't depend on any any Square Enix game to come to Xbox. But then but then like they do all these buddy buddy things on Twitter, like we get like we get the crumbs, you know, we get Square Enix's crumbs. And stuff. We get their old games. We get like Final Fantasy VIII upscaled on Game Pass. Big, big whoop, you know. And uh, it's it just kind of sucks, you know, for Xbox fans. The Square Enix is sort of that's the way the relationship works. But it's all money at the end of the day, you know. If Microsoft was throwing the same kind of money at Square Enix that Sony is, then I'm sure things would be very different. But so what is the so Gamerholic says, thanks guys, I almost wasted three years on gold. Uh, well, we're glad that uh, you didn't waste your money. Um, what do you think about Final Fantasy VII Remake? Do you think it's going to be announced? And, I, and people are telling me that this event is actually tonight, or 
something in Japan. So maybe you'll find out tonight. Uh, so what if you were to make a prediction, like how, how you're feeling, Final Fantasy VII Remake, is that going to be announced alongside the PS5 and uh, PC version? Or do you think potentially Sony bought another year of exclusivity and they're not bringing Final Fantasy VII Remake to Xbox? Or Final Fantasy VII Remake won't come to Xbox until Part 2? Uh, what do you think's going on here, if you had to make a guess? If I had to make a guess with, like, zero information, I would say I don't expect Final Fantasy VII Remake to be announced for Xbox. Um, could be wrong, but I just highly doubt it, just given how Square Enix and the Xbox's relationship seems to be. Um, it's just it's just the way it is, you know. Uh, clearly, Sony and Sony and Square Enix are very close right now, and um, and uh, you know, it's just the way it is. You know, it definitely it definitely seems like Sony is doing everything in their power to make it seem like Final Fantasy is a PlayStation game or PlayStation uh, brand exclusive because you had the one year deal with Seven, which you know may not come to Xbox and it's going to be on PC. Uh, but then Final Fantasy 16, there's, you know, at, <laughs> Final Fantasy 16, a game that means jazz. So if you recall, back before uh, Sony had their June showcase, right, all the way back in, like, when we were talking about it in May, we're like, Final Fantasy 16 is going to be a PlayStation exclusive, right? And I remember Reset Era, like, quoting us and, of course, with a lot of these rumors and stuff, they always quote you, and I'm just chopped liver. You know, they never they never <laughs> care about what I have to say. Even though we both literally said we had heard from people we trust that Final Fantasy 16 was going to be exclusive, uh, it was always, Jeff Gordon of Windows Central says blah, 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 right? I'm just a YouTuber who just makes stuff up, apparently. Um, the thought process there was, like, okay, that would be a one-year exclusive. Eh, Final Fantasy 16 may never come to Xbox. You know, uh, yeah. that might be a full lifetime exclusive because then the other Project a- Athea game, that's two years. So uh, maybe Sony's just throwing money around to make sure that anything Final Fantasy is just only associated with PlayStation. And, uh, yeah, it's that way. Yeah. So, well, I guess we'll find out soon. Uh, maybe maybe if that, if that concert's tonight or tomorrow and they not announce the PC, PS5 version, you'll have your answer. And if they announce an Xbox Series X version, then Xbox fans are going to be are going to be happy. But it's just like <laughs> you don't announce that that Xbox version, there'll be a lot of pissed off Xbox fans because it's like you're adding all these older games to Game Pass, and it's like you're not getting remake. Well, that's it's like, and that's a big miss for Xbox. Like Xbox already, you know, you don't have Persona, which is a problem. You don't, and you finally got Yakuza games, which is great. Now you're not getting new Final Fantasy games. That's a problem because you don't want games to skip your platform. And I understand Sony's paying for it, so there's really nothing you can do there. But then, like, my one of my buddies who's basically uh, essentially been playing nothing but Genshin Impact, uh, I was like, I was just thinking, like, man, it's that's just, that's a miss for Xbox not to have Genshin Impact on the platform. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like, those are things you don't want to happen. Like, you want as many games on your platform as you possibly can get. And I don't know if it's just because of the developers or they have no interest or if it's one of those things we talked about earlier about, oh, Xbox gamers don't play Japanese games or, you know, whatever. But it's, I think Genshin's Chinese, right? I mean, I could be wrong. Um, yeah, Genshin Impact is 
Your good old pals Tencent. Oh, Tencent, of course it is. So, yeah. I think, like, it'll be like, coming back to our previous discussions about Sega and stuff, it'll be like, potentially, if, if, you know, Sony wants to make Final Fantasy uh, associated with the PlayStation brand, like, if you pick up Sega, you can make Yakuza and Persona associated with the Xbox brand, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's that kind of, tip for tat sort of thing, you know. Maybe they should just buy Capcom and give me a new Breath of Breath of Fire. That'll be rad. Mm. Do you ever play Breath of Fire, Ren? No, I've I've never played Breath of Fire. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Joe. Breath of Fire is fire. You know. <laughs> uh, I Siler says, was the deal with Final Fantasy being on Game Pass permanent? Final Fantasy 15 was removed a few weeks ago. Um, I think those deals were just a year. Most Game Pass deals that you can kind of look at and track from when they were added to when they were removed are usually like a year. And it definitely seems like the Final Fantasy ones were, were are on for a year. And I think Microsoft and the, pub, the developer, it, once that time comes up, they can renegotiate and have it on longer. Like if a game does really well, like Descenders or Human Fall Flat and, and games like that, like, they can then be like, oh, it did really well for our game, and, you know, blah, 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 here's some more money, keep it on the platform. So, with those games, it's probably just a year, and they're gone. So, if you want to play the older Final Fantasy games, you got about a year to do it. Uh, so, get on it. Uh, Aaron says, Microsoft needs to stop being nice and pay the money already and stop letting this happen. Um, I don't necessarily yeah. know if it's about paying the money to get the game on the platform. It's just Sony's paying a bunch of money to keep it off Xbox. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of like you hold you're it's almost like you're holding Microsoft to ransom at that point. It's like if Sony's paying for exclusivity, then it it's sort of it incentivizes the only way you can you can counter that is to pay for exclusivity as well. Microsoft's like sort of stopped doing that because of the backlash. It's funny, you know, if Microsoft does it, they get a media backlash. If Sony does it, it's business as usual, you know. So, like, Microsoft stopped doing the timed exclusivity thing because uh, because of the backlash. But that, I suppose, that comes back to the comment about Microsoft being too nice, you know. I think they, sh- I think they should just do it. I think they should just, you know, get 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 competitive and start buying up all this buying up exclusivity, you know, on on third party games. I think they should do it. No, why not? Oh, screw it. Just buy the whole studio. And make the whole franchise exclusive. I suppose that. I suppose that's the ballsy move, isn't it? <laughs> I love what they're doing with Bethesda. But that's the um, that's the world we live in. You know, it's uh, we we come into this age of uh, platform exclusivity, like Netflix pulling Star Wars off. Um, no, sorry, Disney pulling Star Wars off Netflix and stuff. And uh, do you remember? Do you remember that whole thing? Like that whole controversy? It was like um, it's almost forgotten now. And Disney Plus is about to hit 100 million subscribers. 100 million subscribers on Disney Plus. I think they're at like 97 yeah, million. Yeah, it, it's right crazy now. that basically it, it got up to 90, 96 million on the back of two seasons of Mandalorian and a bunch of, <laughs> like, right? Like, they, cause they had like nothing for a whole, it was Mandalorian they launched with, which was great. Then they had nothing until Mandalorian season two. And now, okay, now they're rolling with, you know, WandaVision and they're rolling with, uh, Captain, uh, was it, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But they're already up to almost a hundred million. But that's just the power of, uh, 
IP and and everything, right? That's power of Star Wars, Marvel, and all the all the Disney and Pixar movies and stuff. You know? Mm, yeah, it's it's wild, man. It just it just goes to show how important content is and how important exclusive content is, which is the whole you know the whole mentality behind buying up Bethesda and whoever else they buy up next. So you know. One step at a time, I guess. One step at a time, indeed. Uh, Windia, Windia Santoso says, developers of Genshin Impact have said they have no interest in making an Xbox edition. Yeah, I remember, I recall reading that, and it's, uh, it's a, sh- it's, it's a shame that they basically came out and said, nah, no Xbox for us. Uh, which means they're, you know, they feel that it's not worth their time or effort or money and resources to make an Xbox version. Um, so, yep. Yeah. Um, what else we got here? We have one from, uh, Windy again. The issue is about Xbox in Japan. It's not the number of consoles sold in Japan. It's getting the interest of Japanese developers to build for Xbox. That is true. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think, like, um, after Bethesda, I would really like to see Microsoft invest in a Japanese dev or publisher. Because I think that would, that would show the Japanese market and developers and it would also give Xbox a base to build and grow in Japan and become like a legitimate, legitimate source of gaming in Japan. Because right now it's just it's just this obscure sort of thing, you know. Like I really do think that would be awesome for everyone on the Xbox platform. It'd be bring Japanese games to Westerners, and also it'd bring Microsoft Microsoft cash to Japan, you know. Yeah. And, I think that would be cool. Isyler says, do you know anything about Final Fantasy XII being removed from Game Pass in Japan after a day? Also, I haven't asked for a while, but how are the Ferrari payments going? I think Jez already talked about the Game Pass in Japan thing. My Ferrari payments? I don't... <laughs> I know Jez like, <laughs> talks about the YouTube millions, but it's rough, man. Like, it's the it's the new year. You know what that means? You know, YouTube's uh, YouTube goes out of their way not to show people your videos, and ad rates are... Basically nothing at this point of time in the year. So if I had a Ferrari, they'd be they'd be you know basically repoing it right now. I'd have the guy knocking on my door to get it back because I couldn't be able to make the payments. So uh, Tony Art says with Sony locking huge franchise away from Xbox, Xbox Microsoft should lock every single Bethesda IP from Sony besides the MMOs. Go for the throat. Well, I mean, that's what we've, uh, you know, talked about with the whole Bethesda thing, and we'll be talking about that a little bit more because we have to, we have to, you know, tell people what the vault is. But, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fans, uh, you know, want Xbox to basically, I don't know, keep the Bethesda games exclusive to kind of stick it to PlayStation fans or stick it to PlayStation and, you know, give people a reason to, uh, you know, get an Xbox or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, Adam says, shouldn't Xbox just increase the budget and size of Tango Gameworks? Seems like they have to go out and get a second studio and make RPGs. You know what they should do, Jez? They should buy Sega and just have Sega as, okay, Sega is now basically Xbox Game Studios, Japan, as like the forefront dev and like work from there. I that, agree that's what they should do, but you know who knows if who knows if they will. Tango Gameworks is great. Uh, you know they come with the purchase of Bethesda, uh, but they need they need to convince a lot of Japanese developers that to make games and put their stuff over. And if you 
Had a huge company like Sega basically be in the front for Xbox Game Studios in Japan, that would go a long way. So, um, I think like um, I would really, I'm really interested in how gamers responded to Dragon Quest on Game Pass. Because I always see a lot of people on Twitter talking about Yakuza like a dragon and stuff like that. But like, I don't. It'd be interesting to see how many like normies, quote unquote, actually play Yakuza and Dragon Quest, even if they're in Game Pass. Because I suppose Microsoft would use that data to then present to Japanese devs and be like, "Look, you know, West, our, our audience do want these games, you know." Um, but I guess we'll never know. Okay. Um, what else we got here? Uh, someone wants to know, Jez, uh, what's your comment on Clobril's tweet mean? <laughs> I think he's talking about, I said, um, we ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Clo- what is Clobril, Clobril tweeted, what did he tweet now? He tweeted about, like, um, people not understanding the future of Xbox uh, first-party games and stuff like that. And um, and I said, basically, you ain't seen nothing yet. Man, some of the plans I've seen for... that are, like... I'm not talking about, like, two years out. Like, I'm talking three, four years out. Some of the ideas and plans I've seen... You do realize that whatever you say here, some website is going to pick this up with the clickbait headline... And they're going to run with it, and then I'm going to have to make a video about what was said in my own podcast. <laughs> so, you know what? So, we're going to line this up for all you websites out there that are listening. All right, Jess, start over again. What did you mean when Cloverl tweeted out, and you, you tweeted, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. Let, let's get let's get the articles written, baby. Come on. Let's go. Start it up. Clickbait it. Let's go, Jess. Go. Come on. What, what? Well, take it with a pinch of salt, you know. But... You know, so I, some of the, some of the the plans I've seen Mike, that Microsoft have for games that are like four years out, five years out, of like more ambitious than what we've seen in the double A era, should we call it double A or triple A? <laughs> the double no, like the double A era, as in like you know, Sea of Thieves in its launch state and State of the K two in its launch state. Like the Don Mat the the Don Matrix Terry Myson era. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you crack down free and stuff like that. But some of the some of the plans I've seen for games are like several years out, which may not even get made. They may not even get made. But they're incredibly ambitious, like big budget sort of projects. So I'm uh I'm really excited for the future of Xbox, put it that way. I just hope like some of this some of the stuff that I've I've heard about I just hope it actually comes true and actually gets made and isn't just like doesn't escape the prototype stage. But there's there's some uh, there's some cool stuff that plan. Like how cool? Very cool. The kind of cool that you would need hundreds of millions of dollars to make. Hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars to make these these games, these projects. That that sounds probably sounds like big big games. A big yeah, big big games. Wow. You know, it's it's just a kind of, it's a level of ambition that I've just not seen from Microsoft before, you know. Um, but, th- again, they might not even get made. They might just be prototypes. It might just be it might just be a case of, like, Microsoft gets cold feet and decides they're too ambitious. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic. I'm very excited about the future. 
But I can't, I can't even imagine what five years from now looks like, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny, like, could you imagine when the Xbox One launched in 2013, that we'd be sitting here talking about this kind of stuff now? Like, you just, it, it, it doesn't feel like a long time ago, but it really was 2013. Like, it's, it's eight years ago. Like, what? That's crazy. Eight years ago? Mm-hmm. Where's, where's the time gone, man? But, um, I don't know. It'd be, four years will have gone past, like, um, in the blink of an eye, probably. And then we'll, we'll be sitting there talking about how we talked about this, these plans. Will we, will we still be doing Xbox 2 in, uh, four or five years from now? We better be. We better be, yeah. Be. Yeah. So, so uh, everybody who's listening, every you know, if you're if you're a member of uh, those websites, make sure you properly credit credit this. This is Rand and Jez <laughs> Xbox Two podcast. I want to be I want to be in the byline. Damn it! I keep I won't stand for this. So Jez um, is saying that there's a level of ambition that he's never seen from Xbox before, and that. Uh, People just don't even know. They can't even fathom. They can't even fathom what is going to be going on. Love that. Yeah. Can't wait to can't wait I, to read I the just, can't wait to read the articles tomorrow about it. I just I just hope it I just hope it comes to fruition. But yeah, me too. I don't I don't think I don't think you even you even make those kind of plans unless you have the the ambitions to match. So yeah. um, I'm excited. I am excited. Uh, shout out to iSidelar18 for becoming the newest member of the channel. Thank you for supporting the journey and uh, enjoy your emotes. Living Flame says, have Tango by Yoko Taro and Conquer Japan. Mr. Miracle says, it's still a rare achievement to beat Ori, Gears, Highbusters, etc. Why would Microsoft feel incentive to invest in nice RPGs they know their fan base? Uh, well, I mean, the thing about those is, like, they're all on Game Pass, so anybody can try them. They don't necessarily have to finish them, so... Um, that's the whole rare achievement thing. I mean, it's, it's almost a rare achievement to beat the campaign of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 because anybody can play it because it's free to play. It's just the amount of players, you know what I mean? Uh, Friendly Neighborhood Blue Shell says, brought an 80% beat Dragon Quest. Awesome. Hope you really enjoyed the game. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, we're all caught up. Stuff for Graham here. Would you like to see Grand Theft Auto Trilogy Remastered be released? Uh, so it's interesting. They talked about that in their, uh, uh, investor call, Jez. Uh, they asked him about any remasters or remakes for any of the Grand Theft Auto early, earlier games, like 3 and 4, you know, Vice City, San Andreas. And he didn't outright say no. He said he would leave any announcements up to Rockstar. Mm. Which kinda is adding, you know, speculation to the, to the, you know, uh, fuel to the fire that you know, potentially Rockstar might remaster three Vice City and, and, and San Andreas at some point to kind of bridge releases until six. What do you think? I uh, I want them to remake GTA one and two, man. Screw mm. screw three D. I just want top down. I want top down. I want top down GTA. Man, I played those games to death when I was a kid. <laughs> I played it to death. Drive, just driving a tank in GTA 2 for like hours, running cars over. That, that's, that was, that was the height of entertainment for me as a kid. But yeah, I don't know, man. Um, 
remakes and remasters are obviously big money. Like everyone, everyone's doing it. And we've got Mass Effect coming. We've got like you know we've we've had a, a boatload of remakes and remasters over the years. So uh, you you know Grand Theft Auto classic trilogy being remade, remastered, and republished would make an absurd amount of money. It'd make an absurd amount of money. So um, yeah, I imagine that's the thing that's coming. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. You want to talk about uh, <laughs> Halo going to the PlayStation Five and Switch? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Um. So this this also is a is a tweet. Uh, I think you replied. No, maybe you didn't reply to Clover or whatever. But uh, so when we ended the podcast last week, I think on Saturday or whatever, there was a blog post over at Halo Waypoint that was talking about flighting, you know, the Halo Master Chief Collection flighting that they do. They they put out new tweaks and things uh, for insiders to try out before they, you know, bring them to everybody. And for for some reason, because of a single line of a bullet point in, a, in an article about flighting, where they said, you know, there's going to be potentially a new way and a new place to play, this got the industry's websites all up in a tizzy. You know, I saw countless articles talking about 343 teases, teases Master Chief Collection coming to a new platform, right? You had, you had of course, uh, people on Twitter being spectacularly wrong, like, lock it in, it's coming to PlayStation 5. Chief is looking good in blue, right? Uh, you know, Master Chief's coming to the Nintendo Switch. It's a done deal. Breaking news, breaking reports. Right? All this stuff. Uh, everybody's like, yes, Master Chief, finally coming to PlayStation and Switch. And I made a video about it, as I tend to do. And if anybody, you know, I think, I, I feel like if anybody watches my videos and is like, over the course of years, when things happen, when leaks and rumors happen, uh, when dates for events, you know, like when I give that information and I'm right about it, I think people kind of put in the back of their minds like, yeah, Rand's usually right about all this stuff. So what did I say in my video, Jez? I said, well, it would be cool to maybe potentially see, you could see a Halo coming to a Switch at some point, which I still think is possible at some point down the road. I'm not ruling out Halo coming to the Switch. I don't think it'll be never on, play, on PlayStation 5. But I was like, what they're talking about is this. A new way to play is going to be a custom uh, game browser, a custom in-game, a custom in-game game browser, and the new place to play is going to be one of the maps from Halo Online. You know the Russian Halo Online game that people uh, that only was available obviously in Russia. They had some new maps that they built. I'm like, watch, it's going to be a custom game browser and a map from Halo Online, and that's going to be the two things. And it's not this huge clickbait thing about oh maybe it's coming to the Epic Game Store or PlayStation Five or whatever, right? And what did it end up being? A custom game browser and a map from Halo Online. <laughs> mm. It's funny because, like, I, I had heard that Microsoft was experimenting with standalone Xbox games for Android and iOS. Because, like, for example, um, Apple won't allow Xbox Game Pass cloud streaming gaming xCloud 
stuff, whatever the brand is. Um, they won't allow Xbox Game Pass game streaming on Apple Store because Apple considers it a competing storefront and they blocked it. So one way Microsoft could get around this is by putting Halo as an app, just Halo as an app onto the Apple Store and then it runs through xCloud or whatever. So like that, that's one, that's one thing I've heard that Microsoft has been working on. So like you could, you could go on your phone or your, your iPad and buy like Xbox games standalone that are run through xCloud. Like that's something I've heard they've been looking at. You know, similarly to how like, you buy, if you buy Resident Evil 7 on Nintendo Switch, it's actually streaming from the cloud. It's not native. Um, that's what, so I was thinking like maybe it was that. But coming to PlayStation, eh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Ever. Well, It'll be so, cold day now. So Katapsi says, but seriously, don't you think their messaging at Microsoft should have been more clear to both avoid such, a, uh, such situations than for the consumers to know what's going on? I mean, it. I get what you're trying to say, and Microsoft's messaging has been lacking, but this is a update about flighting, which specifically is to people who are in the insiders of Halo who are going to be looking for up forward to the updates for it. If Microsoft is going to announce Halo is going to switch, it wouldn't be in a blog post on Halo Waypoint that's buried deep. It would be what they kind of did with Forza Horizon 4, uh, an article on Xbox Newswire saying Forza Horizon 4 is coming to Steam uh, on March 9th. Uh, this wasn't that. This was just like, hey, here's all the things that, you you know, Halo Insiders, you can you can test out. As if that, you know, the way video game news is right now, it's, it's kind of dry. So when you read that stuff and you want to, you know, make, make an article about it, you've got to clickbait it because... Nobody wants to click on an article that's like, uh, you know, that's like Halo, you know, 343 gives update about Halo, right? But people will click on an article that says 343 teases Halo Master Chief Collection coming to PS5, right? Because people are like, oh, damn, I want to know. Did they really? What's going on? So in this situation, I, in this, I'm, this isn't a problem. This isn't Microsoft's messaging that's an issue. This is an issue of, websites needing clicks and clickbaiting everything to high heavens to drive people in. And it should have been apparent to anybody with, you know, any semblance of logic that uh, it was, they're talking about something within Halo Master Chief Collection itself, not, you know, new platforms. Because you're talking about a flighting update. Like, Halo doesn't even exist in any form on any of these other platforms. So how would it get a flighting update? It doesn't even exist. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like the only thing it could be was exactly what I said it was going to be. And that's why people should pay attention to me more and watch my videos. Because <laughs> I know what's going on. Uh, is that right? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. Anyways. Um... Uh, but the other thing that they, they mentioned recently, which this might make you sad, I know it made uh, Attic sad, was basically Halo Wars 2 is done, and so is the Halo Wars franchise for the most part. What do you think about that, Jez? Yeah, that kind of said never say never, but um, mostly it does sound like Halo Wars is over. Um, it's not ultimately a surprise, I guess, uh, given that 
RTS is a relatively new genre. Halo was was too simplistic to attract the core RTS fan. Um, but at the same time, Microsoft's looking at RTS a lot lately with uh, Age of Empires, which is has more engagement than it's ever had ever. Age of Empires is really growing on PC. And obviously Age of Empires 4 is coming out and stuff like that. So I personally think that I don't think the franchise is dead. I think they will revisit it because, um, you know, it's a brand people know. And I think there is a load of potential there if they actually make it, give it more depth. It doesn't have enough depth, I think, for a lot of RTS fans. It's, it's too simplistic. And they've always sort of like, they've have this sort of, sort of uncanny valley where they have to make it accessible for controller play and stuff like that. But now we've got like full blown keyboard and mouse support on Xbox. There's kind of there's kind of no excuse, you know. So um yeah. I would uh I would assume that um it'll come back someday but not in the near future. But it's a shame because I uh, I quite enjoyed it personally. And it has, and obviously it's given us uh, Atriox, that's going to no doubt be a big part of Halo yeah. Infinite. So. Atriox is going to be a big part of, uh, of Halo Infinite. So thank you for Halo Wars 2 for bringing that in, uh, by the way. Because he, he, he was a really cool part of, of that game. Um, unfortunate for anybody that likes Halo Wars or the franchise, but uh, you know they said never say never, so five years from now we might get a Halo Wars 3. But uh, who knows? Um, so I figured uh, we got to talk about this uh, whole vault situation, right, with Microsoft and Bethesda. Um, mm-hmm. Did you write about this? Did anybody at Windows Central cover this whatsoever? Yeah, I think Matt Brown covered it, uh, the vault the vault subsidiary where Zenimax will live or something. But uh, apparently it's only temporary. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how the these sort of mergers work. But there definitely seems like a lot of people that – have no understanding of how mergers and acquisitions work and uh, anything of how it meant. I saw people talk about how this meant how, how this meant that Vault was going to be a new subscription service that Microsoft was going to sell with Bethesda games inside of it, right? Mm, yeah. um, so essentially, that's how Microsoft was going to acquire Bethesda in a reverse triangle merger, where Microsoft creates this subsidiary called Vault, and then Vault basically merges into and with Bethesda, and then Vault is gone, and the only thing left is Bethesda, and Microsoft then owns Bethesda. But it's not a direct merger where, like, Microsoft would absorb Bethesda. It's just, like, Bethesda will be a subsidiary of Microsoft. Now, we are expecting, essentially, what? We are expecting uh, Bethesda to be its own separate entity within Xbox, but not under Xbox Game Studios, right? Yeah, I think the way I'm imagining it is that it'll be like kind of how Activision Blizzard is integrated, but separate brands. Like the the way the way Blizzard runs things is very different to the way Call of Duty runs things. Although it is increasingly becoming very scarily similar. But I think Microsoft's. Uh, so far, they've pretty much seemed to let studios basically do their own thing. And I think, like, that's basically what they'll do. Because unlike Activision Blizzard, Microsoft has 
you know, the subscription service to run. And the whole idea is, you know, having a diverse, diverse array of content for Game Pass, which is ultimately what the goal is here. So, um, yeah, I think they'll, they'll be separate entities and, you know, I think we could even see like a continuation of things like QuakeCon and maybe even Bethesda having its own like, uh, E3 presence because Bethesda, you know, historically is, you know, done its own shows. Like, physically, physically, I'm not sure Microsoft, like, if, if we ever get back to the, if we ever get back to having regular E3s again, Microsoft physically wouldn't be able to fit all of Xbox Game Studios and all of Bethesda stuff into one show unless it was like three hours long. Sure they could. 100% they could. Uh, what? How? If like every trial is 20 minutes, 20 seconds long? <laughs> I mean, I don't, see, I, I had this discussion with a couple friends and it came down, okay, so like, you have Xbox Game Studios which is run by Matt Booty and there are 15 studios, correct? Well, 16 yeah. I guess if you had World's End, World, World's End, right? And also Xbox Global Publishing, correct? Right? Am I am I right on that? Yeah. Okay. And then you have Bethesda, which you know they'll report up to Phil. Whoever's going to be running Bethesda, whoever's the Matt Booty counterpart is, I don't know who that's going to be. They'd report up to Phil. They're separate than Xbox Game Studios, but they're still Xbox. They're going to keep their identity intact. It's going to be Bethesda, maybe even Zenimax. Maybe they still keep the whole Zenimax Bethesda thing. I don't know. Um. Because I've had this conversation where it's like, well, wouldn't you want uh, – imagine a situation, and we've already seen where, like, the EU is going to rule on the the merger and the acquisition by March 5th. Maybe they do it even earlier than that. And once the deal closes, people are saying, like, wouldn't it be cool if Bethesda had their own event separate from Xbox Game Studios, so say sometime in May you get a 45-minute Bethesda presentation where, like, Todd Howard debuts Starfield and gives a 15-minute demo like he did for Fallout 4 and Fallout 76, where, mm-hmm. you know, machine games can come out there and showcase Wolfenstein 3. Um, you, you know, like, like Arkane can come out there and show Dishonored 3 or whatever other projects they have, right? And then a couple months later, Microsoft can do Xbox Game Studios and, like, Here's Forza Motorsport, here's Forza Horizon 5, here's Avowed, and here's Fable, and here's Psychonauts 2, and all the games coming from from their first party run by Matt Booty and any, you know, indie titles or maybe third-party deals that they have. Uh, that's the type of stuff, right? You're, you're talking about that, mm. like you would like those that, that setup? Because you, yeah. because you don't think they could put Bethesda games with in a conference that is alongside Xbox First Party? I mean, they can, but I don't know if they need to. And also, there's a school of thought that, like, a 90-minute conference is too long. Sure, sure, yeah. there is that thought, but I think what... And also, like, the, there's potentially, like, some, you know, I don't know, aspects that don't necessarily cross over. Like, Bethesda typically likes to showcase mobile games at its show. Fallout, Elder Scrolls Blade, and stuff like that. I don't think those would fly in an Xbox showcase. I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just I'm just imagining a Bethesda thing. And and you're right. Bethesda used to have 
an E3 press conference, and there's a lot of stuff there. But I also think Microsoft is going to have to start messaging and showing that Bethesda means Xbox. And having a separate press conference doesn't really do that any good, right? Because if Bethesda is, going to, is Xbox, you would want to be like, okay, here's an Xbox game showcase. Here's Fable. Here we got some gameplay. Here's Avowed. We got some gameplay. Boom, here's Starfield, right? Okay, here's um here's Wolfenstein 3. Boom, we're back to we're back to uh, you know, uh next game is 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 Hellblade 2. Boom, next game is Dishonored 3. Like it gives a sense that these are Xbox games and Bethesda is just an Xbox, you know, studio making games for Xbox. But if you keep it separate, it just reinforces the notion that they're completely different and you don't build that whole Bethesda is Xbox, Xbox is Bethesda uh, thing that I think they do want to build in the future. You know? Now, yeah. Bethesda's also a very PC-oriented dev, too. Well, so, so is Xbox. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I guess so, but Xbox almost, like, doesn't want you to know that. Um, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know if, like... I don't know if they keep them separate on that basis. So, like, people don't think... Oh, these games are like console exclusives now. But maybe, maybe that, maybe well, they. So that's the other thing I was going to say is that if you have Bethesda separate, to me, and this may be to me, that means your plans are for them to be multi-platform. Yeah, I guess it's uh, it's something for people who are paid a lot of money to figure this stuff out. With like, what what do you do? You know, I suppose ultimately what Bethesda want is what they'll probably do. Like, if Todd says, yeah, I kind of want my own show, you know, I kind of, you know, stuff like that, I, I can't see them just saying no. I can't, yeah. I can't just see them saying yeah. Well, give, yeah, it depends on what level of, uh, you know, uh, independence they have. I mean, granted, they're going to be answering up to Phil and Phil's the boss, but if they really are about, like, hey, we want to keep the studios and the culture of what Bethesda is all about, and that includes having our own showcase, Phil may be like, okay, but if also you're trying to... Because, okay, like, me, you, and everybody listening to this podcast, everybody's going to know, okay, Xbox owns Bethesda, but, like, does the common casual gamer know that? Does the person who really loves Elder Scrolls know at this point that Bethesda is Xbox and Xbox is Bethesda? No, and, and how do you actually start doing that? You need to start messaging that. So when do these people actually pay attention? Well, they normally pay attention when you have these big press conferences. And if the big press conference is just, here's Xbox First Party Studios games and nothing from Bethesda, a lot of people will be like, who only pay attention at that point are just going to be like, oh, nothing's really changed for Xbox. And if Bethesda has their own show, you don't really equate that Bethesda is Xbox. But... If you did a show and everything was just interspersed, here's Fable, here's Starfield, you know, here's Halo, here's Wolfenstein 3, then you start building it into customers' minds that they're one and the same. Even though Bethesda's separate, they're just, it's all just Xbox and all these things will be on Game Pass. I mean, I'm not a marketing guy, but like, I think that's pretty basic. You need to kind of combine those two in people's eyes. So I guess we'll – well, this kind of goes into this uh, Xbox gaming event that was announced today. Well, more of a Microsoft gaming event. Do you know anything about it? 
that Phil Spencer is keynoting? No, I think it's mostly developer oriented. Like I saw some some outlets use the headline, the first gaming event yeah, no, for right. uh, my Xbox, and I was like, eh, that's a bit, that's a bit, that's a bit of a reach. Are they are they you know? talking more about like tech and like Azure yeah, and how that and like how that stuff is gonna drive gaming in the future and, and things like that? Not necessarily like, oh, here's a new trailer for Perfect Dark or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. It's just going to be like, you know, AI as your machine learning boring stuff, unless you're like into that stuff, I guess. Are you into like that stuff? Will you be covering it? I, I will watch it, yeah. I'm into that stuff, but it's not going to be game announcements. They're pretty, pretty firm on that fact. Um, I might try and land an interview with some people working on that tech, though, because it sounds pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be they're not going to announce any games there or anything, you know. So, uh, the first game event, I think not. So when do you think we actually get the first gaming event? Like, I know this is an event, Phil speaking, and it is called, like, what, AI and gaming event at Microsoft. But, like, for yeah. what people want to see, what I want to see, what you want to see, what everybody in chat wants to see, you know, gameplay of these new titles, new announcements, Bethesda games. When do you think that actually is going to happen? Maybe we just have a regular E3, man. Maybe we just have an actual E3 week. Do you think and Xbox is going to be a part of E3? Because I know there's talk that E3 wants to come back, that they're putting something on. Do you, do you see Microsoft once again kind of doing that, or do you think they're going to do their own thing? Microsoft supports the ESA generally um, so I would uh, I would expect entirely that um, Microsoft would support E3 if they do like if they try and do like a diesel E3 event I reckon Xbox would support but maybe they'd support like in a limited capacity and then have their own event some of the time I suppose the thing is it's like it's, there's a lot of pressure. You put a lot of pressure on the developer. More pressure than a lot of people realize. Um, to make a demo that you can present in a show. So it's, it's essentially like, it's an extra deadline. It's an extra thing everyone has to work towards. And it's an extra level of complexity. So, like, for some devs, it's kind of like at a point where, they're kind. Of, they're kind of like, oh man, this is a this is a lot of extra pressure. Can we do we really have to deliver it by this date? And I suppose with COVID and the lockdown and the fact there isn't an E3, it frees up it frees up the ability to delay your event to a later date if necessary. You know, so maybe maybe they don't support E3 on that basis because you know COVID's still disrupting everything. Like you know, we've kind of as a society, almost gotten used to it, but it's still massively disruptive across the whole world, you know. So, I don't know. I think it could go either way. Like, maybe Microsoft does have a, a good... Maybe maybe the stars align and Microsoft gets a good range of demos that they can put a decent show together. Or maybe it's more like they wait a bit and, you know, relieve pressure on their devs and, and make it slower. I don't know. But... It could go either way, I think. I think they're I, I think they're gonna have multiple. 
Now, I don't know if what your theory about, like, Bethesda having one separately and then Xbox having one, um, I do, I, I do think they'll have, they're gonna have multiple, um, events throughout the year. And I'm wondering, since you have so much content now, granted, a lot of the content's releasing at the end of this year and then, uh, especially 2022 and 2023, how are you going to introduce a lot of this stuff that isn't going to get particularly big shine during these events? Like, assuming Starfield launches the end of this year, and you have some sort of trailer for it or a demo um, at an Xbox game show, right? Like, plus Halo Infinite, plus potentially Forza Horizon 5, and then I think it's time Microsoft starts to more or less look at the Nintendo Direct format and what Sony does with State of Play, and finally be like, okay, we have our big events where we, like, announce games and show them off, but then when we get close to release, we also are going to have a 30-minute inside Xbox, but not inside Xbox, like, that you currently think with, like, Major Nelson and all those guys. But, like, here's Todd Howard talking about Starfield for 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Here's uh, Halo, and a Halo event, strictly Halo, for 45 minutes showing off the campaign in the multiplayer with the developers talking over it. You know, like, that is kind of what I want Microsoft to shift more and do more of. Like, it really seems, in, in my opinion, that, like, Nintendo gives more of their games a shine by having these individual uh, showcases. Mm-hmm. And it makes it makes them seem more special, where Microsoft tends to shy away from that for whatever reason. And I think if you're going to have all this new stuff, then not everybody's going to know about it, so you're going to have to do that. I, that's what I want. Like, hell, do one for Psychonauts 2. Whenever Psychonauts 2 is ready, do a 15-minute thing with Tim Schafer talking over a level or something. Just to, like, tell people, like, this is Psychonauts 2. It's coming out. It's in Game Pass. Here's some cool stuff you can do, and here's Tim Schafer being funny. Look for the game. I, like, I think that's something 100% that they need to do, and I wonder if anybody in chat agrees with me. And I wonder if you do. Do you think they should start doing that for most of their releases? Yeah, I think, like, putting a brand on... Putting a brand on your delivery of news is incredibly smart, and it's one of the smartest things Nintendo have done. Like, the whole... The whole the word direct, you know, that could apply to anything. Pokemon direct, Animal Crossing direct... Super Metroid Direct or Metro Prime Direct, when, whenever they do that, you know it's it's super clever, and it's uh it's you know it's one of the things Nintendo does extremely well is marketing, you know, and um and uh, as someone who works in news, you know, I think it's important to have a consistent brand and a consistent, you know, it's almost like iconography to to give your Give your audience an instant knowledge of what kind of format you're going to be delivering. And I think, like, because Microsoft experiments so much and they don't stick to a single thing and, and, you know, they, they do some weird stuff sometimes and, you know, it's, it's always a bit hit and miss. I think, like, it's, it's almost frustrating that Nintendo has given them a blueprint of how to deliver news about their games, and they don't follow it for some reason. 
Like, I don't know why. I don't know if there's, there's some voices in Microsoft's marketing team that are just like, no, we don't want this because whatever reason, you know, it maybe, maybe it eliminates some people's, you know, or diminishes some people's roles internally or something. Maybe it's political. So I don't know. But I think the Nintendo Direct format is awesome, and I think Microsoft should totally rip it off. Because it's just it's just so damn nice, you know. And frankly, some of Microsoft games are actually using this format. Like um, Minecraft Dungeons, for example, released an eight-minute-long video about the Never the Never DLC for Minecraft Dungeons today, and that is like really good format. Like the Mi- Minecraft is actually doing this format right now, and it's doing really well. I don't know why whoever whoever runs the Minecraft operation for those kind of direct-style news updates on video. Take over all of Xbox's news delivery, because <laughs> it's pretty good. Please, pretty please, damn good. please, take it, take it over. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah, uh, shout-out to Gaming Addict. He says, what if, hear me out, Randy Jez, I'm Bethesda, with googly eyes. Hmm. Mm. I believe you on that one, Addict. Uh, King2002 says, a Nintendo Direct-style video in March or April for smaller games announced last year, updates and release dates, then saved the big games for June. Yeah, um, I think people would appreciate that. I just want them to highlight more of their games and give them all a spotlight. Like, it feels like you can tell how much Microsoft cares about a game by how much they, they talk about it, but now that you have Bethesda and you have 15 studios and... You're going to have a whole bunch of stuff. It's like, yeah, show off a new trailer and maybe a short gameplay demo. But, like, when that game's getting ready, close to release, boom. You know, uh, you show off 30 minutes of, of Starfield and 30 minutes of Halo Infinite and, and 20 minutes of Hellblade. Like, get people excited and, and show them what's coming. Like, uh, that's that's what marketing should be doing. That's their job. And it, the fact that we haven't really seen a lot of that is like, well, you're really doing your job? Like... You just sending some of these games out to die, or do you hope that Xbox Game Pass is the marketing vehicle that you're looking for, so you don't have to spend a lot of money doing these things? But then, like, I can make a video. You know, like my videos take maybe two and a half, three hours to make. I know Colt's videos take anywhere between like five or six. Like somebody at the studio or whatever can easily compile some footage and talk over it and make you excited. Like I, I don't, I don't. It's like it's. I don't think it's that expensive to do. Uh, it should be done. Unless, of course, you think the game's garbage, then obviously you don't want to really market it, like hide it, you know? Like, oh, don't worry about, don't worry about this game. Uh, <laughs> you know? Cause it's, it's kind of true for Sony, like with Sony, you can always tell what Sony thinks about a game and how they think it'll review by how, how early they let people review it. You know what I mean, Jez? Like if Sony, yeah. if Sony's embargoes are a week before the game comes out, they think it's gonna review fantastic. If the embargo is close, really close to release date, they they think the game's going to be mediocre. If it doesn't have an embargo, like, then you end up with stuff with, uh, uh, like, Destruction All-Stars, which review, you know, in the 60s. So these companies know what they have. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, if they've got something good, they'll, they'll, they'll give people plenty of time to play it. But just just do that. It's free advice we're giving you here, Microsoft. Just, you know, promote your games more, please. <laughs> Um, what else we got here? Uh, EA deciding Anthem's fate. What do you think, Jez? Uh, Jason Schreer talked about how basically EA was going to go over Anthem's next this week and either 
uh, say, hey, you're doing a good, great job, and you can uh, staff up and have more people do it, and we're going to revitalize Anthem, or they're going to pull the plug. If you had to guess, does EA reinvest in Anthem's future, or does EA pull the plug, and Anthem is dead? I have a feeling that Anthem is probably dead. Oh, I think, like, no. EA, EA is the last company I would expect to see take a risk and, you know, double down and save that kind of game. I think, like, if they were gonna, if they were gonna save Anthem, they would have done it already. And, like, Anthem Next, like, the team that were, the team that were allocated to fix Anthem was so small, they didn't have a chance. You know? And it sucks because, like, I tweeted out last week that I had more fun with Anthem than I've ever had with Destiny. I think Anthem has better combat than Destiny. I think Anthem is more interesting than Destiny. And I know this is not going to sit well with some people, Destiny fans. And I apologize. But I find Destiny to be soulless and bland. And just every time I play it, I just, just hate it. So wait, are you, are you, are you saying that Lord Cognito of Iron Lord's podcast is playing a, a soulless, bland video game. You know, he listens to the show every single week, and I'm calling him out here. So are you saying that he's been spending his his life the last few years since Destiny 1 playing a lifeless, soulless, uh, gr- you know, uh, video game? Is it, is, it, is it what you're saying, Lord Cognito and Lord Addict and, and, Lord, and, and King David is what these guys are doing? Sometimes it's okay to play a soulless, Game, I think. Mm. I think sometimes you kind of just want a gameplay loop that's simple and and you know and and you just you just jump on twenty minutes, get some loot. I don't see I don't see any problem with that at all. You know, playing World of Warcraft repeatedly over the years, it does get to a point where it's just like I've done this dungeon like fifty times and I'm doing it again, and then that starts feeling soulless too. I think I think it's I think it's like I don't, I don't think it's a bad game by any means. Like the combat is really tight, and the shooting mechanics are really tight, and the artwork in Destiny is truly stunning. Like there's a lot of things to to like about it. But for me, and just talking about me personally, I just, I just can't stand the game. Like every time I play it, like I played that new DLC with the status powers, stasis powers, and whatever, and I was just like, I was so bored, man. I was just so bored, you know. And, uh, I just, but when I played Anthem, I just, I had way more fun. Like, the combos, the classes were divergent and unique and different. Like, the, the warlock type class with the casting was so, played so differently from, like, the, the other classes in Destiny. Like, Destiny's classes of, like, yeah, I've got a grenade, everyone's got a grenade, everyone's got a melee attack, the animations are basically all the same. It just it just really bores me. Whereas like the Colossus in Anthem was played so differently from the caster class. I can't even remember the name of the caster class anymore. It's been that long. But I played Anthem last week because I was exploring uh, writing an editorial about it. Um, the game's dead. Like I couldn't I couldn't queue. Like and you can't solo some of the missions. You have to have to do. You have to have a balanced group. And I couldn't get I couldn't get anyone to matchmate with because there's no one playing it in PvP. Oh no, in, there's no PvP in um, Anthem. It's just oh PvP. yeah, yeah. 
So I couldn't like I I match made for a for a dungeon in uh, Anthem, and uh, there's just no one. There's just no one. So I was like solo against these mobs, and I couldn't kill them because it's it's balanced around four player, four player four player PVE. So I think like tr- truth be told, Anthem to revive Anthem would require a sort of Final Fantasy fourteen Realm Reborn level of investment. And um, I think EA is embarrassingly risk-averse. They are a company that has shown time and time again that they don't take risks. And I think Anthem is the kind of risk they won't take. I would love to be proven wrong, but I think me, I think you probably agree with me that Anthem is dead and it's never coming back. Yeah, I... I kind of feel like they're going to pull the plug on Anthem and they're just going to be like, all right, get to work on Dragon Age. You know? Yeah, I think, like, Dragon Age is... almost feels like the last hope for Bioware, honestly. Like, if if Dragon Age flops, I can't see a future for Bioware, honestly. Like, Bioware has, like, lost so much of its his- historical talent like, so many of its big-name devs have left the studio and moved on. Like, you know, Mass Effect Andromeda was left unfinished with an unresolved story. Um, and Dragon Age recently lost its game director, I think. Um, and uh, so, someone who's, like, been with the franchise since the beginning. And I just... I love Bioware. Like, they were my favorite studio for years. Dragon Age Origins is one of the few games I've completed, like, more than ten times. You know, Dragon Age Origins is one of my favorite games of all time. Like, I absolutely adore that game. And uh, I even like Dragon Age 2, which, you know, some a lot of people didn't. And uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, you know, I thought that was great as well. But... But... It, <laughs> EA just doesn't do itself any favors. Like this is the whole meme about EA being a studio killer is playing out in real time, watching the slow rot of Bioware. You know, it, it, it's painful to even talk about it. You know, um, and everyone I know everyone's excited about the Mass Effect Legendary Collection, and I'll I'll totally buy that. You know, because it's you know nostalgia and stuff like that, but. Man, I just... It makes me sad. Mm. Um, You you know who seems to be doing good under EA's respawn, though? Yeah, and I kind of feel like it's because they give Vince Zampella, if I pronounced his name correctly, I might not have done, and I apologize. Um, They give him the freedom to be a game dev. And luckily, he's proven himself repeatedly that he can deliver without a, a, a ton of oversight, you know. So they give him the, they give him the freedom to do that. Whereas for whatever reason, they didn't give Bioware that same freedom. And, uh, you know, this is what's happened. So nah, That's definitely true. Um, let's see, we got the Super Chat from Chaos Mike. So Tag Game Pass Ultimate converted the first time for a year, then waited it out, got three years ago, then converted it to Game Pass Ultimate. Two years and three months. So talking about the conversion stuff. Uh, I see uh, Miles is in chat. Uh, I was wondering if he enjoyed our, our conversation 
uh, about Pokemon and Nintendo. Uh, if you guys didn't know, I did a I did a podcast with Miles uh, last weekend on uh, Windows Central's gaming channel, where Miles tried to you know he he tried to get me on the whole Pokemon Nintendo thing. But as me and Jez discussed later on, I think it was just because at that point in time I was just too old and I wasn't uh, I, I had no friends who played Nintendo at that point, so I just missed out on Pokemon. You know that that poll poll. Remember your poll you put out? Yeah, yeah. What what I was remember. the what was the what was the end result of that poll? Um, let me have a look. I don't know. It's, I I would have to dig for it. Do you remember okay. what the tweet said? I could. It was like age groups of people that got into Pokemon, and like my age group oh, yeah. was like five percent or something. Everybody was a little bit younger. Either way, um, Xbox Series X outsold the PS5 in uh, January in UK and then uh, South Africa. You, should we read any anything into this, Jez, about Xbox outselling PS5 and Switch in some of these countries? Or is it just kind of, well, every system seems to be supply-constrained, so whatever system has the most available is the one that's going to sell the most for now, essentially? Yeah, I think it's... um. All, what it indicates is stock allocation. I don't think it necessarily showcases that Xbox is in higher demand in those countries. But at, le- at the very least, it shows that Xbox is still in demand. I think, like, it would be... What would be scary is if Xbox wasn't selling out, you know. Um, the fact that it is selling out shows that there is still a huge amount of demand for Xbox and stuff like that. It's funny, you know, because... Um, when I was writing about Oculus Quest 2 the other week, I did notice that um, they're in stock everywhere. That it's like it, you can't buy a Switch, you can't buy an Xbox, you can't buy a PlayStation, but you, you can buy an Oculus Quest 2. They <coughs> apparently don't have the same supply issues that graphics cards and consoles have right now. Um, so at least you can infer that there is continuing demand for Xbox and but I don't think it, it describes anything beyond stock allocation frankly yeah because I think uh, in that January MPD numbers came out and Switch was number one and had like the best unit sales since the Wii in, 20, in January of 2010 so it's selling pretty incredible and uh, PS5 had the most dollar sales uh, but then you know, I got a $500 and a $400 one so um, I just you know, it's one of those things where they're selling them as fast as they can make them. So it's, I'm sure both Sony, Xbox, and Nintendo wish they had more stock available to sell, right? Um, and Xbox, yeah. Xbox has said recently that they they expect it to be kind of hit or miss for stock until about June, uh, to about halfway in the year. And uh, you know, Phil's talked about how this holiday is more important than 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 launch, uh, essentially. And it's like, well. Let's hope. Hopefully, you, you you bring the games then, because you know you didn't really launch with anything. Uh, <laughs> and if holiday twenty twenty one is supposed to be bigger or at least more important, then you know if you can line up uh, a Forza Horizon five, Starfield, Halo Infinite, Ubisoft, and Game Pass holiday, then that's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, I, I would imagine Sony's going to have like. Horizon Zero Dawn or Forbidden West, maybe God of War 2, although I doubt it. Uh, did you see Ratchet and Clank got a release date uh, coming June 11th? Uh, I did see that, yes. Now, originally, last year, they said Ratchet and Clank was launch window. So I'm going to ask you this question. 
His June launch window. Would you consider um, June launch are, window when it comes to the consoles? They are kind of stretching the definition of launch window, I think. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's fine, I guess. Right. Um, I don't know. Do you consider that a launch window? No, absolutely suppose, not. <laughs> no? <laughs> absolutely not. April is about, you know, the limit, what I would say, for launch window. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, maybe. But I suppose, like, could it be considered a launch window as long as stock problems persist? I don't uh, know. Nah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, saying, maybe they were... Trying to bend the rules of Sony, giving Sony the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, I don't know. That's not launch window. But then, of course, you know, COVID, <clears throat> maybe the game got pushed, maybe it was planned for earlier. Like, Returnal got delayed a month and a half. Um, yeah. So, you know, there are people speculating that maybe they delayed them because they want people in it to have more systems so the games can sell more. I think it's more like, hey, the game just probably needed more time. But either way, um, CD Projekt Red uh, had a big big issue. Uh, somebody stole their source code and then auctioned it off and sold it for like $7 million. What is going on here, Jez? What's going on with CD Projekt Red? Yeah, so CD Projekt Red's servers were breached in a massive attack. Um, I don't actually know if, uh, I don't know if it was like actual, you know, sort of like a security flaw or someone in their network administration team got fished, or if maybe it was even an inside job, disgruntled employee trying to, you know, get their own back or make, make some money or something. Like the investigation into that is ongoing, but yeah, it's a pretty nasty scenario overall. Um, CD Projekt Red uh, lost its source code and then had their servers encrypted and locked, which they had to restore from a backup then. And um, and then the source code got st- sold on the black market to a buyer who stipulated that they'd only buy it if the source code was no longer distributed anywhere else. Although I have no idea how they plan to enforce that. So what kind of buyer would would do that? And um I think it was Jeff Grubb on Twitter who was speculating that it was probably like, you know, um Chinese potentially countries uh not countries, like Chinese kind of developers who who are historically um shall we say agnostic about copyright. <laughs> You know, in cloning games, but to be fair, so are like Western developers. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like a bunch of, you know, cyberpunk witcher sort of clone mobile games in the future from like, you know, the East and the West, I guess. Um, but it's kind of like, uh, you know, what can I do about it now? All you can do really is move on, but, um, and yeah, Jeff didn't specifically say China, but he kind of, you know, that's he implied, kind of what he implied that it was. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of what you think of when when you say like a country that is agnostic towards copyright. It's you know, so it's, it's it's the countries that are basically out of reach of um, European and American legal jurisdiction, and those there aren't many countries in the world that can get away with that. So it kind of narrows it down to like a couple, you know. So 
um, it, it is what it is. And I suppose, like, it's going to be a tough year to uh, move on from for CD Projekt Red, I think. Like, they've battered their reputation with releasing... Yeah, man, it still, it still kind of bugs me that in the, in as late as, like, October, they were saying, oh, the base games of Cyberpunk are actually shaping up pretty nicely, to yeah. paraphrase. And, like, I trusted them, you know. I trusted that they, you can't say that unless it's true. Because you will torpedo your reputation. So I, I would, I trusted them with that. So like, um, you know, when I played the PC version and it was, you know, pretty good and rock solid in terms of, I mean, it was pretty buggy when I first played it, but then like the day one patch fixed most of the issues I had when I played through it. Um, and then the, the base Xbox One and PS4 versions are just a complete mess. Like, some of the videos I've seen the first person is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. They, they really screwed their, their reputation. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, it just seems like once that all happened, it was just like, well, now the hackers are going to get them. And, yeah. yeah, who knows if the, who knows if, like, their actual source code was sold, though. And, like, I, I have, you know, press X to doubt, right? Like, eh, we'll see. Uh, Humdrug, yeah, Humdrug Dog 0211 says, you saw Greenberg's Twitter story? You think Bethesda deal is done? Uh, he had a Twitter story of Fleet. God, I hate Fleets. What a dumb name. Fleet. Fleet. <laughs> uh, where it was like Xbox Plus, you know, the, the Fallout boy with the thumbs up or whatever. Uh, people are like, hey, does that mean the deal's getting close to being done? I would imagine when the deal's done, they'll get an announcement because that would be a huge thing. So, yeah. uh, they still need to get regulator approval in the EU, which we know is coming soon. I don't know if it's passed in the, the U.S. yet, and I would assume Japan would have to pass it too, so... I don't get that, man. I don't get why... I, I don't know if someone someone who understands legal stuff can explain this, or even if you can explain this. Why does the EU have to approve a deal between two American companies? Because they have holdings in Europe. All right. And European studios, European holdings, both Microsoft and Bethesda. And that's why I also think Japan might have to approve the deal because there's the Japanese holding. So pretty Yeah, much. I guess. Yeah. Like if it was if Bethesda only had studios in Amer- in US, then then it would just be a US thing, but because they're But could the could the EU be like, well, okay, sell off your European bits? Like Arcane, I guess. Arcane as a studio. If they felt that it infringed on competition and stuff, they 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 could say okay, like because with with the Disney, so when Disney and Fox merged, right, or when Disney bought Fox, they approved Mm. it, but with the condition that Disney would have to divest some of its TV holdings. Uh, so like they had to sell off some of their like. Uh, TV holdings and some of the European channels or something like that. And once they did, like, it was approved. So if somehow they felt Microsoft only Bethesda was this huge anti-competitive thing, which it's not whatsoever, uh, mm. they could make some kind of things being like, well, uh, do X, Y, or Z. So I, I, I don't think they'll make any sort of, uh, 
stipulations about things they have to change. It'll just be like, yeah, okay, you're good to go. Uh, we approve it and blah, 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 blah. So, uh, yeah. I, I expect that to either – we could see the deal close by the end of this month, but I'm expecting latest March. I mean, I think it's getting to that point where they, they want the deal closed. And then and then maybe Phil goes on for an interview, maybe Todd Howard, and I bet you the someone's going to ask about the exclusivity of these titles. And it's going to be really interesting to see what their answer is. Are they going to t- tap dance around it, or are they going to come out and be like, no, the plan is this whether or not they're all multi-platform or whether or not, like, they're all exclusive with some caveats. It's going to be interesting to see what those uh, answers are going to end up being. Uh, we might actually get them pretty soon. Um, Ermi says, Rand, any news on what the BC team is doing? Will more BC 360 and OG Xbox games come out? Um, I hope they start adding more BC games, uh, you know, like open, an, open the program up more. Um but yeah, we'll have to, I, I'm more interested in like the frame rate doubling. They talked about that last year and we all thought it would be there at launch. They even showed like Fallout 4, uh, you know, 60 frames. And, um, yeah, like that didn't launch. So hopefully we find out more about, uh, that stuff, you know, soon, uh, hopefully. Um, yeah, I think that's it, Jez. I think uh, I think we we hit all the stuff I wanted to talk about. You want to take some questions before we get out of here? Yeah, man. Let's take some questions from the peeps. All right, guys. If you want to uh, ask a question, uh, make sure you type it in chat. And we will do our best to answer it. I want to thank everybody for being here on this Friday. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, make sure you hit the like button if you haven't already. Subscribe button if you're new. You know. You can always hit the notification bell so you're notified every time we go live or I drop a new video. You can follow me and Jez on Twitter, where we always tweet about it. Jez tweets more than I do, so uh, I'm usually a good Twitter follow. I don't, re- I won't clog up your your feed. Uh, shout out to Dark CMF, the newest member of the channel. Thank you for joining. I appreciate it. Enjoy the emotes. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be tonight. I'm gonna probably play a little bit more Hitman Three. And I'm going to see what the Final Fantasy uh, 7 announcements are from that concert. I think that's like midnight Eastern. I think it's happening. So uh, I, I'm kind of I'll stay up and see what the announcement is. I just I just have this gut feeling it'll be PS5 and PC, and then Xbox fans are going to be like, "Well, wait a minute, I thought it was a year or whatever." You know what I mean? Um. Uh, let's see. We also got another new member. The Div- Dova Getty, sorry if I said your name wrong, buddy. Thanks for joining the channel. Enjoy your emotes. Uh, we have a question from Humdrug, who says, You and Jets have a gun to your head. you got to predict Bethesda exclusivity. All right, here we go. I think <laughs> new IP exclusive. So Starfield will be exclusive. I think if it's a game that is continuing a story, like Wolfenstein 3, I think that's multi-platform because I don't think Xbox wants to be seen as the bad guy. So when Wolfenstein 3 gets announced this year, and I think when it launches next year, I think that game's going to be multi-platform because it's continuing and closing out the trilogy of BJ. And I think Xbox is going to be a little bit averse to being the bad guy, like, oh, you took this away and this is the continuation of the story. But I think Wolfenstein 3 will be multi-plat. But any new IP is going to be exclusive, and then when you get into franchises like Fallout and Elder Scrolls, 
since those are standalone titles that don't exactly um, continue a story, I think those will be exclusive. So if they ever do an Evil Within 3, I think might be multi-platform. Uh, maybe if Arcane's game is Dishonored 3, depending on if it's a direct continuation, maybe that's multi-platform. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but that's kind of what I predict. Uh, new IP exclusive. If it's a, like a game in a, in a like a sequel trilogy, I think they'll keep it multi-platform. What do you think, Jazz? Gun to your head. Gun to my head. I, you know, it makes sense to me that um, Microsoft wouldn't want to prevent people on PlayStation from experiencing the end of a trilogy or the end of a story, you know. Um, like you say, it could be, you know, bad press. And we all know that Microsoft doesn't like bad press and doesn't want to be seen as the bad guy. So, um, so yeah, I agree with you that Wolfenstein 3, because it's a direct sequel, and uh, it'll be weird if Someone bought Wolfenstein one and two on PlayStation, and they couldn't they couldn't finish the story. I think um, that does sound like something that Microsoft would do. But I think like Elder Scrolls, which would be a self-contained story, not like a direct story sequel to Skyrim, stuff like that. Um, I think those kind of games will go exclusive. Um, Starfield, for example. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I think like if if it's, but I also I also see things like Prey. If there's another Prey game, I don't think necessarily that would be such a direct sequel. I think that that's the kind of game that they could do as a, you know, a separate sort of thing. And also like maybe even games that aren't so story oriented, like the next Doom, for example. Yeah, Doom has a story, but do we really play it for that? <laughs> so I, I think like, I think like in the case of Wolfenstein, which is super story heavy, yeah, I could see that being multi-platform. But I think games like Doom, maybe less so, which aren't so story heavy. But I don't know. I think it truly could go either way. Um, but time will tell, but I think Starfield and Elder Scrolls and the next Fallout and stuff like that, I think those will be exclusive. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Bano for being the newest member. Welcome to the channel. Thank you for your support, and enjoy those lovely emotes. Uh, Lydia Santosa says, People want old IP to return, like Banjo-Kazooie or Killer Instinct, but Phil Spencer said he wants studios to make the games they want, so what is the line? Do we want new IPs, or do we want the old games resurrected? I think for me personally, I think there's a fine line uh, where you can do both. Um, I know a lot of people were disappointed that the initiative was bringing back Perfect Dark instead of making a new IP. I'm essentially fine with Perfect Dark because it, it's basically going to be a new IP. It's just going to have some of the trappings of Perfect Dark. But for all intents and purposes, it's something brand new. And some people just really have, you know, they, they want to relive their childhood. So they Banjo-Kazooie is a, is a franchise they love. So they want Microsoft to bring it back. And people love Killer Instinct. And they want Microsoft to, to continue on with those franchises. Um, so it's, it's a bit of both. 
I think you can, you know, service the fans and, and their desires for continuing franchises while also still bringing new IPs and stuff. Right, Jess? Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, if you've got an established brand, it's just like, you clear so many hurdles and so many problems that you would ultimately have if you were making a new IP. Like, making a new IP is hard. It's, it's really hard. And it's expensive. Like, if you, if you, if you go out there with Perfect Dark, everybody already knows on some residual level what to expect. And that, that, or that, that alleviates a lot of stress from the project. So, I think like it's fine to use old IP, um, and also there's a nostalgia factor. A lot of people who are my age, and especially Rand's age, like Rand is getting seriously old. Um, he'll be on a, he'll be using the Zimmer frame soon. Um, Rand, we like nostalgia at our age because it reminds us of the good old days before our bodies were falling apart and uh, you know the inevitability of death. Yeah, jeez. We're getting dark on this stuff. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, man. But, uh, it's like I said before, like, 95% of the reason I play Pokemon is nostalgia. Like, if I, if I, if I, like, if I take a step back and look at Pokemon with a bird's eye view, the, everything about it just doesn't make sense. This is a 2021 game. Like, or 2020 game, whenever it came out. But, it's that juicy nostalgia, man. Makes you feel good. A drug, man. Uh, Matho Santos says, so there be Hellblade 2 on PS5. No. That game's only announced for the Xbox Series X and S and, and PC. Although I guess you could say what we're saying with Bethesda, we're a continuation of the story, then why isn't that one on there? Well, you see, like that's where Xbox Game Studios versus Bethesda and how Bethesda's going to be independent, but yet answer to Phil kind of comes in there where nobody expects any of the Xbox Game Studios games to be on other platforms. But you never know with Bethesda. Like, if they're independent, and that that's the thing. It's like the, the exclusive question is very interesting because they all could be exclusive. Uh, or it could be, like I said, where anything new is exclusive, but anything that's tied to an existing story could be multi-plat. Or they're all multi-plat. We just don't know at this, this point. I mean, I've said I expect all the vast majority of the games to be exclusive. I, I am, I do think Wolfenstein 3 will be multi-platform, um, but we'll have to wait and see. I, but yeah, I don't think anything coming from Xbox Game Studios is not going to be on PlayStation. So, um, uh, I would hope in, in in the face of just to add to that, like in the face of. Sony, you know, basically buying up games and buying up exclusivity and blocking games from Xbox like they're doing with Final Fantasy VII Realm, um, Remake. You know, I would hope Microsoft would be bullish and just be like, yeah, these are all exclusive. I think Microsoft should do that. I think Microsoft should send a message to its users and its fans that they will fight for this platform and not, you know, worry about what the fans on its platform that don't give a crap about Xbox think, you know. Yeah, exactly. I would, I would hope, I would hope they'd be bullish on that. But I also know Microsoft is the way Microsoft is, where it's like, oh, they want to be seen as like, we're the, we're the nice company, you know, we're, you know, going carbon neutral, guys. Yeah, even though we we, just, we wanted to double the price of Xbox Live. We're good, guys. We're good. <laughs> 
a neutral. Yeah. $120 for Xbox Live, even though we added nothing in the past 10 years and we're double the price of PlayStation Plus. Oh, wait. Hello. Nobody <laughs> liked that idea? Okay. Are we, are we, we're, all right. We're, we're, we're really pro-consumer. Hey, do you guys want free-to-play games actually free? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dark CMS says, love the podcast, guys. I have to agree with randomness, but that's the Xbox thing. Optics matter. Thank you. Um, let's see. Uh, Mr. J says, who do you want Xbox to acquire next? You know, since I've been playing him, uh, Hitman games, IO Interactive. There we go. That, that, that'd be who I want them to, to acquire next. IO Interactive. Cause Hitman you'd is like so amazing. Part. What? You, 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 you like that, right? You'd like that, huh? Hitman's amazing. They're, yeah. they're a privately independent studio. They're an independent, privately owned studio. There wouldn't be any public stuff. It's like, you know what? They, they, that studio's got a future. Pick them up, yeah. scoop them up while you can. Very, very dragony. Here you go, Jez. Here's a, here's a, <laughs> here's a, here's a, here's a comment for you from Thomas P. Do you think Age of Empires 4 is 2021 or 2022? Um, no comment. No comment. No comment on Jez. Um, I, I, w- I, I think Age of Empires 4 is this year. But I honestly, like, you know, with everything going on, it could slip to 2022, uh, but I think it might be this year. Um, Danger Man says, I wonder, is there any chance that a lot of Microsoft's acquisitions are redundant, like 2023 having Doom Next, Gear 6, and Perfect Dark, multiple RPGs in 2024, etc.? I get what you're trying to say, like Fable, Avowed, Elder Scrolls, those are RPGs. And I think Microsoft is going to want to spread them out. So, like, next year is Avowed. Uh, 2023 is Fable. 2024, potentially, you know, uh, Elder Scrolls Six or 2025, an Exiles game. Um, but I think some of those titles are just, like, if, if that's enough time for the next Doom game to come out, you know, you could have the Doom game at the beginning of the year and then Gears at the end or vice versa. It would be nice for 2023 to have Gear 6 because that would be a four-year run for them when normally they have to turn it around in three. Um, but that's going to be the great thing about Xbox in the years to come is that they have so many studios making so many games that there's just going to be so much to play and you won't really care that Doom is in March and then at the end of the year there's also Gears because next year is going to have some other cool stuff, you know? Yeah, uh, let's see here. Sean LeBree just says, just wanted to say what's up, guys. I've been lurking work in the background. Thank you for watching, Sean. And, uh, I love the, uh, I love the new logo that, uh, you made. You're the best. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sherman Jacobs wants to, wants to know if we have any info on the next Forza game. No, mm-hmm. I mean, we did see Forza Horizon 4 get announced to come to Steam on March 9th, as well as the Hot Wheels Legends Car Pack. So there's some of that about it maybe being an expansion has been put to rest. Um, Forza Horizon 4 coming to Steam, does that make sense with potential Forza Horizon 5 coming this year, uh, end of this year, in like September, to PlayStation, or 